Previously, on Season 1 of Skull Bros Awesome. Guys, guys, guys. I've got the heart of a champion. I know you do, and that's why I'll follow you to the gates of hell. <sighs> Wait a minute, aren't, aren't we supposed to be recording a podcast? Uh, nope. Time to get salty. Okay, guys, seriously, on three, three, two... That's backwards. Well, do you go through? Well, I don't know. One, two, three, three, two, one. I'm, I'm three, three, two. <laughs> You're the worst Danny Glover ever. Stay tuned for the gripping conclusion in season two of Skull Bros Awesome. So soon the hour of fate comes around. The ever-chosen stirs from his dark throne and prepares a blow that shall split the world asunder. Realms of old are fallen, lost beneath the fury of Northlands, or smothered by the vermin from below. Some heroes battle on, too stubborn to recognize that all hope is lost. Their time is past, a new age of chaos and dismay beckons. Perhaps I am foolish also, for I fight with no hope of victory. I seek only to weaken the dark gods, to shake their hold upon the future. No other course remains, not to mortals, nor to the divine. These are the end times. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our Of everything that stands the end No safety or surprise the end I'll never look into your eyes again Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next three hours or thereabouts, we're going to do the best we can to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh too along the way. Bringing you false hope, the end of the world, and the ushering in of the Age of Sigmar, I am your host, Dave Whitek, and with me tonight... I'm back. ...taking out of his his hobby time to dedicate an evening to our audience, it is the global icon and national treasure known as Rotor. That's me, buddy. Are we, are we doing this? Are we back? Are That's we ready? It. How's that for an intro? I mean, that, that, that this was... is like the next to last episode in this edition of the game. We're wrapping up the world. You're here with me, because thank God, otherwise, if I would have had to do this alone, it would have been bad. Well, once once again, people are falling out left and right, getting their heads chopped off. What do, what do you do? It's, it's, it's you and me into the rift, my friend. There we go. Oh, All right. So, listen, before we start, I do have to, uh, I got to take a minute to, to do the thank you to the sponsors here, Rotor. Okay. Um, so, uh, thank you to Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Mearship Miniatures, M-I-E-R-C-E Miniatures, Mantic Games, Building Bigger Armies, and to Battle Foam. Protecting, what are they protecting, Rotor? Your army. Fantastic. Look, that was Something awesome. Like that. Yeah, you're the only, hey, you're the, I think you're the only one who's done that. So, 
besides me. Hard now, by the end there, right? Yeah, just fall apart. Well, you just won't do it. So, but uh, those are the sponsors, and as everybody knows, we're it's it's RKON. We're not doing all the normal intro stuff. So, um, before we jump into it, and before our first little break, um, Rotor. Yeah, you came into this. <laughs> now I knew I was I, this th- starting this last book hurt. <laughs> Okay. okay, and I think Starting for this you, book really hurt. I, 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 I you think, were sending me these texts. I'm like, he's going to drop out. I'm like, he's going to drop. He's he's uh, he's tapping out before this book's I, done. I think about I about sent page you a text forty. Where I literally like, did quit. I mean, you're like, I don't um, know. I'm like, you. I just want my notes. You're like, no, I got to do this right. Here's the thing. I like. I, I think I've. Some people think that I might be a little bit negative, and and there's probably a, a kernel or more of truth to that. But I don't. My negativity is always reserved opinion. for the. I mean, no, you don't always I, I like everything. My, my negativity, it, generally speaking, is around the company itself. It's not around Warhammer. I I love Warhammer. Thank you. And and knowing, unfortunately, knowing how this book ended via the spoilers that came out days before the, the book was even released, put me in such a foul mood towards everything. Everything felt like a, 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 a sham, a waste, a joke, uh, whatever you want to call it. That, And I just didn't want to read this. It felt like nihilism at its worst. It felt like, like uh, a, a ripoff. It felt like just – and I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to read it. Um. Spoiler the way, alert. The way the end of book four was going, like, because we knew that was, oh, well, it's like you book, read before, you're like, it's darkest before the dawn. And then Arcane comes out and they're like, no, they totally tricked you. It's not even dark enough yet. They lose. And you're like, wait, what? Because, oh. Uh. Thankwall was rough. And that was, you know, <laughs> that was a, uh, uh, an elevator straight down in terms of the narrative and my feeling. And I, I didn't want to do it again with Arcan. I just, I, I didn't feel like I had it in me. But I did it, and I'm glad I did it because it's not, it's not what you think it is. I'll, I'll say that. Fair. I, I, it's better than I thought it was going to be. Significantly. Yeah. I, I don't want to oversell it at this point, but I, I also don't think if people haven't read it, they're probably not going to read it. So, okay. Nobody who's listening to this is going to be shocked that there's spoilers. Like seriously, if you're. If you're coming in at this point and listening to this show, you know what to expect. So that's what I'm saying, right? Exactly. So uh, and and yeah. So, um, but it's if you were going to read one of the five, I I think this is the one to read. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, if you're only going to read one, yeah, this it's it's the well, logical and, one, and it's not bad. I mean, it's better it, than I thought it was going to be. I completely agree. So before we dive into it, can I can I ask a couple questions and issue a couple small complaints? Go ahead, because I got a couple of things. Yeah, yeah, for me too. So okay, so let me throw this at you. Um, the book, book one. Gosh, it ends with Cetra's head watching a sunset, um, having been defeated by Nagash, and the four gods of chaos come to him. Uh, in his mind, and they they tell him to hang on, and that uh, they're going to get him back into the fight. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially the vibe. 
what the hell happened to that whole plot thread? That was like the 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 uh, the cliffhanger. You want and my- it, it they never picked it up. See, that was one that's on my list too. Um, do I want to try for the no prize? Yeah, of course, sure. They the chaos gods promised him power, right? If he'd serve them. Okay. They pulled him into the warp before the world was destroyed. And as Sigmar starts up the new world, that's why those guys are going to be there. That's where you're going to see characters like him showing up in so the new I had book, actually in their little army thing. A, I thought about that as a concept and um, because that idea ran through my mind. Okay, because the other option is they just dropped it and didn't tell us and didn't care. And that's, well, that's sloppy writing and that pisses me off. If he's not showing up in Age of Sigmar, because he's continuing that. the story, I think he's going to pop up there. I think it actually is the latter. I think it's the sloppy. And, and we'll get to why I think that in a minute. But um, if if that's going to be the book one cliffhanger, you have to resolve it within the End Times series. It, it, it's sloppy if you don't. Even if they do answer it in Age of Sigmar, I will still accuse them of um, of uh, going back and, and retconning the whole thing. Because this should have been addressed at some point. I, I, yeah. that, that's just, it's or, egregious for me. If you're not going to address it, give us a couple of hints. Go back there and have something happening. Just you even certainly have enough page things. count to give to give me half a paragraph, you know? I don't know. I guess you're right. Yeah, I That mean, brings me to my second major complaint. And my second major complaint is the Thankwall book really doesn't need to exist. It did, in retrospect, it did nothing. The finale of that book has Thankwall and one of the one of the vermin lords swearing their allegiance to Archeon. They never show up in the final book. We yeah, they, do yeah, not do. hear from Thankwall again. Oh, Thankwall doesn't show up. You're there, right. There was there was one uh, vermin lord who showed up in in Archeon, but it wasn't the one who bended his knee to the Everchosen. It it was the the one that killed. Uh, Right. Um, oh, you're right. What's and his they, face? I mean, they used the Skaven, but none of the major characters ever showed up again. That is, they use them as cannon fodder. That's it. They do. They use them in the. And the okay, the only the only army that got shortchanged as cannon fodder more than the Skaven, <laughs> the Beastmen, the poor Beastmen, because they only showed up, and it's like then their Beastmen showed up, and then they killed the Beastmen, and that was like and, the, every time, and then there was some more Beastmen, and then they killed the Beastmen. In this book, realistically. They could have erased Skaven and written Beastmen. I think they were only here to um, to just sort of touch on every army that they could. But realistically, and you know, you think about the major plot points of Thanqual. It was the Skaven want to become the fifth Chaos God. That didn't happen. We wiped Lustria off the map, but the entire world is wiped off the map. Um, and then the Skaven joined Chaos, but we never really see the fruits of that in any meaningful fashion in this one. So They could show up later. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay, here's another thing where the next thing comes and you get this story about these vermin lords who brought up their one and you get Grace here, Thankwell, and Bone Ripper being pulled over L- there too. Listen, we can saying, talk it, about the future in the future, but I'm looking at the end times. And within the context of the end times, the Thankwell book feels like... Uh, 
a, a money grab or so, now I something. Thought, I thought it, it was have a need. I thought it was they had to kill off the dwarfs, and they, well, they had to get rid of the lizardmen altogether. As the story goes, the lizardmen had to go altogether. Dwarfs had to be brought down to one last group. Who fights both of these armies? But I, I would say that they didn't have to. Those those guys could have died in some other fashion. I mean, yeah, they could have. But, I mean, did, if they would have just been like, oh, and then, boom, they're gone. I mean, yet, if you're going to wipe out a race, they need some time. You know what I'm well, saying? And, I mean, I don't – I'm just saying they focused on who was the who was fighting against everybody and taking down these armies. That's, the, that's why that book, like, kind of still needed to be there. Uh, I guess we'll just agree to disagree on that one. But those are those are my two big issues. Uh, just sort of, I don't know, sloppy. It doesn't carry over from book to book as part of a brand, uh, broader series. No, it is but. sloppy. These characters that just disappear. That's my. I have two. I only have two beefs really about this book, and it's characters that just disappear. This book specifically, or the series? The series, but it, I mean, it, it, it's. I it mean, the first one was. Lay it on me. Well, I mean, you're, the first guy who disappeared was, um, et cetera. Who, yeah, et cetera, who you brought up, but um, you just, you, I mean, the nameless got the nameless. Just <laughs> well, that's we never, right. We never what find out who, he dies, but we never find out who he is. Um, who else? Neferata came to help out and then was gone. Um, oh yeah. Weren't there some of those other Tomb King people who lived? Or did Neferata kill the other one? I thought some of these people lived. They all In didn't this show. one. Um, Part of the deal with Neferata sticking around is that she wants to kill Kalita, if I'm remembering that correctly. But right. that never really happened. No, right? that, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, character, there's, there are entire plot lines that just drop off, and it's happened. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't need everything in a bow, but you can't do that and just leave it open unless the whole point is the all these characters who dropped off are going to show up on the other side. Boy, you're really you're really milking this other side concept real hard. That's 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 my guess. That's my only guess. That's all I could come up with. Otherwise, well, it's just compl- I mean, it's already sloppy. But it's we can speculate as to how that might happen when we're all done here. Um, yeah. Based on my speculation, different... that wouldn't happen. How's that? Okay, you're probably right. But I'm just saying it's the difference between sloppy and unforgivably sloppy. And I'm giving the the benefit of the doubt on sloppy. If you well, don't, if if it doesn't come in in Age of Sigmar, then that's just here's crap. here's here's the sort of my broader take is this book, the Archaeon Book One, is you know not not to be super um, jaded here, but this is to sell the product, right? I mean, this whole book is really um, you're selling these corn models that came out. You are advancing the storyline, but you're not. You are pushing corn models like crazy, and right, I get, you're not beholden to the narrative the... first. This is this is to sell the product first, right? Um, I think the the Black Library version, the Lord of the End Times, and I haven't read that, but I've got it. That one might do a better job of focusing on a little bit more of what we're talking about. It might well, and that might the, show some of these things. That's the first one, but you know, he's got two End Times books as well. I've got them both here. It's Archaon Everchosen and Archaon Lord of Chaos, and this is a two-parter. And this is actually like his, like the his end times books. This is like well, the focus for him. I haven't read them yet, but I have them. 
Sure. I mean, those are strictly the narrative, and they're right. not there to sell toys. Whereas this book, realistically, that's what it exists to do. So, um, you know, I think we have to give a little bit of a wider berth of these end times books rather than the black library novels. So I just, you know, I, I give them their due with that one. Yeah. I just, I would have liked to have, I mean, my only beef is, I okay, I saw he was using Zinch a lot in the beginning, and then he brings in Corn because who's better in a fight, a straight-up fight? But it was just like the other two gods sort of got totally ignored. Yeah, I think we'll get into that. I mean, that Nurgle, Nurgle got her own book, into... don't get me wrong, but I think Zinch got uh, just a little attention in the beginning, and Slanesh got none. And then at the end, Slanesh shows up with a bunch of things, and Zinch shows up with a little bit of stuff. You know, he was in the beginning. I think we'll but... touch on that at the... At in the the book review proper but i i felt the same way so let's hang on to that one my biggest complaint was that i didn't when this came out i was just starting thankful and when i started reading it like i I was same thing as you i knew how it was going to end and i was like this oh this is gonna suck i know how it ends and it's just like okay let's see how much they destroy along the way or how slowly destroy it and so i was like i sat down sorry i'm like you know what i just have to pretend like i don't know how it's going to end like just literally read the book and just like it's like if you're playing a role-playing game you know and you you try to approach it as something that is that you're other that the you know you might know but the person who you're playing doesn't know and so you just i just sort of kept locking that in my head how would i be taking this if i didn't know how it ended if i still thought like i thought at the end of you know the third and halfway through the fourth book before i found out how it ended i'm like okay so they're just it's it's getting to the point now they're going to rally right here's where they're going to rally and then the book came out and i realized i hadn't like i hadn't even finished thankful so i'm like oh i'm never going to get it done and spoilers went up everywhere and like i either had to go dark until I finished reading it, or just like deal with the fact that spoilers were going to pop up, mm-hmm. and I just wish I, I kind of wish I had gone dark and just crowd, pr- plowed through it because it was so much fun until the end. And it's I would like, say I approached it in a different fashion. I I couldn't get the spoilers out of my head. I at a certain point um, it was fine because in reading through this book, the narrative actually took over, and it was better than I had thought it was going to be. And I became invested in the book on its own merits rather than just knowing the ending. So uh, it impressed me. Yeah. So, well, we both liked it. That's pretty cool. That is cool. All right. Let's so, do this. You know what? Um, let's take our a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll quick chug through the uh, introduction section, you know, that uh, sort of catches everybody up and lets them know what's been going on between the last book and where we're starting here. And then we can jump into chapter one. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So we'll be right back then. For years, I have heard tell of Karl Franz, greatest emperor since Sigmar himself. Archeon hacked down, the slayer of kings blazing with fire. The emperor's hammer came up. There was a clang of metal upon metal. The hammer shuddered but held. Archeon ripped the blade back and swung again. The power mantled upon your shoulders is not your own. 
I will strip it from you and return it to its true master, the Changer of Ways. Again, the Slayer of Kings swept out, and again the Emperor's Hammer of Light came about to block the blow. This time, however, there was no metallic chime. Instead, there was a brittle sound, as of glass shattering beneath a boot heel, and the Hammer of Light exploded into fragments. At once, lightning coursed from the sky. This time, it did not arc towards Archeon, but struck the Emperor with its full fury. He stood defiant beneath the onslaught for a heartbeat, then bent double, and at last fell to his knees. In the sky above, the flow of lightning suddenly reversed, running back into the roiling clouds like water somehow drawn up into a faucet. To Archeon's surprise, the Emperor was on his feet before the last of the lightning had faded, gauntlets had fists swinging. The Everchosen laughed and swung his shield wide. The heavy steel caught the Emperor across the face and chest, knocking him to the ground once more, blood streaming from his face. Archeon advanced a pace, his blade ready in his hand. Pathetic. The lightning has fled, and you are scarcely worth the effort of killing. You have no army, no empire, no god favors you. No god cares if you live or die. Perhaps, the Emperor said, but I possess something that you will never have. Archeon snorted with amusement. Really? Enlighten me. What could you possibly have that I lack? Too late, he detected the buildup of magic and knew that Karl Franz had somehow sensed it first. The Emperor wiped blood from his broken mouth and smiled. Hope. We are back. All right. All right, so we said all the things we don't like about it. Let's kind of go through it now, though, because overall, I liked it. And I think we've already determined that this really turned out. This really turned out to be uh, quite the adventure, actually. Yeah, like it had all the, it had all the good elements of the stuff that I was really looking for. So you, you know what it reminded me of as I was drawing towards the finale. Yeah, um, this was the first Avengers movie. This was them coming together, getting over their differences to fight the bigger monster. You know, yeah, the the because really this story is the story of the incarnates, the the various ones who picked up the the uh, the magic that um, by the final Chekla spilled by the final battle when they get down into the caves at the in the in the cavern in the final battle. I keep picturing in my head as just them. Like I know there were still like armies with them. But well, what was but left of them? But I just kept they, not picturing. Them. I mean, it was just—it's like you said. It, I just kept picturing them as this team, and like everything else was sort of like, "Oh, did they even make it? Like, are there still any there? Are they coming with?" By the end, I was surprised there was anybody there. Like they kept—I was like, I just kept picturing it as just these this team that going in. It basically they weren't there. Uh, I mean, they were there only in the sense of. Um, Sometimes these guys needed something to kill or zombies to raise up or whatever. But at no point did any of the, the broader army have any effect on this story. This this was the story of the seven incarnates um, and Manfred as they make their way into the the, yep. the final showdown. And by the way, I, I want to say this because when we talked about Thanqual, <clears throat> excuse me, I brought up that 
I felt the characterization of Archeon in the book was sort of clumsy and back and forth. And, you know, he was just sort of like chilling out and camping and talking to rats and just having these weird conversations that felt wrong to me. I felt they got him exactly right in this book because they, they used him sparingly. When they used him, it was for a purpose and they didn't have him having random conversations. He was a threat the entire time. And that's what the big bad should be. So they did a really good job with him, I felt. I agree. I agree. And at the end of it, I, that's one of the reasons I came down and I dug up these Archeon books because I'm kind of – I want to read – I mean, I know his backstory, but I want to read the like sort of end times version of how he becomes – you know, how he does mm-hmm. what he's going to do because the little things that they, that they mention here, the little discussions that the Emperor and Teclas have with him, I'm like, I want to know more about that. Like – that actually really piqued my interest. It's like, oh, you're, I mean, they're hinting at something more than just he was the best of the Northern Warriors and just, you know, was better than them all. It's like, oh, there might I, be more to it than that. Wasn't he in a White Wolf of Middenheim? Wasn't I, he I, one of those knights? I, that's what I thought he was. I'm thinking it was something like that, but I don't, I don't know the backstory. I'm sick, but I'm, yeah. now it's like, well, I need to go check because. Gotta go read it. Yep. All right, so let's get into this intro. Uh, book rolls in and. Um, Archeon has pretty much all but destroyed the Empire. He's still got that main base at Middenheim in the Temple of Ulrich. He's got his throne there with, you know, human skin on it and bones, and he's got Galmaraz, like, uh, you know, like above his head on, like, the backrest. Um, and now he's trying to get to Averheim. He's trying to get, he wants the Emperor's head. Uh, the Emperor's getting ready because he knows he's coming there. There's Bretts and Dwarfs. With the Empire, all at Everheim. Ungram Ironfist is there. The one thing I did like is they mentioned how Thorgrim, like I guess the lore of metal, tried to get to him. So I, when we were doing Thankwall, I had actually asked you at the end if he had been the incarnate of metal. And you were like, I don't think so. I got the sense in that book that metal landed on him for a minute or two. That's when his rune got all hot. and And then when they came back to him... And his his eternity rune had a crack in it. I was like, "Oh, metal left him, or he left metal, or whatever." I th- I think it tried in that book. You know what? That makes sense now. Now that makes yeah. sense. Like I I guess I didn't catch it, and uh, I just I wasn't certain what the hell was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, it said he wouldn't he wouldn't accept it. He just couldn't. And anyway, he wound up dying anyway. So, but uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, and I like Kairos Fate Weaver is giving Arcan all his grief, and he's like, "How come you're not going? How come yeah, we're sitting so, around?" <laughs> right. Uh, Kairos is trying to jumpstart this whole thing while while Arcan's just chilling in his throne room, and Arcan's getting pissed, and Kairos he's, is just pushing him. He's just like, "I don't really care what you have to say." Yeah. And then there's yeah, this no, whole I, pool I like of this. blood. I love this part. There's a, that huge pool of blood. What What's great about this intro is so. We should just say Archeon just stands up, pulls his axe out or his, his slayer Sword. of kings in, yeah. and off with his head, right? Or both heads in this case with Kairos. And then he kicks him into the puddle of blood. Kicks him into the puddle of boiling blood. But Which turns I, into a lake. I love basically. that they start and they said, essentially, they reestablish Archeon as a character right away. And that he don't take no guff from nobody. 
Oh yeah, and he just killed Tyro's Fate Weaver without blinking. He's not, he just killed he's not even interested in what those four chaos gods think. He's he's a man of his own agenda, and he's going to do it on his own time. And everybody, cool out. Don't talk to him. You know, yeah. I, I I love that they set it's, his character up properly. They trust me. I've got the plan. You could tell me what they think all you want, but listen, I'm in charge here. Get out! And he just throws out Fate Weaver, and then it goes into this. You know, and th- th- okay, this happens throughout the book. They make puddles of water, which turn into magical pools of water, and things come through them and grab at you and pull you through. Mm-hmm. It happens like every time there's a puddle, and there's a whole lot of chaos ex machina going on in this book. That would be my other beef. That was not my beef at all. There's a ton of that, and we'll get to that. Um, I actually enjoyed it, and <laughs> it, it worked. When we get it, it there, worked I'll, we'll the, talk about it. It worked with the game mechanics with that chaos table, where sometimes, <laughs> seriously, what happened? Nurgle rains down plagues. Corn throws flaming molten. Uh, brass skulls. That's right. Isn't that right out of the chart? Isn't that what he? I mean, that, possibly, I mean, it was, probably. I don't know. At this point, nobody's playing with end times rules, so it becomes fairly irrelevant. I think we'll talk about it when it happens. But but I'm saying I'll, just I'll, the, the chaos chart that the demons roll on that middle one. Yeah, it's I, always them doing one of those things. Sure. I was like, okay. I mean, I was just like, it happened a lot. That was my opinion. But uh, I don't. My opinion, it didn't happen enough. So. We'll get there. Oh, I mean, that could be. I mean, I guess it could be that way. I don't know. It was just. It, it kind of surprised me that it was just like, and they right, had him, and then boom. So you know, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about. It. So here's my thing. Here's my thing. Um, it's like midway through the book, and at some point, Nurgle sees what's going on, like literally Nurgle, and he takes an interest in the battlefield, and he pours some plague down. And I totally went, oh, it's it's Deusus ex machina. It's it's the god is is middling, and I thought. Actually, in this instance, they're going to end the world. That's not so bad. Like, he's starting to take notice. Of course he's going to take notice, and maybe this is why they destroy the world. Then later, Korn takes notice, and he brings his sword to bear, and, and he starts ripping up the battlefield. And then he, he takes further notice and chucks some skulls. And I thought, this is great. Like, if the four chaos gods start paying attention, I'm going, okay, this is, this is good. The, the, the chaos gods are taking note, and eventually they're going to... Maybe they're going to go to war over this planet or something. That's cool. My beef, then, is that Zinch and Slanesh never take notice. And there's no long-term ramifications from the first two gods taking notice. I thought that this was a missed opportunity. So, um, okay, yeah, Fate Weaver gets killed, and then Kabanda, Bloodthirster, the th- third host, comes up. Because he, he sacrifices Kairos Fate Weaver to Corn <laughs> to summon up a... Yeah, you get- a little bit, little bit messy, but Arcan essentially chops off Kairos's head, kicks him into this pool of blood, right. and the, the the pool of blood starts bubbling, and then out comes this huge thirster. And this thirster is going to stick around for a while in the book. Oh yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. So I figured that. I mean, but that's what I figured. You know, by by throwing him, that was a good offering. So you get like badass bloodthirster of the third host, whatever the third host is, whatever but it is. That's it. And then we're into chapter one. All right, chapter one, uh, honor and death, spring of twenty five twenty eight. So this last book is all happens in like six months, about. And um, this whole chapter is just basically anyone that's not elf 
uh, is basically coming, you know, drawing, you know, we're getting them together in this chapter. Not everyone but the elves and the undead. We're going to get them all in one place and see who survives and who's going to head off for the big final meetup. And that's basically this whole chapter. And then chapter two, you get the undead version of chapter one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, would you agree? Well, uh, chapter one was really the whole the whole point, as far as I could tell, was to get everybody on the road and focused. And, you know, like it's it's when you watch like these serialized shows and oftentimes like um, they at one cliffhanger it'll split the whole group up. And so you get like lost half people are walking across the Island. Half the people are stuck over here. And so then the next time you see them, they're all split apart. And so then the story has to do a lot of work to pull them back together. And that's, that's sort of the the groundwork that they're laying here. They're, they're touching on the individual guys. They're following up on where the winds of magic went for the most part. And they're, they're pulling them all together. They're giving a little bit of motivation uh, for each person as to what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. But yeah, they're they're just picking up the empire, the the dwarf, and the Bretonian stragglers, and cleaning and up their along. story exactly. A bit. And then uh, and then they're going to do the same with the undead in the next chapter and bring them all to the elves, who they just finished off their book. So you get then they bring every, and that's third chapter. They're finally all together. Okay, and so let's talk about chapter one. All right. So they're at Everheim, which has been around apparently forever. Gorbed Ironclaw couldn't even break into this place. But now they're besieged, and uh, they're having their defenses tested. You know, they're throwing – Arcane's just throwing all the Skaven at it. Like, who cares? Just see – who cares how many of these things die? Just throw them at the walls and, you know, and, and keep – you know, see what you can whittle down. Did you see World War Z, that movie? Uh, I didn't watch the movie. No, I read the book. The movie looks kind of bad. Oh, the movie was surprisingly enjoyable, but nothing like the book. Point is that at one point, the zombies become a literal sea of zombies that start to climb each other to get their way up this thirty-foot wall, or right. whatever it is. That's what these Skaven are being used for. Is they're 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 just bodies to create this wall to get so that chaos can get themselves into Averheim. Exactly. It's and that's just how many there are. They just for weeks throw Skaven at the walls almost relentlessly. Um and so now everyone's in this together though. Duke Jared's in there, you know, he's the head of what's left of Bretonia. Uh the dwarfs are there. Most of them have become slayers at this point. And they're all there with Ungram Iron Fist. And, of course, the Emperor's there. And the Hell Cannons are pounding away on the walls. And when they do bust open, you get Village coming in. So they got Village, uh, the, what is he, Village the uh, Changeling or whatever his name is? He's not the Changeling. No, but he's, he's no. Village the Cursling, that's it. Yeah, he's the Cursling. He's that the, the Zinch, essentially a Zinch champion um, who has a conjoined twin body. Of that little creepy, faceless alien, big mouth dude. Right, he's the brains. And that's the brains, and the the body is the brawn. Um, I liked it. You know, essentially, Village is running this army that's assaulting Averheim, and what and was he interesting wants to is crack it before Archeon gets there. He hates Archeon, and oh, yeah. he is like, "Nope, f that guy. I'm gonna go to work here, and I'm gonna take this city before he even shows up, so that I get noticed." Well, and Archeon totally gives him crap when he first meets him, when he gets introduced by Zinch in the book. Of what, I think it was book four. 
He's like, he brings me. He's like, yeah, I know who this guy is. Why should I care about him? Arkan <laughs> just totally puts him down and says, fine, go take these guys. Get out of here. Yep. So they're certainly not united in terms of their efforts. Yep. But so, uh, you know, otherwise it's just Skaven because, once again, F them. You know, just <laughs> otherwise it's Skaven going. But when it opens up, they go in. Um, and at one point, they get a pretty big breach, and it takes the Emperor and Ungrim to get in there to force Village out of the way. And things are going bad in Aberheim. I mean, they talk about how they cut rations in half and then in half again. And they, some people start resorting to cannibalism, so the Emperor just kills all of has them all executed. Mm-hmm. Says we can't have no, ain't got no time for that. No, nope. yeah, it, it it picked up on the real dark themes of of Thankwall and kept that train yeah. rolling a little little while longer here, because frankly, Everheim's the last city of right. the Empire. This is it, and it's their it's their last stand, and it ain't going so well. No, and eventually uh, the Emperor takes off and goes to see what he can see, and he sees Arcan coming. From the right, north. this second huge horde pouring out of the mountains. An entire nation riding and with him, you know. He basically realizes that he's got to act now to do whatever he can do before Archaon gets to town. Now, he notices that Archaon doesn't have any uh, hell cannons, so he's like, you know what? I got a plan. Hey. And suddenly we cut over to the city area where, or the camp where they've got all the hell cannons. they got, like, what, like a couple dozen of them. Seemingly, yeah. And, uh... Suddenly, Ar- Village is there, and he's doing some ritual thing, and he's like, I'm going to take Everheim before Archeon gets here, because screw him. I want some credit for doing this. I'm going to bust the city open. And all of a sudden, a portal opens. <laughs> it's the Dan Helan uh, emergency portal opens. And suddenly, Carl Franz and them just come out and start kicking everybody's ass. I mean, knights come riding out of it. Everybody's not ready. Half the guys are, like, getting ready for bed and stuff. And- now, this portal was a little weird, and I was it Franz who, himself who made the portal? I'm not I certain. I can't recall, but typically a portal is seen like a door where it's got the same entrance and exit point. This portal was more like a cube wherein you enter on one side, and then there's this null zone, and you walk out, I don't know, 20 feet over there. And that comes into play later. So it's it's a portal, but it's a portal unlike any other I've ever seen in Warhammer before. Yeah, I'm not certain. Yeah, I mean, what happens so I, in it is kind of cool, but that doesn't. It that's something I didn't understand. Like it didn't quite make sense what was going on here. But I'm like, okay. And going back, you know, well, this might be another one of I got questions, and I guess maybe we'll pick it up in Age of Sigmar. Because my questions do not get answered. And I wrote this question down when I was taking my notes of like, who's the great sorcerer? And we'll get there, but um, a little little sketchy. Right. Okay, so they got to work fast before all the enemy wakes up. Uh, hey, Schwartzhelm shows up because he disappeared in – didn't he disappear in Archeon? Like when the Emperor – they thought the Emperor got killed in book one. Like Schwartzhelm was there with him and then he disappeared. I don't remember. Schwartzhelm has been gone, like, the whole time. I mean... Schwartzhelm is, is the Imperial banner bearer, yeah. BSP, essentially, for all of the Empire. But he's there with the banner, <laughs> running through the, the, the portal cube. Mm-hmm. And um, all these... And they're, they're, they're losing guys. They're dying. But they managed to destroy almost two dozen hell cannons. They, 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 it said they took out, like, like 14 and, and wounded six or something like that. So that's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, pretty much they they pull through knights. So you got your your Bretts, you got your your um, the knights of the empire. 
Um, I think th- there were like some foot troop, but not a ton. But really, they've got this. They've got a speed force out there to to do the work quick before Archeon gets coming in. So they hit hard and fast, and they just start laying waste to these um, these hell cannons. And they they get a few of them to like rampage on each other, and it's it, it pretty smart, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all works out. Meanwhile, Village isn't getting his guys together because he's got to finish this rit- ritual, which he finishes. And guess what? Demons come. He opens up, you know, a, a you know a hole for the demons, but he only manages to call up a couple hundred. Uh, he was originally trying to get thousands, but they've screwed up with all the interruptions and the stuff going on that he only managed to summon a few hundred. Um, and of course, they go after. But Carl Friends basically calls a retreat. Is it get? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And as they're backing out, Village is like, oh, no, you don't, and tries to go through with them. Um, and it closes on both sides, and he's stuck in the middle. Right. So this was a big thing. So as, as Village is trying to, to, to stay hot, uh, he gets stuck in this cube. So everybody from the Empire and, and their side make it through. And only Village comes in on the Chaos side. And, you know, obviously he's leading from the front. But... Um, it seals up and he's stuck. And this was kind of a cool moment. Um, his his twin brother takes over. His twin brother, who has been essentially a deaf mute for as far as we can tell, who's just sort of a big dummy, uh, you know, fighter brute type. Uh, now he's done some thinking of his own. It was kind of cool, too, because as he's walking through and he gets stuck and he's lodged into all that crystal, which kind of reminded me of that weird crystal thing that they went through in when they... Uh went into Nurgle's realm, when the elves went into Nurgle's realm, mm-hmm. that weird crystal stuff when he was in that thing. And so there's all this crystal stuff, and he's stuck, and the gods are like, I've heard your prayers, and I've answered them. And he's like, I didn't make any prayers. What's going on? And his brother's like, no, but I did. Right. And it's like all these years that he's been in charge, his brother's finally like, please let me have a chance. Let me take over. Look, he totally screwed this up. And when he gets stuck in that middle realm, they give it to his brother, who promptly disappears from the storyline. Yeah, not only that, but um, and I don't have my book in front of me at the moment, but there was something along the lines of the great sorcerer um, would be helping. And so I went, oh, who's this great sorcerer? Is that Nagash? No, he's the great necromancer. But they never they never came back and said who the great sorcerer was, um, who was discussing how to get out of this thing, out of the portal. Right. And they, they never picked up the village storyline at all. So... The domain of the great sorcerer came the response, whispered by a thousand mirthful voices. He's heard your prayer and is pleased to fulfill it. It's my turn now. And then, yeah, then then, then Village loses all of his mind. And it's the crystal labyrinth again. See, didn't he go through that crystal labyrinth in... They went through a crystal labyrinth in Nurgle's realm. when they to talk to Tom. The e- Tom yeah. Oh, I know they did. But no, they don't explain any of this. But it's a it's a it's a fitting end for village whose brother takes over and simply proceeds to go and plant corn or something because he doesn't show up for the rest of the book. Yeah, who knows? Ho- hopefully they pick it up. the The one advantage here is that if he's in some sort of a chaos gate rift, whatever, that can easily transfer over. So, right. Th- if if he shows up in Age of Sigmar, eh, pretty believable. That's uh, okay. You don't have to do too much narrative work to get him over there. No, no. But he's, so he's not a huge character either, so I don't know that you would care to. But right. I, mean, I always thought he was a cool character. Like I liked him before that they came out with the model. Although the model's 
quite nice. That's I like not that. how I pictured it. Um, but it's fine cast, so I would imagine they wouldn't keep it around. They would want to redo it, right? Uh, I guess. I mean, mine's fine cast. But he, he, there's nothing wrong with him. We're getting crazy. Uh, okay. So let's see. Okay. So Carl Franz did such a good job that he realizes he's pretty much defeated their northern front. And they probably could make a break for it, except he knows what's on the other end of that road, which is like Arkan's whole army. So he basically tells his council, listen, um, there's an entire whole other country coming to take over this one little city. And um, you can't tell anybody because he talks, you know, uh, people would lose hope. And he talks about hope throughout the whole book. And I'm waiting to see this hope pay off. You know, once again, if you're if you're acting like you don't know how it's going to end, if you're still thinking the heroes are going to pull this out, this Carl Franz being the great hope, it's just I like it. I like how it's going. He's been reborn. He's this thing. He keeps saying, "Oh, they need hope. Everyone's got to have hope," and uh, it just keeps coming up with him. So I, I was like, "Oh, okay, I like this." Mm-hmm. Um, but so he sends Jer. Oh no, he sends uh, a messenger to ask uh, Nagash to uh, team up. And nobody likes it, but he's like, I don't care. We got to do something. And there's a whole big army. So they send him to him, and Nagash is like, no, and kills the messenger. And that's pretty much that. Well, I I, I mean, this was a, a major moment, right, is the emperor decides things are so desperate, I need to. I need to call Nagash. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Really? This well, is a major, major moment, in, not only in terms of, what the emperor is thinking, but how his men are going to react to him. Like, Ungrid and Jared he, are really against it. <laughs> they're not. Nobody's really for it. I mean, everybody kind of assumes that they're going to be turned into a Zombro if if this plan of of Carl's happens, right? Right. Um, well, they've already teamed I'm, up with Vlad, so I'm kind of with them. I'm kind of thinking, you know. <laughs> Nagash fancies himself a god. Uh, he's probably not one to go into dealings with. So this was this was a pretty major moment in the book, I thought. Yeah. Um, but they really then, they just dealt with it in like a half a paragraph, though. It was just like... The other thing I found interesting no. is he said no. So it sort of... It's, it stunted this, this like crazy plan. Um, it kind of went nowhere. Now, while he may have said no, there were other ears and eyes around the council area who didn't agree necessarily with, with Nagash's position here. True. Uh, and so, that's, yeah, Vlad leaves because he's, he's, he's a, wasn't he a poor, he's a, he's a uh, what do you call it? <clears throat> he's got, he's, he's, he's a motark of, he's one of Nagash's motarks, but right, more but than that, he is uh, an elector count of the empire at that's this it. point. That's the term I was looking for, yeah. But so even more than that, even more than that is he just that character Vlad is one of their best characters and and I just want to step outside of the narrative for a second um they've given this guy some pretty unique motivation in the Warhammer and even Warhammer 40k world this guy loves his wife more than anything and second to that he loves his homeland of Sylvania and this guy is like, yeah, I'm I'm down with Nagash and all, but you know what? Sylvania needs me, and I need to f- see what's up with my wife. And 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 I'm I'm not so sure that I'm going to stick around here when there's other things that are calling to me. And so 
he he beats out of there. He's like no, he's okay, great. So. He's, he's great. Every time he every time he showed up in the in the book, I I got kind of excited because he always was doing something interesting. You know. Yeah, no, he's he's. I mean, I'm pulling for him the whole time. This 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 love story that they've dropped in the middle of this book between like you know, and it's not like a, a you know a human love. If they take this weird vampire love story and drop it in the middle of this thing, and it's just it's just great. Like and it it, 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 it captures all of that sort of 1930s Dracula sort of stuff. You know that's going on. Like they. It- as someone who reads a lot of uh, Warhammer and 40K fiction, you know, women don't show up in these things much at all, um, which to a certain degree in this uh, in the Renaissance style of fantasy, I, I can sort of get. I don't really get it in the future, like 40,000 years from now. Um, but also love as a concept just doesn't show up, you know, that sort of desire never shows up in any of those books and so for it to to show up here it just made this book feel different you know yeah it's like oh here's something that i can understand and and get my arms around and um the, so yeah it was the, just cool like he became relatable to the audience i think as a result of of his motivation well and it's like screw the and it, it's not just that he loves his wife too it's like screw the end of the world I only came back because you promised I could be with my wife, and you didn't give it to me, so I'm leaving. Screw your end of the world thing. The world man. Right. Yeah, I got to find her. Yeah, that you know? end of the world, not really appealing to too many people, you know? Right. Like, as they consider what's going on, they're like, eh, why, am I, why do I want that? Exactly. And he's like, I don't even, I'm not even worried about it, you know? Stop it. Let it go. I got to find her. But now he's also dying from the Glotkin poison. Mm-hmm. And so he sneaks off with Gelt and all his Templars. Uh, let, let's not roll over that. Oh, I'm not going um, to. Balthazar Gelt. So when last we saw him, he had betrayed the Empire and had started slinging around undead magic um, and was a, was a bad guy. Um, he just sort of decides at this point, hey, you know what? I'm ready to be a good guy again, and I'm ready to forego any and all of that undead craziness and why don't I just go be a metal mage again? How did that? How how'd you take that? How'd that make you feel when you read that? I think that was coming though, because he hated it when it happened, and he hated himself when he lost control and summoned them. And the whole time he's been saying how much. I mean, even when he had to run, he's like, he's like "I hate you. You tricked me into this." Vlad's like, "No, I didn't. You know, you wanted it." But the mm-hmm. whole time he's been just resentful and remorseful of what he did. And I think sitting around Sylvania for that long while Nagash is just soaking up the the death magic, and that's basically what they were doing, right. was sitting around and waiting. He was like basically had time to sit and try to like sort of. I mean, he I think he you know just sort of thought his way like into uh, you know I'm just, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, but he's still there. I mean, he's stuck. The first opportunity that he could take to get out, he took it, and he's yep. he's getting out. So. It, it puts him in an interesting position, though, because he doesn't know what he's going to encounter should he return to the Empire. You know, he's he's the wayward son. He's coming back. and He's like, look, I, you know, I got to right. go. I got to go. I can't turn against him. I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't care what happens to me. I got to try to make this right. It was it's pretty cool. And that's not a bad guy to put with Vlad either. Because now you got another guy who's basically doing the same thing with uh with Vlad that Vlad's doing with Nagash. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess 
I would have liked more time with this part of the story because I think that there is some interesting one of the things I was struck with when reading this, and, and this goes for the entire series, is <clears throat> it it plays very cinematically. And what I mean by that is they spend very little time on how the people are feeling internally. Everything that happens in these books happens externally so that you could essentially film this book and you wouldn't lose much of anything going from page to screen. And um, that's okay it it means that everything is very easy to imagine because I don't have to sit here and read about feelings and he thought this and he felt that. Um, instead, it's he goes here, he says this, he swings his sword, he casts a spell. So it's really easy to follow, but you you lose depth when you do that. And so I, it's harder to get a sense of what this character's really going through because they give it half a paragraph and then he's on the road and he's moving. So yeah, that just as a, as a, um, as a series, this is how they present it. And it's, it was just a choice. It's a narrative choice. Um, and it's a, it's a tough one to straddle. So they do mention know. that the farther Geld gets from Sylvania and all that death magic, the better he feels, the more he's able to resist the calls of necromancy. I kind of like those little mentions in there like that though. Like it's a kind of like once you get seeped in it, it sort of like just kind of pollutes you in general. And it's like as he's getting farther away, he's able to touch into the other winds of magic better, and he's not, not feeling that pull of necromancy. So I did like that they at least mentioned that little bit, you know. Um, you know what? Let's take a quick break, though, because our, we're about to cut over to Archeon, and all the new models are going to sell. Great. So we'll uh, come back uh, with that in just a few minutes. Hiding behind a priest, Isabella tutted as Vlad approached. Have you truly become so weak? Vlad halted two paces from her, fighting back elation and dismay. The plague bearers that encircled the vampire were so distant from his thoughts that they might as well have not existed. I hide behind no one, he replied, taking a step to his left. Isabella matched the motion, and the two began to circle one another. And I find my recent allies, however they might fly in the face of tradition, far more palatable than those you've chosen. But then, you're not truly who you appear, are you? The stench of the demon is not easily hidden. Isabella smiled thinly. Oh, it is I, my beloved. The demon you sense merely grants me the power to indulge my wishes. Great Nurgle has yielded what you always withheld. The chance to seize my own destiny and the ability to shape it. You were my wife. I denied you nothing. I was your pet. Forever in your shadow, she retorted. The demon is twisting your memories. We were always equals. Vlad came to a halt and doubled over as a fit of coughing racked his body, infected blood welling across his face. Then prove it, said Isabella. Join me in the Plague Father's service. You cannot escape the blessing in your blood this side of death, so embrace it. Be reborn a vessel of decay. Then that is what all this was about? Vlad asked, his poise mostly recovered. Recruiting me to the cause of your master? No, she said. My labors in Sylvania have only just begun, but Great Nurgle will accept you if I wish it. He has told me so. Vlad did not even have to consider his response. Every day since Nagash had resurrected him, he had sought to restore his beloved Isabella, had compromised and bargained for her return. Now she stood before him. There could be only one answer. No. He said sadly. What you ask, I cannot give. 
He dropped his sword. I once thought I would have passed into any darkness to be at your side. But I was wrong. Isabella looked at him sharply. Reconsider, beloved. There is no escape for you here. Refusal means death. Vlad snorted. I came back from the void for who you once were. Not to be taunted by the creature you have become. I returned there gladly. This world has nothing else to offer me. Vlad did not move as Isabella raised her hands to his face. For a moment, he thought he saw a flicker of remorse in her dark eyes. Then, cold fingers brushed his skin, and the boiling in his blood grew swiftly to a raging crescendo. In the last moment before death claimed him, Vlad von Karstein swore revenge upon a god. Archeon, he shows up outside of Everheim with all the new corn models, and they are super crazy. Oh, blood for the blood god and everything. Like, totally. they're big, and they've got axes, and blood for the blood god, and they scream a lot. And people who don't scream with them, they kill them. Wow. Because they're crazy, yo. Yo. So, you got to give me some of those. <laughs> they just... You know what? And I didn't dislike them. Like I get it. They're like they're they're the guys who've dedicated themselves to corn, and but it was just like it just seemed so. I don't know. It's just it seemed like it was an easy stereotype to run with. With you know, we have these big Conan looking guys who like to scream a lot and get drenched in blood. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they sort of they're a brand new thing that just gets mentioned now, and um, I don't I don't really feel. Either way, towards them, they're—I mean—they don't do anything of note. So you know, they're just well, sort they've of got the one character who big who mean bodies stuff, yeah. who are going to get chopped down in the end. So whatever, you know. I just would I, have liked to have seen maybe this, and once again, it would be cool to see some Slaneshi characters who maybe just weren't demonettes. Maybe they were guys like Sigvald, just like, but not as powerful as Sigvald. But those types of guys, you can have a skirmishing unit of those or a small unit of those. You know, just I, like guys who are like amazing with their with their weapon skill and stuff like that. Not necessarily that tough, but it would have been cool to have a, a, a badass. You know, they had the big Nurgle guys and they got the big Corn guys. It would have been cool to have some badass. You know, just like you know finesse guys from from Slanesh or something from you know. We'll stick around. Age of Sigmar's coming out. All this stuff you want and more. It's on the other the side. Edition. There you go. Okay, so Scar Bloodrath is our new never before. <laughs> yeah, Scar Bloodrath. Yeah, I just can picture he pops out of his mother. Oh, Papa Bloodrath, this baby's name is going to be Scar. And uh, so here comes Scar Bloodrath. And um, he's one of the most favored killers of corn that have there ever were, was of killers that's, that killed for corn. He's And he's. Uh, collecting skulls. Velkia shows up. All right, so it's funny. These guys show up, and this is how awesome they are. They basically tell all these ragtag troops that are out there, you can pledge to become one of the Scaramore. And anyone who just said no, they just decapitated and added their skulls to the pile. And some that said okay, said okay too quick, and were obviously wimpy, and they cut their heads off too and threw them in the pile because they're just that crazy. And, and yo, And yo. the Skaven at this point leave. They're just like, Screw this noise. These guys are too crazy. Yo. Yo, and they leave. Um, but now it's time for battle after a lot of this killing and asserting their place. Um, 
Arkan's got just over a million warriors. And now the Scaramore or Scaramore, whoever these, you know, these, all these corners, they basically just do the exact same tactics as the Skaven. They just rush the wall. Yeah, right. I know. And <laughs> Whatever. They lose thousands for everyone defended. It says thousands, but they don't care. Thousands of bodies at the base of the wall. And, like, that calls the weak. And, okay, I've got a, you know, the, the, the Dark Elves. They lose tons. They're like, well, you know, you know, Malekith's like, well, that called out the weaklings, you know? Mm-hmm. And now they're here, and they're like, oh, it calls out the weaklings, the thousand to ones. It doesn't call out the weaklings. It cuts out the guys in the front. Um, I would go a little step further. These dudes don't wear armor on their shirts. Like, they're, they're bare-chested. But and they've they're going, got big armored pants. <laughs> they're going up against an army that shoots. <laughs> they're, a, they're sieging a castle. Like, what? These are exactly not the dudes to bring. <laughs> but this is who they are. There's a million guys who are just, like, crazy, frenzied, running at the walls, getting shot, wearing metal pants. I don't quite, but they do. So that I just every time I hear that, it calls the weak. It pretty much just calls the guys who are in the front ranks because they're going to hey, get shot first. You're burning a lot of calories on hating this part. No. I like this book. Oh, I like it. No, I like it. But I just, I just, this is basically the same plan. And they just keep going, and they try to get grappling hooks up, and they're cutting off the grappling hooks. And then the hell cannons show up. The lesson they send in giants. They send in slaughter brutes. They send in everything. Anything you can get in the Warriors of Chaos book except the Manicore shows up here <laughs> to pound on the gates while they shoot it with cannons and stuff. Um, and eventually Dawn comes and the the dead pile is so high that if you just run up it, you could be at the top of the wall. Right. So that's what they do. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Again, scale getting pretty big. Yeah. But sure. Well, there's a million guys at one wall. I mean, that's a, I mean, a million guys. You could pile a few 10, 20,000 guys, and I think that would seriously make – you could make a 45-degree ramp with that. I mean, that's a lot of guys. That's a lot of guys. I'm going with it. I'm going – just running. Just picture these corn guys just stomping on dead bodies and getting blood everywhere. Just pure red and bloody running up there. And, uh, of course, Scar Bloodrath gets up there and basically clears off a whole wall practically on his own to open up stuff for them to come running in. Um, and then they can't break open the wall. The giants are dead. The slaughter brute's dead. So Arcan comes up and, and frees that demon in his sword and just says, plam, and hits the hits the gate, and it explodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, you know, now the battle's starting. It's the big battle, Rotor. Ungrim's forces, of course, get cut off because they're slayers, and they're going to die at some point. So just keep putting them in crappy situations, and some of them will get out. Um... I like how the Emperor and Jared, are, they don't break and run. They're doing, like, their controlled retreat. Um, but then there's all this blood in the streets, and Kabanda's there, and he... he um, Kabanda is the... The, the bloodthirster that the got The big bloodthirster yeah. that, yeah, that Arkan created. And once again, there's blood in the streets because all these people are dying, and so Kabanda manages to pull demons right through the, the puddles of blood. Right. So here they come running out, and... Um, that's they, kind of a cool bit. Like it that's is sort cool. of like uh, what was that movie? The Clive Barker pinhead dude. Oh, Hellraiser. Yeah, like didn't they come out through big pools of blood in that first one? Oh, I think they did actually. Yeah, pretty sure. 
I mean, it, it, it's just that they do it throughout the book. Anytime there's a puddle, like the, a puddle of certain yeah, stuff. Watch out for that. Exactly. Um, and they, they almost got the retreat into the next line of defense, but they didn't because Kabanda got there before the dwarf-powered door gates could be rammed shut. And he basically rips them off their hinges. And they're like, now we're in. And uh, then you get to this really cool part where uh, Lord Jared and Carl Franz are uh, – they're talking about how defying chaos, and he's like, "I've got to challenge Archaon." He goes, "That's all we can do. If we we got to cut off the head right here, or else we're done." And uh, we're going to do one last charge. And I got a little piece here I want to read. The Emperor's Knights drove on toward the grim blazon of Arkan's banner. They made no attempt to slay all who stood in their path. It was enough to drive the Scaramore aside to use the impetus of that reckless, near impossible charge to clear a path. Had the knights halted or even slowed, it would have seen them overwhelmed. Besides, the slaughter of those left behind could be trusted to other hands. And then what little infantry remained charged home from behind the knights. Most were veterans of the Sultan Village's siege camp, and the memory of their victory goes through. And it basically goes through, if they stop at all, they're dead. But they just go charging and rushing through this, and they're going to make this one last charge. This is when Gelt shows up, finally. Yeah, boy. They they welcomed him back pretty quick, which I guess uh, life or death. I, I guess you have to make that choice. Um, I don't know that I would have trusted him when he showed up again, but I'm not Carl Franz. Uh, although I don't know that Carl Franz is Carl Franz, but um, no, that Carl Franz has always been able to tell about people. Like he's always been able to read people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you're back. He's like, "Yep, I'm back. I'm trying to be." And he's like, "All right, well, you know, Emperor Emperor called Nagash. You think he's going to turn down Gelt?" He's just like, "Okay, we need yeah, you." Fair point. Yep. But he'll, um, he'll take whatever he can get. So all the dwarves are dying, and uh, Scalia Amfengrim shows up, and I like that he shows up. He just starts killing dwarves. Scalia Amfengrim being the Chaos Spawn special character in the Warriors book, right? Yeah. And he's in there to kill the Ungrim. Uh, um, Ungrim kills a giant <laughs> single handedly, and then turns to fight Scalia. Um, and he's taking a beating too, because Scalia's kind of crazy. But he he puts an axe into his forehead and ruins his one eye. Then cuts off one of his arms, and then Scalia falls off the wall, armless and one eyed. And so. Uh, there goes him. He's gone for the rest of the book, too, so I'm just assuming he died. Must have. An axe in the forehead and losing your arm and then falling off the wall. Maybe he'll be back next book, dog. <laughs> Maybe he'll be back next book. I feel like the theme of the last show was Where's All the Poop? The theme of this one's going to be Maybe, Maybe they'll be back in our age of Sigmar. If I don't, they just disappear without being dead, yeah. dead, then we just assume maybe they're there. Well, that's the thing about these books in general. Is like, if you. They give everybody a big death, chopping off heads and whatnot. And when they don't, when they sort of, uh, he fell, um, that's indication that that dude's going to come back and cause more trouble later. Yep. So in this in this instance, the Spawn character is chopped up and, and knocked down. But when has that ever bothered Spawn before, you know? They're Spawn. They're garbage. Yeah. So I I was surprised he didn't come back, but... Maybe we'll see him in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> so, um, 
What? Oh, okay. Schwartzhelm is there, and he's fighting next to Jared and the Emperor, and Valkia comes after him because the Emperor is off, off, off bounds. That's Kaban is coming for him. Mm-hmm. So basically, Valkia is like, well, there's more things she can get. She wants to grab the banner, so she goes after Schwartzhelm, and they get in a fight, and they basically simultaneously impale each other. I, I think you you mentioned something that that is kind of important in terms of Kabanda. Um, that dude wants the emperor's head, like skull for the skull god. All he wants is to find and slaughter Franz, and that drives him nuts. And it it is his motivation throughout the story is, you know, getting to Averheim, breaking down the walls, getting there. Uh, when when Franz bails, he gives chase throughout. You know, and, and is like the first guy who we're going to see get into. Um, uh, where do the wood elves live? Athaloran. Yeah, he's like the first guy in. He, I, I mean, they they basically created uh, a character who is, by all rights, he's sort of the the um, Archaon proxy who can constantly do the the fighting and the chasing and the killing without getting Archeon himself bloody and messy and, and overwork that character. I, I thought it was a smart move just to, on a, uh, on a writing point of view, you know, to, to create this thing that is just a constant menace throughout the book. He is, he's a killing machine. He's like a Terminator and he's just running through this book, destroying everything on this chase. And he really sort of, you know, later on, basically tricks him into just focusing everything on getting Carl Franz, which is kind of cool because he, he keeps saying he's not important, and I, you know I, he, I've broken him, but he's still like he sends everything after him that he can. Right. It's just uh, it's pretty cool. But uh, basically, these two wind up impaling each other. Valkia gets him right through the heart, and he's got a spear, and it goes right through her chest and through her spine. This is Schwartzhelm. Yeah, Schwartzhelm and Valkia. And then, okay, they spear each other as she yep. comes flying in. They both die instantly. They both fall over. And then a juggernaut runs them both over and stomps them. It was like they just threw that in the end. And then the, these big metal juggernauts came and smashed and crushed both of their bodies. Well, I mean, we're back to that, that Scalia thing, which is here they let you know in no uncertain terms, hey, Schwartzhelm and Valkia the Bloody are both dead. Yep. You know, so again, it gives credence to Scalia might be back. He's not, but whatever. <laughs> what? So, by the way, what is the special character death count for Chapter One? Do we have any sense? Oh, I'm not certain. Um, they would just show up with like a uh, a countdown clock around their neck of how many paragraphs am I going to make it? Oh <laughs> and, yeah. People just and they didn't and make right. it very far. No, no, they didn't. Um, so, okay, all this fighting's going on, and Gelt decides he's going to try this thing called the Crucible, which um, basically he's going to suck the... Uh, he's going to turn everyone into liquid gold and then have the gold run down and through to a direction where he wants and then reform into golden statues, which will then turn back into these guys. Okay, so we're going to final trans everybody? Yeah, he needs a ton of magic, apparently, to do it, though. So he's trying to pull it all together, and um, he realizes that he might be able to do it 
and he really feels this, you know, the metal magic flowing around him. And he's like, so he taps into it. When he becomes the incarnate of metal is actually pretty cool. It was. This was a, a nice scene. So we've got, we've got essentially the, what, what do we call that thing? Just like the spirit of metal magic floating around. Yeah. And, and it's constantly, it's looking for a host, but it's looking for the right host. And obviously the dwarf guy wasn't the right host. So it bailed on him. And it comes to, to, to Gelt, who is by all rights, a, a metal mage. So, and I guess it judged him to be pure enough to go in, or I yeah, don't know. I that, mean, he was, yeah, he was cares, looking but... for redemption. He was powerful enough to wield it. It chose him. And, and boom. I love this. Here, let me read this part. So this is awesome. Um, so Gelt took wing to the, tower, to the tower's center and thrust the staff of Volans deep between its stones. Closing his eyes, the wizard flung out his arms, opening the, his spirit wide to Chamon. And the wind of metal, which had searched for a mortal vessel since the great vortex had been unmade, rushed to embrace him. There was a blinding flash, and a pulse of heat swept over the remustering Scaramore. All across the Magnusfire summit, molten gold flowed into the cracks of stonework. Of Gelt and the dwarfs, there was no sign. So, like, he, he just, the metal magic takes him. It's like, yeah, you could totally do this spell now. Boom, and they're mm-hmm. gone. It was pretty yep. cool. Um, it was. Although it did say that it hadn't found a mortal the entire since it came out of the great vortex, which it searched for more. So maybe it never actually did go into Thorgrim. Well, then I don't know what the hell was going on with Thorgrim in that last book when he got all super dope for a minute. I kind of like your explanation better. I think this, I would call this part as the mistake where it's like, well, except for that few minutes and him, but that doesn't count, you know, that one day. Totally. So, um, now he's the incarnate metal, and now the emperor and Archeon are fighting. And ooh, it's a big battle. And um, the power from the uh, life magic or the heavens magic is making him yeah, the strongest so Car- Archeon. Carl Franz is the incarnate of heavens, and he at this point is wielding the essence of Galmaraz because the real Galmaraz, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, who is that dude? Uh, uh, yeah, Valton had it. Valton was murdered by a uh, Skaven bro in the last book. So then uh, Archeon ended up with Galmaraz. He just stuck it into his, his throne of skulls and was like, this is just dumb. Who cares about it? And and uh, well, no, I think so, he knew whose that was. That they, they said that was you know that was Sigmar. So he had that up there like almost like as a prize, like as a trophy. I yeah, it, I mean it is the top of the throne, but. Um, well, he didn't care too much because he bailed. You know, he left it there. That's but, true. But uh, um, so we got Carl, who's the incarnate of heavens, and he's swinging around what is essentially the uh, the essence of Galmaraz. Yeah, and um, basically Archeon smashes it. The yeah, hammer actually and it, explodes, and he, he loses he the power. He shatters. Something that, frankly, doesn't even exist. You know, it's an essence, but... The hammer of light exploded into fragments. And uh, it, and basically, the lightning comes down and it kicks Carl Franz's ass because you hey, you broke this. Yeah, you screwed it up, buddy. You, you don't deserve me. Uh, and so then, you know, Archeon is going to whoop his ass. And, of course, the Emperor stands up and he's like, no, I'm not done yet. And, uh, and then there's the part where it comes in. He goes... Um, 
He goes, you have no army, no empire, no God favors you, no God cares if you live or you die. And the emperor says, perhaps, but I possess something that you will never have. Arcan snorted with amusement. Really? Enlighten me. What could you possibly have that I lack? Too late, he detected the buildup of magic and knew that Carl Franz had somehow sensed it first. The emperor wiped blood from his broken mouth and smiled. Hope. So once again, he's telling him, I've got this hope. And that's when all of a sudden all the gold statues pop up and turn into dwarfs and gelt. And uh, they managed to. Uh, this is um, the, the, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a tough question here. And okay. If you if you want to edit it out, that's fine. But um, it, it's gonna spoil something that comes later in the book. All right. Carl Franz isn't Carl Franz. Carl Franz is actually Sigmar. Yes. That that's why Carl Franz is Carl Franz ascended. No, he's not. He's he is by all rights, a god reborn. Right. And that's why he's swinging around the essence of, of Galmaraz. Yeah, he doesn't have it, but he, he's got, yeah, the essence of it, he actually, yeah. Why does he not reveal himself to Archaon as Sigmar in this, what should have been his final battle? And, you Maybe know, Maybe because I, he knew I he know, wasn't complete? I think that it's because the book knows that they're going to have their final square off at the end. And I think that it was, I, there's no good reason for him not revealing himself here. I guess not. You can paper over it and say, well, he's fighting with the essence instead of the real, why would that matter? He's still, I mean, the, the only thing I can come up with is that the people in Averheim aren't ready to know this yet, but, what would it matter if Franz revealed himself to be Sigmar, slaughtered Archaon, and comes back and says, I am Sigmar, and I am reborn to you, and I am your lord, and ever shall you, you, you know, favor me, or whatever he says. Um, I, you, can, you can invent a reason, but narratively, it really doesn't make a ton of sense, I don't think. And if anything, wouldn't it give his people more hope that, oh my God, uh, our literal God has, has returned. It's, it's Jesus. And he's come back to save us. No, you've told, you know? I mean, you, you're making, I mean, your, your, your logic is infallible here. You're, I think oh. you're absolutely right. You know, right. um, I mean, no, it, it, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. If he thinks this is going to be their last fight, win or lose, it's going to happen right here. It doesn't make any sense. And I know he's incomplete because they keep hinting at it, and you don't know what it is until he touches it. But then when he touches it, like the lightning hits and everything's there, and it's like he's complete. And I, I, there's no good reason, even if you say he knows he was incomplete, why wouldn't you say it anyway? So I got I'll, nothing. I'll, yeah, and, and this whole like concept of being complete by holding the real Galmaraz, which we'll get to at the end of the book, um, it's nice. But he's Sigmar before the dwarves made him that hammer, you know? Yeah. So he wasn't incomplete prior to that when he was first Sigmar held in hammer and and beaten well, off. Well, maybe when he oh. got sucked into the when he got sucked into yeah. the when he got trapped in there and he maybe he lost his body. This is like the physical connection for him on the planet. Maybe. I mean, other people take over bodies and they don't seem to need that physical connection. I'm just I'm reaching at straws here. Let's just keep going on. I guess. Sounds great. No, I mean it makes sense. I just I don't I don't have an answer. So. Um. So I like this. Gelt's crucible drops him in the dwarfs in the middle of the fray, and Ungrim's like, Ungrim jumps up, and before Arkan kills Carl Franz, Ar- 
Ungrim deflects the blow and goes after him. And they're both fighting and smashing swords, and the dwarf's like, yeah, come on, and Arkan's like, I'll kill you. And then all of a sudden, the big giant metal wall pops up between them. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Gelt. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because Arkan's screaming on the one side of the wall. Ungrim is screaming on his side of the wall. He's like, what the hell did you do? He's like, we need to get out of here. Um, And they can't take everybody, of course. So the dwarves are like, well, we'll stay behind because that's what we do, lads. We're the slayers. Right. And so. Probably, probably not their smartest choice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so basically Gelt uh, says he's going to take the Emperor and as many humans away as he can with this crucible thing. Um, a few, now, they do mention that, you know, the first time he did it, it wasn't perfect. And, and a, a couple dozen or so of the dwarfs, I believe, uh, never came out of being gold statues when they reformed. Yep. Whoops. So, you know, he's, it's still dangerous, but he's doing this. Um,. And Ungrim's all pissed, and he's like, "Dude, you can't, you 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 can't beat him. You can't." <laughs> Ungrim's all mad. I had him. I had him. You didn't have him. You, there's no. You, we all got to get together and take him down. So Carl Franz got the whole. <laughs> I'm Sigmar, and I didn't have him, bro. You didn't have him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, that's essentially what's up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then I love it. Vlad gets to the city, looks at it, and says, "Crap! I'm too late." And turns I around just... and goes home. <laughs> This is kind of funny, like the whole, the whole like in the in the nth hour, you you're sort of waiting for Vlad to show up, and he finally arrives with all of his dead, and he gets to the the mountains, looking down on the city, and he sees that it is in ruins, and that there's not much on the Empire side, and there's a ton on the Chaos side, with probably a ton more still flowing in, and he's like, nope, peace out. This is this is not. My play. He's gone. And uh, but as he's leaving, the important thing is from the city a pillar of fire shoots up from one corner of the city. Sure. And as he sees it goes up, he sees this face, like this spirit's face in the big huge pillar of fire. And it, it's pretty much an Ungrim's face. Because yeah, Ungrim's Ung- dead and Ungrim dies at some point. And there. fire leaves him. And fire leaves him. And that's and the it. end of chapter one. All right. Um, not not terrible, right? I mean, no, I'm enjoying it so far. It's like every every city episode, the Empire gets its ass kicked and backs up to the next city. So you it kind started of out a little it. lost, but once they started getting a plan and they started doing stuff rather than just reacting, it started getting pretty interesting. You know? Yeah, I mean, and that was what. Yeah, but I mean, seriously, the beginning of this book was rough because it's like, oh, they're just going to sack another city. How are they going to do it this time? They just needed. They just needed the good guys to be proactive and to be thinking and to be doing something rather than just sitting there waiting to get beat up. Yep. And once they did that, once Carl slash Sigmar's making a plan and he's reaching out and saying, hey, Nagash, come with me and whatever, now things are happening. And, and it was really easy to start getting behind him and cheering him on and being like, oh, maybe maybe hope will win this and then you, you sort of remember how it ends, and you're like, ugh. But see, yeah, like but, I said, if I'm, you don't know how the book ends, if you can keep that out of your mind and just be reading this, you're like, all right, they're doing it. It's like they're gathering all at that one place, like in Lord of the Rings, when they gather at the one city at the end, and everybody's we're going to make this one final play. We're gonna I would actually we're gonna say, do this thing. I didn't need to push the ending out of my mind. I was fine with it. Um, at, when the narrative picked up, it pulled me along, and it was strong enough that I became vested in it, and I didn't care how it ended. Um, you know, essentially knowing how it ends and then reading it is the same thing as like 
when they make a movie a prequel. You know that Anakin Skywalker is going to go bad, and he's going to fight Obi Wan, and he's going to lose. You just hope that the path, the story of the path there, is worth. You just have to tell story. a good story that's worth telling, you know. And so you can argue amongst yourselves about whether the prequels were worth it or not. But point being is, if the if the story is good, the end being spoiled on the end is becomes irrelevant. You know, you it, just don't really realize that until you crack open the story. Yeah. I mean, you're right, but still inside, I kind of like that feeling of, okay, here it's coming. Here, this is this is where it's good. You, you just, I mean, honestly, when we started this, you know, $400 and five books ago, <laughs> we weren't we weren't expecting this ending, not even close. And so, and I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, where's it going to come in? When's Grimoire going to come in? Is the headbutt going to happen? Is this going to, what, how's this, how are they going to stop him, you know? And mm-hmm. that it, it, it actually really builds up. It's, it's very exciting. And it's kind of like a sucker punch at the end if you don't know that's going to happen. You're like, wait, what? But um, we're into Chapter 1. We're going to get into Chapter 2. Let's take a break and then come back with Chapter 2. Cool. All right, cool. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. Hey folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature, or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mierce Miniatures at MierceMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish-level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mierce Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com, and seriously, guys, you'll be glad you did. All right, we are back, starting Chapter 2. Land of Night taking place between spring and summer of 2528. So this is about the same time as what we just heard, except now we're over in Sylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think technically this is like the last time dates matter, because after this, everybody is sort of playing together, and the, yep. the narrative will not be fractured no. past this chapter. And... Uh, and basically, like we just had the human and dwarf and Bretonian final battle against chaos, and before they get to the the meeting place, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and this is the this is the, everybody else who's not at the meeting place. This is Nagash's. This is how Nagash gets to the meeting place. Um, 
and I like this chapter. <laughs> I was like, oh no, are you kidding? There was a lot of big stuff that happened in this chapter. It, it was it was a this was interesting and fun to read for sure. Yeah, I mean, I you know I, this whole thing about how he you know everyone else just gets the winds of magic. Somehow he's trying to make himself a god out of it, and I'm not exactly certain how it was going to work. And then when it gets busted up, and they say, "Well, this was the play," they're like, "Oh, oh, oh, that sucks." Well, let's dive into it. All right. So, um, the Black Pyramid. There it is in the middle of Sylvania, <laughs> and there is a lake of death magic around it. All the death magic that he had to channel into Sylvania, into the into the planet itself. Because he couldn't hold it all. I mean, he didn't let any of it go either. He just pulls it all and pools it all. Now he's got this giant lake of magic, and that's he's Purple. in the yeah, and he's in the He's just sitting in the pyramid, and the pyramid is his conduit. It's pumping all of this into him. Mm-hmm. And it's like powerful. Yeah, he's yeah. This is going to make him a god as he's just channeling and storing and battering up all this magic. Um. And then Manfred shows up and tells on Vlad for leaving. Yeah. Vlad left. Hey, hey daddy. Like me butter. Not, you know, he's, and he thinks I, he'll send him to go kill him, which is what he wants. He'll get pissed and he'll send me to kill him. And finally I get to go after Vlad. I'm a sanctioned kill, hit on Vlad. Even more than that, I think, because he could have just gone after Vlad himself. It's Manfred wants, um, he wants to be the boss of the Von Karstein's. And he wants Nagash to dig him. He does. He knows he can't beat him. So if Nagash doesn't give him his uh, damn country, he's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes and tells him. He thinks they're going to send him out. And they said, you know what? Just go do the job he was supposed to do. Like, we, we, we yeah, figured okay. he'd do you, this. Just... You defend Sylvania then. Ow. <laughs> and I love how Nurgle's offended that his blight just doesn't work in Sylvania because he corrupts living things and causes all this change and in Sylvania yeah, there's no soil change. Is dead and whatnot, so there's nothing there's nothing to kill because it's all dead. Yeah, so now he wants now he just he's sitting there now you know, you talk about getting its attention. Here this has gotten his attention. You know that place on the planet that I can't ever mess with? Mm-hmm. Well, it's all going to hell. Let's go kick that part's ass. Like <laughs> I got a beef with this place. If we're doing stuff, let's do something here. And so he sends in Isabella, and she's got Balarog shackled to her, a demon. So she's got a demon in her, and Luther Huss is with her. The Nameless still has Luther Huss from way back when. And I forget, did they reveal um, Isabella as Isabella right away, or did they try and keep her on the down low for a minute? If I remember, let's see. I felt like she was kind of... They did call her the... the, the, uh, she was like the mistress or something because they they didn't want to reveal her until Vlad yeah. showed up and they they would have sort two of beings the love. led this. Neither was entirely what they seemed. The veiled countess spoke little, but it was her will that gave the host its purpose, or, or the demon Balarog who shackled to her soul. Uh, she was dressed in the faded finery of palaces long since destroyed. Her pale beauty of stark contracts to that uh, separating ranks in which she marched. The Countess was his most recent greatest weapon against the undead, a vessel of entropy and renewal. I'm trying to see what it is. Um, it doesn't, but the way they describe her, you kind of know it's her. The Countess's spirit had been drawn willingly from the void of death, restored by Nurgle's will. Um, if you were an active reader, I think you can figure it out. Yeah. Um, if you read the rules first and you knew that 
there was something called, you know, something leading the Nurgle army called Isabella the the grossness or whatever the hell they called her. Right. <clears throat> um, narratively, they try and, and they do this a few times. They try and hide uh, who the character is from the reader um, for various reasons. Uh, I, you know, I don't mind it with her. I think that there's a payoff. She's of, got the cowl up, you know, in the, uh, in I think the movie the payoff version. of her revealing herself to Vlad is going to make sense. I don't know. And I think this is more your beef than mine because I don't know who the nameless is, and I don't care. But I think you care, and I I don't know. Like, who is that? What's his deal? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like they they did this whole tease about how he came back, you know, on the promise that Nagash would tell him who he is, and like made such a deal out of it. And it's like, okay, well, then who is he? You know, Wait, like is what was that? N- Nagash said that he would tell that was, the Nameless. That was, that was the deal that he made with the Remind Nameless. Me. The Nameless would serve him, and he would give the Nameless his memory back so he would know who he was. Well, that doesn't ever happen. No. It, that's that's what know, pisses me off. Because he tells Vlad, I'll get you Isabella, and we find out why he hasn't yet, because he can't find her, but he's not going to tell Vlad that. I wonder if this is just an instance where there are several authors working in parallel on their book. So one guy's writing the Nagash book, and one guy's writing the Archaon book, and um, there are certain threads being dropped in Nagash that just due to either the guy writing Archaon has already finished it and there's no room for it, or editorially they don't really care about it and they don't want to erase it out of the original book but or they just forget or it gets dropped or who knows but it it doesn't seem like there's one author who has complete control over all five of these books oh no i agree i agree um anyway so we've got the mistress and we've got luther luther huss right like the nameless is showing up as luther at the moment yeah, um, yeah, he's a Sigmarite priest who's got him. The yeah, and it just basically goes that he's he's got him in his control. Given to cruelty and torment, he had slaked those appetites well before Luther Huss, Luther Huss had crossed his path. To his credit, the warrior priest priest had hurt the nameless more deeply than any for many an age of the world. The priest's punishment for that effrontery was to serve ever as the vessel by which the spirit indulged. His cruelties. So that's uh, that's basically what's going on with him. So you've got Luther Huss, the most pious man in the in the empire, controlled by this really sadistic spirit. I mean, something just, or another. Yeah, really vicious. So they come in the north, and Manfred's like, "Okay, you know, I'm going to send out some troops here and there against them," and he's you know he's doing well. So he's like, okay, I got these guys. I know what's going to go on. So he, you know, he decides to pick the point where he's going to stop them, and he sets up everything there at Grim Moor. Um, and like he's getting all set up for the fight, and then Vlad shows up. He's like, oh, hey, he's like, you're back. He's like, yeah, I'm here. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, I got this. No, you don't. You really don't. Um, I love Luther Harkin shows back up too from book one. At least he's. You know, yeah, Luther Harkon being the um, the vampire lord of the pirate coast uh, out of Lustria. Um, he's like an admiral at this point, and he's he's crazy. 
Do you remember there was a another von Karstein? I think his name was Conrad. Yeah, who Conrad. Was the crazy von. Kar- Did that dude ever show up in the series? He's dead. Okay, he's dead before the series started. Yeah, Manfred drove him nuts and killed him back in the. If you read that Vampire Wars trilogy, when Vlad. You know, I didn't realize that they killed him. I thought they just enjoyed playing with him. No, I thought I think you no know, Manfred drove him nuts and then came in and, and killed him because he was the he was the Lord of okay. Sylvania for a while while Manfred was out finding the von Karsting ring and finding Nagash's books and building up his power. Conrad was running the place and he was a complete and utter maniac. And so, mm-hmm. uh, basically, Manfred found it very easy to just drive him over the edge until he was completely stark raving bonkers and no one wanted to listen to him. And then he wrote it and took care of him. Got it. All right. So we so, got a, a new crazy vampire. Yeah. And uh, so he shows up to help, and Manfred doesn't want his help, but whatever. And so, um, you know, Nurgle is wiping out all these zombies, and they're just calling him back, calling him back. You got Harold, three great unclean ones, a bunch of uh, Nurgle, a beasts of Nurgle, and uh, all this stuff going on. And Harkin goes and leads from the front. <laughs> he's in there with his guys uh, attacking the flank of the demons and uh, so Manfred's like hmm and turns around and basically undoes his magic that uh, Harkin had done uh, basically weakening his lineup and, and, and slowing down his zombies and making some of them crumble just basically like I don't like that guy and I've got this in hand so screw him what do I need him for like what a what a total he's just a dick Mm-hmm. And then these beasts of Nurgle get through and start whomping on him. Okay, I love the, the, the beasts of Nurgle in this series. <laughs> these big, dumb puppies. That's exactly what they are, these big, dumb, dangerous puppies. Because they constantly come riding in and like, oh, look, having fun. And then they crush stuff. And then if someone actually hits them back, they're like, hey, ow. And then they get mad and they attack. And it's just, I think they're hysterical. And it happens several times in the book when they describe them getting sent in. How they're running in to have fun, and then these things hit them, and they get mad, and so they attack. Um, but this whole fight's going on, and you know they're sending in the plague drones. I'll send in the whites, all this stuff, and finally Isabella finds Manfred, and he's just he's like, oh, it's Isabella. Well, psh, I got her, and so he's just going to go in and get her, and all of a sudden she reaches out and touches the uh, the vargeists that attack her. Hold on, this is fantastic. I love this part. Yeah, sure. Um. Okay, so the three Vargeists uh, go after her, and um, they barreled past their master, rapturous at the prospect of tasting flesh not already gone to the rot. They were swift, but she was swifter still. Her sword swept out, and one Vargeist fell headless among the gorse. The second screeched to death a moment later as she whipped her blade around and buried it hilt deep in his chest. The third, seeing his prey's weapon trapped, roared in triumph and pounced. Isabella made no attempt to free her blade, but instead sidestepped the lunge with courtly grace, her slender fingers brushing lightly against the Vargeist pale flank as she did so. Manfred had recovered from his fugue by this time and hurriedly urged Asgard forward, but he halted just as the remaining Vargeist suddenly emitted an agonized screech. Manfred hauled Asgard back, his eyes flicked from Isabella's thin smile. And at last to the Vargeist, the creature was writhing uncontrollably, the grinding and crackling of bones clearly audible as its wiry, wiry muscle spasmed. The black lines left by Isabella's touch widened and spread as the taint took hold, skin, muscle, and bone decomposing into a sickly slime. With a final gurgling screech, the Vargeist liquefied entirely. And so... <laughs> so what, what's really important about this part 
um, they they fed her this last Vargeist, you know, story wise, so that as the reader you're going, okay, Vlad loves her. At some point, very soon, Vlad will come into uh, come to know that she is alive and that she's here, and he's going to try and I don't know, give her an embrace, give her a kiss, something. And we now realize that what will happen to him should that come to pass. So now we're going, oh, God, Vlad, we actually like you. Please don't like her anymore. Don't give her a hug. You know, so it, it's exactly. setting up some uh, a, a pretty strong angle for their relationship and what would happen should he follow through on how he feels about her. So th- I, this whole thing was really good from that angle. Yeah. And I love that Manfred sees this and he's like, oh, no. No, 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 no. I don't want any part of that. And he wants to run away, but he's too proud. He's like, no, no, I am not running away from Isabella von Karstein. I am not running away from Isabella. I mean, he looks down on everybody, and especially her, because she's nuts. And yeah, so, I mean, Manfred, Manfred's a pretty fun character. You know, he has no interest in self-sacrifice. He has no interest in losing face either. So he kind of sets himself up for these hard positions where he's got to stick around so he doesn't look like a chump. But he should cut and run um, and preserve himself. Uh, he, he's he's just kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And uh, so basically he wants to run, but he can't. So he's kind of distracted. He doesn't know what to do. And meanwhile, the nameless... And if you remember the nameless from the first book, I mean, he would just take over men's minds and have them do horrible things to themselves. Gross. I and don't. Just, oh, uh, when uh, when Vlad leaves with um, with Gelt, he meet, remember the nameless gets sent with Vlad to do all this stuff, and the nameless would just like they would go. They got to this uh, you know outpost, and um, Vlad's like, okay, we got to go in there carefully so they don't, you know, so that nothing gets ruined because they're, you know, they're going to be nervous about us being here. And the nameless just goes over and like takes over all their minds and like has them like, you know, cut each other up and stuff. Like he's just a sadist and he'll take, he's taking over, he, but he can take over bodies and do all this stuff. So he's, he can, I mean, basically it's easy for him to take control of the zombies. His will is really strong. And, um, Basically, when Manfred's distracted, he takes control of all of, of his and Harkin's zombies and turn them against Manfred. Yeah, we essentially get this battle of wills, wherein um, Team Nurgle with the Nameless is trying to turn zombies, take, take them away, and then uh, Manfred tries to take them back, and they sort of battle that way. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, but right now he's just he's screwed. The battle is completely lost because Nameless just took over his whole army. Mm-hmm. So he he goes to run, and he goes and sees Har- where Harkin is. And Harkin's lieutenant comes out, and he's like, "Ah, well, you know what you did to us? You're a jerk." And Manfred's like, "Whatever," and kills him. And um, and Harkin comes up, and he's pissed. But Vlad, that's when Vlad shows up and says, "No, we got to stop." So they got to get to this place. They're going to make their last stand against Isabel and the Nameless. I love how it's so funny. The the guy at the tower sees that most of the army is still heading south, where it's supposed to go, towards the center of Sylvania. Only a portion of it, and only the zombies that they took, basically. Not the, you know, it's a few Nurgle stuff, things, but mostly the the zombies. They break those off like this little side thing to, just to go finish off Manfred and Vlad. And Isabella and Nameless are going with it, but everything else is getting sent for. And Manfred's offended. Manfred's like offended. He's like, oh, 
Wait, what do you mean most of them are going forward? Like, you know, we're not th- we're not important enough to get the whole army against us? <laughs> like he's it's like he's so stupid. Um I think he's great. He <laughs> he's is, one of my favorites. He, no, he's fun, but it's just you can always you can always expect him to do the wrong thing and then try to he's like the Skaven version of a vampire just like uh, except that like with Thankwall Thankwall bumbles his way to success um Manfred plans his way to failure like yeah they're sort of exactly opposite in that in that respect you know Vlad always ends up getting one over on Manfred or whatever right, but I'm just saying whenever things go wrong he's quick to point the finger elsewhere never accept yeah. any responsibility um but so basically uh what we learn here though is that uh the stuff that Otto Glott did to him in the last book. Him being Vlad. Vlad is killing him. Yeah. So he's poisoned. And not only is he poisoned, but when he starts putting in work and, and working up a bit of a sweat and gets a lather going, that gets the poison in his guts going, too. And so the harder he's working at fighting off these Zombros, the more the poison's taking over. Yeah. And... uh but he can't stop. He's stuck in this place where he's like, I can't stop because if I stop, I'm dead. But if I keep doing this, it might kill me anyway. So, you know, got to go forward to the might live as to the absolutely not going to live. Right. Um, and then what else happens? Um, okay. Now, Manfred takes control of some of the zombies back. Like you said, he was far enough away from Nameless that Nameless's power wasn't that far. Mm-hmm. And so he had he had him. You know, he's like, okay, I could take these back. So now he's got half the zombies fighting for him. All this is going back. Nameless comes back and just takes them all away again. Right. Battle of wills back and forth. Yeah, he's got them. Um, and then Nameless starts sending all the stuff after Vlad because he doesn't like Vlad because Vlad ditched him and, and was a jerk to him back when they were teamed up in book one. So he starts focusing on Vlad. And, of course, what does Manfred do? Uh, bailed. Yep. <laughs> Forget <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, a great unclean one's about to kill uh, Harkin, and Drekla sacrifices himself to save him. And then Manfred Drekla? Drekla, what are you talking about? Uh, Harkin, crazy Harkin. Captain yeah. Drekla was like the guy with the hook for a hand who was like his second in command. Hey, the man, one who I'm wasn't just, crazy. I'm just trying to help out the audience right oh, now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but so, yeah. You're just throwing names, and if people aren't paying attention, you're I don't right. Even know I'm if sorry. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's just becoming too much of a battle report here. I'm sorry. Audience, um, I've got your back right now. Yes, you do. But basically, Manfred and Harkin realize they've got to do something, or Manfred realizes he's got to do something. So they kill the great unclean one together. And then, Let's back up for a sec. Let's back up when, when Manfred bails. Manfred has. So he's watching Vlad wade out further and further into these zombies and, and slaughtering. And. Manfred has a, a bit of a conflict within himself because he's watching Vlad and he thinks to himself, okay, I can go over there and get Vlad's back or I can bail. Vlad will die. And if he dies, then I, I achieve that victory of seeing Vlad die. Um, but I don't have to deal with, with uh, uh, Nagash being mad at me because I didn't kill him. This nameless, this, these other folks killed him. Um, but if I, if he dies, then we lose a huge ally in this fight. And so this is, this I think is really telling about, about Manfred's sort of just his character in general is ultimately he says, ah, screw Vlad, go, 
go get yourself killed, kid, and lets Vlad wait out there by himself and bails on him, even though this could ultimately destroy everything that they're working for. You know, he he's that petty. Yep. And he's just he he is not one who sees the forest for the trees. I mean, it literally says here. Um, he watches Vlad go under that pile of zombies. On one hand, it warms his cold heart to see Vlad go to to see Vlad so ignominiously slain. On the other, he knew his own chance of survival will greatly diminish without his sire's aid. Great. Coming, coming to a decision, he held Huss's gaze long enough to sneer and then urge a cigarette back up the slope. And if Vlad was abandoned, like it's just like I he really will need cut him. his nose to spite his face. Exactly. That that is who Manfred is. And so he bails and. Uh, it's you know they kill this great unclean one and then all of a sudden everything stops and Isabella comes toward Manfred. Manfred jumps back. He's on the tread abyssal. He's pulling the thing back trying to get away. She touches his his ride, yep. and it, it's it's immediately more, starts falling apart. Right, but it's not just undead. It's part of a. It's a bit of a construct. It's got some sort of legendary magic from Nagash or something in it. So it's it's dis, it's disintegrating slower. Sure, powered by souls. Yeah, so he's gonna get away, uh, and I love this. Um, Harkin grabs onto the side of it and is hanging there like, ah, get me out of here too. And Manfred looks over and is just like, chomp, chops his arm off and drops yeah. him right back in there. Again, no. You know, yeah. I am I am a lone wolf. Have you not figured this out? <laughs> so he chops no. his arm off, he drops it. And then Isabella touches Harkin when he stands up. She's right there. Yep. And she touches him with the curse and he dis- disintegrates. Becomes wet guts. <laughs> And then Vlad kicks ass again. And he he's, did this in the first the book. He did this in the first book, taking over that guy's dragon from him. But here he's even more clever. Nameless has got him, right? He's surrounded by zombies. So Vlad's like, Vlad comes up with a point. He goes, I'm just going to summon everything here. I'm just going to call everything up that I can. And he calls up all this stuff around him Which is to defend one of him. these tactics I've, I've always wondered in all these books. If there are this many dead people things all over the entire old world why is this not constantly like vlad should never lose the the vampires in general should never lose if they can do this you know and literally bring how many does he bring back a thousand just immediately right well i mean look what i can do in the game if i can get the magic off i mean i've pulled 50 or 60 models on on a turn and in one of our games that's about a third to a half of my army i've pulled up in a turn I mean, I guess it's it, it happens essentially but yeah. pulling up Zombros and not pulling up something that can fight and right. something that's not that's not well armed and whatnot. So, I guess that's the difference here is, you know, zombies you can only do so much with, um, even if is, you have a thousand of them. It is but, really cool though, because here all of a sudden he named and nameless is like, you think I won't take these from you? And he takes all of them, and he's putting so much focus on all this that Vlad's like. And he sees apparently a crack in this like psychic cage that Luther Huss is stuck in. And so while Nameless is busy stealing back all the zombies, he focuses on that kink in the cage and starts hammering on it and calling Luther Huss like through these mental hammers on his thing. And Huss fights back. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And he fights his way out. Mm-hmm. And this was really cool. Uh, basically, um, he gets control of himself back and like, I mean, he he knew what was going on the entire time he was in there. He was subjected to all this. So when he gets out, you want to talk about righteous fury. 
because he just comes out and like prays to Sigmar, does one of those prayers to Sigmar, and he just glows. And basically, there's this shockwave that burns all the undead around him just drop. Everyone except Vlad, basically. All the zombies, all this stuff that's been summoned up drops. And all of a sudden, he starts to glow, and the Nameless burns up inside him and is dead. Like, Nameless is gone. And uh, then he looks at Vlad, and he knows what's going on. He knows Vlad's been fighting against him. And he actually, I think he knows that Vlad's been made well, a... he knows that. Yeah, he knows that Vlad is an uh, electric count. So he knows he's fighting with him. So he looks at him and doesn't kill him, decides to fight with him. And they go through this. They almost wipe out the entire the entire enemy. Like they're doing – in fact, I love the book describes it as, you know, there was there were deeds of bravery and, and stuff done here that you know no one would ever get to witness. But the two of them together, there have been few battles, you know, that, that were so one-sided in power that they, they turned it around, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, Isabella shows up and just gets Luther Huss. Oops, you're dead too. Yeah, he he showed up. He had his one moment of glory. Um, better than a lot of special characters in these books. Yep. But uh, he peaced out. Yep. Isabella gets rid of him, and then she. This is where she asks Vlad to come with her, and he's like, "I can't. I came back for you, and you know what's going on." And she's like, "Oh, you never. You know, basically, Nurgle." Like any good story where the demon's going to take you over, they're going to completely twist the truth to make you think the way they think. And so they've got Isabella believing that all these people looked down on her and treated her crappy. And so now she needs to get her revenge. And so Vlad's like, that's never how it was with us. Come on, baby. And she's like, well, you know what? You can just join me. And he's like, nah, dude, I I can't join you. I'm not doing this. You're, You're not you. You're gone. So he basically lets her come up and gives him a hug. Yeah, I mean, this was this was the big moment, right? Is he um, he's face to face with her? We know what's going to happen if if she touches him, and at the same time, he, he well, is, he knows uh, now too. He just saw her do it to Luther Huss, so yeah. But the the poison is really coming up strong in him, and he's like, what What was cool about this moment is when he talks to her, and he's like, "You're not." you're not my girl anymore. You know, I, I love Isabella and you aren't her. And he sees the demon inside him. He knows what he's talking to. And he doesn't do the, like, um, the sort of teen angsty thing of like, ah, screw it. I'm going to be with you forever. No matter what he, he says, "Ah, I love my girl, but you're not my girl. So, we're going to change some things here. We're we're not going to we're not I'm not going to go bad. I I would rather peace out than hang out with you. Hey, you I was stink. dead. I came back just for you. You're not right. here anymore, so I so, I'll go back to being dead. I'm happy. Send me you. back. Right. And she does. And I love that this is all a trick. Like he's got a plan. I mean, he yeah. does. You got to love that Von Karstein ring. You got to love it. So, let me ask you because I'm aware of the Von Karstein ring, so it it when he dies, uh, it brings him back with a wound within 12 inches or you know, right. whatever it is in the game. But you know, um, story wise, it brings him back at some location at at some future date. I don't know exactly how it works. Like, is he just his body lays there for a while and he stands back up? I I don't know. But did he know that if he were to die, he would? the ring would guarantee work and 
that um, the the Glotkin poison would have run its course because it it can't work in a dead body. I think it gives him. I mean, it pretty much like remake. Like whenever he comes back in any of the stories, he is just like brand new. It's almost like it just it's like you know it re- it makes a new him almost. Yeah, I so I mean, whatever burnt out where he's completely burnt and destroyed. I mean, I think the one Nurgle curse destroyed the other one basically. I didn't when I read this. I didn't think he would come back. I I didn't think that's where they were headed because they've killed so many special characters all the time. I didn't either, and, and I thought that was kind of nice. Like he's like, no, nope, you yeah, know, what? he had a great moment where he stayed himself and didn't give in to temptation and. He was this, even though he's a bad guy, he's this character that's actually pretty sweet to follow, you know? But and then he when he shows up again later, way. it's like, I, I, like, wait, what? And then it happens, they explain what happened. Like, oh, that's even better. It, it was cool when he showed up again, and I'm not mad at him. Um, you know, I thought, I thought they did something cool there that I didn't see coming, but that narratively makes total sense. It was uh, very mostly. cool. It was so, very cool because he kept to, he kept to his principles, and it, but in the end he still managed to figure out something that sort of worked for everybody. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was really cool. Like you said, this is this is one of the best parts in the yep. in the book is his story. Yep. Oh, and then meanwhile, back at Ar- <laughs> back at the Hall of Doom, uh, Archeon is the Skaven uh, uh, vermin lord there, the one that the one that popped uh, Valton's head. And he tells him he needs him to dig under Everheim for something. And of course, they got to be the part where the Skaven acts like, "Oh, I, uh, sure, I won't steal it. Let me just dig it up. I promise I won't steal it." And then Archeon's like, "You know, if you steal it, there, I would stop at nothing to destroy you. It would kill you, or I would kill you." So the important part, I think, here um, isn't so much his Archeon's relationship with the the Vermin Lord as that. What he's asking the Vermin Lord to do to go get this, what is essentially the plot MacGuffin, this is sort of the main plot of this book, is that Archaon has a ritual, and to pull off the ritual, he needs this MacGuffin. And so, go get me the MacGuffin, right? Well, he needs someone to tunnel, and that's what Skaven do, but Skaven also steals stuff, so he's got to give him that but yeah you're right i mean this is basically there they've been tunneling for him the whole book have him do it now this one too might as well yeah i mean as we've been reading this book a lot of things are happening here and there but this is finally the okay we are putting the an actual final plan into motion here it is we have to go get this thing and then we're going to do something with it right pay attention right so um that's pretty much it. They say, "Okay, we'll dig it up." Like there's the, there's the. It's literally one column. You know, it's a, it's a sidebar. Um, you know what? Let's take a break and come back and actually fight the battle that's going to be fought. Because um, basically, Manfred gets back to nine demons where the pyramid is, and he's like, "They're coming!" And then we get that fight. So, okay, we'll get that on the other side. The Emperor was still on one knee as Gelt approached. 
The wizard slid from Quicksilver's saddle and offered a hand to his liege. You found your way home, the emperor asked, and Gelt knew he wasn't talking about the journey from Sylvania to Everheim. Eventually, the wizard replied, grunting with effort as he hauled the other to his feet. I will atone if you allow it. Today was a good start, I think. The emperor's face was inscrutable, but Gelt felt a part of his burden slip away. Whether any of us will see another dawn, however... Across the refuge, wounded moaned. Able-bodied men and dwarfs walked amongst them, tending what harm as they could and ending the misery of those who were beyond salvation. To the north, the Slayer King denied battle by the Wall of Steel, slaughtered the Northlanders cornered on their side of the wall. Then, they brought forth wet stones and honed their axes. They knew, as Gelt did, that the battle was not yet ended. The Emperor walked the four paces to where Schwarzhelm's mangled body lay, recognizable only because of the tattered yellows of the Imperial Standard. Gelt saw his lips move, but heard none of the words. This was partly because they were so softly spoken, but mostly because the greater part of his concentration was given over to keeping his wall of steel hail under the Northlander's blows. Time was running out. What did you do that for, lad? Ungrim's angry voice cut across Gelt's thoughts. I was about to cleave his gilded helm from his shoulders. You were not, Lord King. The Emperor corrected, looking up at last from Shortshelm's body. I thought as you did, but the gods have lavished their power upon him. He has grown too mighty. None of us can match him alone. Then we'll face him together, you and I. Ungrim growled. Gelt saw Karl Franz shake his head. My power is lost to me. We can die, or we can flee. The Emperor shifted his gaze to Gelt. Assuming the option of flight is still open to us? Gelt looked around the refugee he had created, trying to ignore the pounding in his head whose timing matched precisely with the sword and axe blows on the wall of steel. I cannot take us all, he said at last, and I cannot take us far. Then leave me and mine behind, Ungrim commanded. The sons of Kazakh Rendum will make these doofkrak regret they ever came to Averheim. Out of the question, said the Emperor. We will not abandon you. A deafening bellow sounded from the southeast, drawing Gelt's gaze and the gaze of every warrior yet alive within the refuge. High above and far distant, a bloodthirster's monstrous form was silhouetted upon Averberg's outer wall. Harsh horn cries and thousands of cruel voices rose up from the fortress in answer, and the clanging against the refuge wall grew louder. Ungrim took a step forward, his voice low. Listen, lad. We're dealt what we're dealt. Either some of us die, or all of us do. Take your monlings. Take the lads from Zufbar and go. The Emperor hesitated, then gave a slow nod. Away to the south, a second bellow announced that the bloodthirster had left his eyrie. Gelt wasted no more time, but reached into Kamon once again, savoring the strange metallic taste that came with it. His vision swam beneath golden light as the magic took over. His last glimpse before the transmutation of Karl Franz offering Ungrim an old dwarf in salute. And the last sound he heard was the Slayer King addressing the sons of Kazakh Rendum one last time. Axes up, lads. We'll give these crinkers a fight they'll not soon forget. We are back. And we are back, and Manfred is back. And he is telling Nagash, or he, he doesn't actually get to see Nagash. He has to talk to Archon, the black, because A, he's not important enough to see Nagash, and Nagash is busy. B, he's very busy, sucking up all the, the magic. So uh, Nagash, 
apparently he sees them lining up all the force. Like, okay, Nagash already knows he's lost. So he goes to tell Archon and make sure to put himself in the best light. Everybody else screwed stuff up. I was doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't let it go unpunished, even though they know they need him. So they're like, well, you go... And you go, you're the messenger boy now. You get to go ask Neferata to come back because we need someone who could win a fight, maybe. And so he's all offended and he goes. And basically, I mean, she's got nothing left. She has no reason not to go fight with him, which she she says, okay, like very easily. Because basically while she was gone, all sorts of stuff busted in and robbed her. So she had none of her wealth there. And with all the destruction in the Empire, all of her connections and her information web is gone, too. So she's basically alone. So she's like, okay, I'll go with. And that was it for her. Like, they go back. Um, and then we're back at the battle. And there's Archon. And he tells Krell, go slow down Isabella. And they realize that she's like the anchor for this whole army. <coughs> Get her, the army will dissipate. That was the She was the, you know, the linchpin here. So... They're going to go up, and they, they set it up so there's only one way for her to get into the city. So they've got her funneled. They're doing all the things right, you know, plotting, planning. And um, they got Neferat on the west flank, Manfred on the east flank, Arcan and Krell up the center. Everything fighting, fighting, fighting. Uh, meanwhile, Ikid Claw's tunneling under the Black Pyramid. And this whole attack is dependent on him getting there in time. And they've had a horrible time of it. They go into all this stuff about how the... the place keeps collapsing on them and there's all this death magic around if they dig and accidentally dig into the lake death magic pours in to the tunnel right. and just kills them all right if they if they accidentally crack it open and the water the purple water of death flows down uh you're gonna be awash in, in death magic which, yeah while it doesn't specifically describe what what that means uh, we can we can make some assumptions right <laughs> it's a bad thing it can't be great. Yeah. So this is the point where Nagash wakes up, and he feels that Isabella's here, and he's like, "How? Really? You're coming here?" And so he gets pissed, and he gets up, and he's like, "I'm going to go out there myself. I can't believe someone is all the way here." Uh, and that's when they call all these like hundreds of more guests hiding in the death magic pool because they're not a normal undead constructs, so they can handle it. Right. So that was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. That was he's the trap. Got his backup bros hiding in the moat. Yeah. And they go flying in, and Krell is going after Isabella. And I love, I love this uh, Scrofalox, whoever this demon is that she brings in with him, uh, with her. And he's like leading the army, and he starts giving out orders. And apparently, the Nurglings can do a perfect impression of him. Mm-hmm. So they just start giving other orders, and so the lines just keep. They basically screw up the entire army and cause all sorts of confusion, because that's what Nurglings do. They're like, sure. they're like the minions. Of the Warhammer world. Um, and then the Beast of Nurgle come to play again. Your boys. They're so fun. They really are. Here, hold on. What is this right here? Um, see, three of the beasts caught sight of the Legion's black banner twitching in the dark. Deciding that the ancient rag had all the makings of an excellent toy, they lumbered <laughs> joyfully towards it, ungainly mouths salivating in anticipation. It was doubtful the demons even saw most of the dozen whites they trampled. So fixed was their attention on the dubious prize. Then of the undead warriors clustered around the Legion's banner, only Krell stood firm. As a beast pounced towards him, the Mortark of Despair braced his legs and leaned into the impact. The pauldron of Krell's armor slammed into the creature's capacious gut, causing the demon to draw back, an expression of puzzlement on his drooling face. The confusion did not last long. Krell's gauntleted hand shifted the black axe's grip, 
and the enhanced chanted blade came around to sever the beast's fleshy head. The other two demons, startled out of their playful fug by their fellow's demise, burbled angrily and romped towards Krell. It's like, hey! And then he kills right. them, too. It's just, they're, they're, they're these, like, like you said, they're like puppies. Big dumb pups. Yep. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Uh, in the middle of all of this weird demon stuff, you've got these things. Which is like, <laughs> well, the the one nice thing is, like, you know, we we keep seeing, you know, blood letters and blood rippers and uh, blood getters and whatever the hell. And, you know, th- that's great and all, but there's absolutely no personality in the way they describe corn. Um, and really, even even Zinch and, and Slanesh aren't treated with a ton of personality in this one, but um, they lavish both the Nerglings and the, the Beast with a ton of, of descriptive personality. And so they become actually kind of fun and interesting to watch, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, so let's see what happens. Okay, basically, they can't kill it as fast as Archon can raise it, so he's totally winning. And here's where you get the Nurgle Ex Machina. And uh, he looks over and says, you're losing. Uh, Here, let me help. And tips his giant cauldron over, Mm -hmm. and greasy boiling rain, thick, greasy boiling rain pours down on everything. Um, and wherever the pool, the water puddles up, arms come out and start pulling the undead through there. See, I, I liked it. I, I mean, it's another whole, puddle where they come through. It's, it's happens throughout the whole book. The whole concept of the Deus Ex Machina of, you know, God taking over at the end because we don't know what to do with the narrative structure. Um, it, it's so well known and, and kind of laughable. Um, but here, literally, they're using gods rather than you know, you know, the rock showing up at the end of the movie or whatever. No, you, you, you know what? You sold me on it. I, I, I you know, it, it does, it does fit with the fluff and with the story line, and it works. I, I, I'm just pointing just out that it just keeps happening. You yeah, know? it's it's great though. Um, I love Isabella finally opens up her chalice, which in the game it always can heal you. And now she pulls it out, and this, this, this fog, this smoke, this gunk comes out of it, and everything that gets in its way just dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, except Krell. Although Krell's armor starts to deteriorate, and he starts to get sickly. Yeah, but it hurts him too. His magic is just way too powerful that's keeping him together, though. This is, this is not enough. But then the Great Unclean One picks him up and eats him. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, just eats him, and he's gone. And then the gas shows up, and the great unclean one's like, "I'm out of here." But it does mention how he feels sick from Krell yeah, being in him. Not feeling so great. We got we got grumblies in the tummy. And doesn't he puke him up or something? Because he comes back. I mean, he he comes back. I don't know. I can't recall where it specifically said he's not dead. But again, we didn't see him get his head chopped off, and that's sort of the key in this series. Right, well, and right at the end of the chapter, he, he uh, Nagash resurrects Archon and Krell. He's like, they don't deserve it, but I need them. So he was right. like, I just picture Krell getting resurrected inside the Great Unclean One's belly and right, chopping his way out. Carving his way exactly. out. Absolutely. You could totally see that. So um, all this is happening, and uh, all this stuff is just falling apart. Uh, and meanwhile, the Skaven have tunneled under the Black Pyramid, okay? And they're setting up warp bombs to warp blow the pyramid. Bombs. And one of the guardians of the pyramid, Verisoth, there's, you know, another who, it's a tomb guardian guy number one. We give him a name for his, for his chapter, or for his three paragraphs. Sure. 
But this guy tries to warn Nagashi. Nagashi is so pissed about being out there and fighting that he's not even listening. And so this guy, you know, he's going to take them on. And so he starts bringing all the constructs to life. And he's taking on this game. And he's doing a good job. And, dude, the the uh, Mortis engine, the way they desc- – I love when they describe the cool things and they work way better than in the game. Sure. Because uh, what do I got here? What's this? Uh, let's see. Column one third. Okay. Um, where is it? Let me find this part. Oh, here we go. Uh, Verisoth had waited in the shadows while the battle raged, allowing the unholy relic upon his throne to feast upon the death and destruction. Now, as the mortis engine glided forward, the necromancer cracked the reliquary seals and reverently lifted the blackened skull high. At once, pale spectral energy blazed from the skull's eye sockets, crazed streamers of death magic that sought living essence. Where they struck, clan rats fell dead, their lives instantly extinguished. Worse for the ratmen, the magic empowered the skeletal guardians, re-knitting broken bones and driving them to the fight with renewed vigor. I'm like, oh, this is so cool! Hey, in the in the VC book, when it's describing mortis engines, like it describes that lockbox on the back. The does it ever, Yeah, does it ever go into what's in there? Like, did did we know that it was bones of a dead vampire? Or well, whatever? yeah, that's what a reliquary is. A reliquary is like a little a well, lotty freaking dad, Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> Son of a- <laughs> well, no, literally, Everybody a relic- knows that, you dummy. No, I'm sorry, I only know it because when I was teaching religious ed, we had to teach the kids where they used to keep the saints' bones in the small little, the small mini coffins with bits of their bones, maybe not all of their bones, but at least some of them. They're reliquaries. So they have this thing back there, and it's got the bones of a dead man, and it just he, he charges it up and then opens it. I mean, in the game, you just pay 20 extra points, and that's where you get, uh, you get uh, to add, uh, I think what is it like plus one to all your casting attempts if you're uh, uh, casting lore of vampires. All right. If you're within twelve inches of it, that or it's, I don't think it's an extra d six. I think it's like a plus one, but it's still a level four is now a level five around Damn this it. thing. Um, Got it. But if you if you if you miscast, it does this. Uh, it it does it'll do it'll pump out damage, but it's kind of cool. He picks it up and you hear it just blasting out, and that you know that's the pulse at the beginning of every turn. If you've got it, that beginning of every turn, there's that that pulse, and it kills anything around it and revives your troops. So it was kind of cool to see it described in action because it's actually sure. a pretty cool toy to play with. So all right, that was just for me. I as as a fan of that thing, it's like oh wow, it worked really cool. Um, so the warp bombs go off anyway. He can't stop them, and the black pyramid starts to crumble. Takes almost an hour for the last bits of debris to settle. Damn, about a junk. Yeah, I mean they get them off right in the corner parts, and they drop the corner of the pyramid, uh, the one corner, and the pyramid just slowly starts to fall apart, and he can't stop it, and it just keeps falling. As stuff hits, it shakes it. More stuff breaks off. <laughs> you picture the gosh I'm just picturing the gosh turning around. Yeah, he's gonna be mad, dude. And he's just staring open mouthed at the pyramid for fifty minutes. Essentially that's his battery, right? That the the pyramid and to a lesser extent the moat around the pyramid is his death magic juice. The pyramid is converting all that lake of magic into pure energy and pumping it into him. Like it's the, the pyramid is his conduit. Plus they actually point out that the the pyramid is older than pretty much anything in the New World. I mean, it's older than absolutely anything in the New World. Um, uh, remind me, why is it in Sylvania? Didn't it used to be down in Kemri? Did yes, they, that's why he, he went down it? there. In the first book, he kicked their ass, right. went in the pyramid, and then it 
He flew it away. He flew it. He did. It just it came out of the ground and started to fly away. Hell, you know what? If the if the how dare you? If the lizard men can do how it, how dare you? He's got his version. Because like, son of a best magician on the planet who's not a slant apparently, so or best wizard, so whatever. Okay, so bottom line is he loses his. Nagash is going to be super salty because somebody just poured water on his batteries. Yeah, and so basically, he re- I mean, his plans to become a god just ended when that thing crumbled. The one thing he's had with him since the like the beginning of time has been his power source. Everything he's got was built off this, and it crumbles in front of him. That's this pretty- feels like a, a major thing. Is this? Would you call this a major thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as far as right. for Nagash, this is the biggest calamity that he could have. I just loved oh, it. Calamity, that's fun. Oh, thank you. Um, so he lets out this blast. He's like, he just like, he like falls on his knees and puts his fists up and screams and lets out. And this blast of death energy kills everything that's demonic. You know, not his guys, but everything that's against him just drops and gets killed. Uh, It knocks Isabella like a quarter mile. And then she smashes into a wall, and she's kind of broke, broken and busted and laying there while the demon is patching her up and screaming. Nagash. And then when Nagash finishes all his screaming, he realizes, holy crap, I just, like, blew half my power, my, half my battery on that. Yeah, and yeah. I, and that, that's the other thing is, in addition to his literal battery being gone, the power that he does have still coursing through his veins, he just blows out when he screams Khan to the skies, right? <laughs> yes! And so now he's only as strong as the other incarnates. Right. So we've effectively dialed him back. He was too broken. We released an FAQ. Now he's playable. But he's screwed. So he basically resurrects Archon and Krell and says, well, let's go. Where are we going? Atholorin. Sure. Hey, look, they wanted my help. Now I I really, I'll give it to them. I could use them. Yeah, whatever. let's, Let's see what Carl wants. Yeah, and it's so funny how he doesn't even get when they show up there. Like, what do you mean you might not want my help? Like, he can't figure out what, what? You're getting ahead of ourselves. A little bit, a little bit. So I guess here, let's start up Chapter 3 and get up to the first big battle, then we'll take a break. Okay. Do that? okay. Chapter 3, Hope Reborn, Spring of 26 to Autumn of 28. Or t- Again, there's your, there's your hope, right? Yep. And here's Chapter 3. All those guys who took off in Chapter 1 and the gosh who just took off at the end of Chapter 2, this is where everybody's heading. Um, love- the, and, and, and the reason why, it's the only place that's left, right? Yeah, I mean, basically. Everything else in the world has been leveled. And so all the elves are already here. The men of the Empire are headed here. And the gosh is headed here. We're going to have a big palaver. We're going to have a powwow. Exactly, um, and right. now now the elves realize that chaos that the, the chaos is is just waxing so powerful because the weave you know like the the nature part of it is just going wonky and it's falling apart and they realize they literally say if this gets worse the world is going to start to be unmade. Yeah, so let's talk about what the weave is for a little bit, okay? Because this is a new concept, I think, isn't it? Uh, I'd certainly never heard of the weave. I thought that was in one of the army books, basically talking a little bit about it with oh, their okay. magic. I thought it was, but it might not be. But okay. basically, it's that it's it's the opposite of it's it's the, it's it's life. It's growing. It's the planet. It's nature. It's all these things. 
I mean, but she totally tapped into it. Uh, what's her yeah, name? more than that, it's it's how it's all bound together. It's, it's like the force together. almost. Oh, binds us, yeah. surrounds us, penetrates right. us. So, mm. I, I, when 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 this came up here, and then it started coming up constantly every time we came back to um, to who is it, Alario? Yeah. Um, I thought, okay, this is them setting up Age of Sigmar right here. Is everyone's whatever this weave concept is that is sort of larger than life. When things will be destroyed, everyone's going to pile into the weave. I don't believe that that's actually what happens, but um, that's what it because they they lavished a lot of attention onto it for. Yeah. Sort well, of I mean, how I thought part of that had to do with that whole pocket dimension they built, and I'm like, okay, well they've got the pocket dimension going on, they've mm-hmm. saved the elves there, you know. This is as this weave's falling apart, we've got a new weave set up, but sure, nope, like you so, said, yeah, yeah, it, it a lot of things in play doesn't quite work out the way I thought it was gonna, whatever. And basically, even Athelord is is. It's, I mean, chaos is really taking a rain in here. The beastmen are attacking a lot more. Uh, some of the areas are just falling to demons. The outer, some of the outer realms are falling to demons. Uh, Drika opens up the wildwood and releases Coedal, the crazy tree man that she worships. This guy's great. So I used to play wood elves, and um, how did you pronounce it? I, I always just pronounce it Coedal. Coedal. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. He he's great. He's a crazy, essentially. Uh, I don't know if he's evil. Um, he's he, certainly crazy. We'll he hates call anyone evil. who's not a tree or, or a spirit. Yeah, he very, doesn't want the elves there. Hateful. He hates the elves. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so they had they had essentially via waystones locked him in a prison in the dark corner of Athalorn. And so Draka, who's just a crazy bee, decides, oh, yeah. "Hey, I got an idea. Why don't I let this escape prisoner out?" You know. <laughs> She does. She sets him free, and she's been trying to. I mean, she was. But you look, all these tree men have like, uh, you know, um, dryads that like sort of like take care of them and run with them. Because whenever right. one gets killed, all those dryads go crazy and attack the thing that killed it. Right. And, they and, are her handmaids. Right, and she is. She's his. Codil's like, and so she's nuts because hers. Yeah. He's been locked up. Um. Meanwhile, that's going on. Melikith and Alariel are busy defending Athaloran from all these attacks, and Helebron apparently is getting even crazier and crazier. Right? Yeah. So, like even the wood though, elves are like you got to tone her down, and yeah, even like, though the the dark elves are, you know, they're on our, our side now. Eh, this chick is still ludicrous. Oh yeah, and basically. People kept complaining about her and the way they're acting, and everyone's like, you know what? It's, it's just going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And finally, she gets into this battle. Imric is fighting these demons, and she shows up on the flank, chews through them, and her as as her witch elves are chewing through them, they come in contact with Imric's guys and kill some of them, too. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, killing everything. And then Imric comes back. He's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. This is not you, – you're not allowing this. There's no way you're allowing this. And Malekith doesn't want to say anything, but Alariel's like, nope, this is, this is done. And basically she outlaws the cult of the Blood Queen. She strips Hellebron of all her titles and all her duties. Sure. He's like, you know, you're done. You're, we've asked you to calm down. You can't you – need you need, we can't put you in charge of people if this is the way you're going to act. So, of course, Bellacor, who's in the – who's there too? Bellacor's there. 
skulking around trying to find some way to screw with Archon. So Belakor is one of my one of my favorite characters. I think he's great. He, you know, as this original demon prince who essentially wants to have the glory that that Archeon has. Um, yeah, he so resented being the one who had to crown, oh, and he hates Archeon. Oh, he he was imprisoned on Albion, and uh, uh, he got loose some time ago. He's but he's cool. I I dig him. Yes. And um, so he goes in there, and he basically starts twisting her thoughts, doing what demons do, lying to her, twisting the truth, basically shows her this phony baloney vision of her future, where Alariel is, like, throwing her over some wall, like, her dead body. And so she's like, well, she can't do that to me. And he's like, no, no, you should join with us. We're going to go kick their asses. And she's like, okay. And so she allies with the dark gods. And apparently she seems to have allied with, of all things, Corn, because obviously she can't ally with, ally with Slanesh. Slanesh wants to eat them. Corn hates Slanesh anyway. So might as well, you know, ally with him. Um, and so she takes off and goes with them. I love this part. <laughs> they cut back to the fire magic. This was funny. This was great. We got like a two paragraph thing. I don't know where the winds of fire are still looking for a host. And Von Horstman. You know the character, the, or the you know the guy who made a lot of these magic items in the Empire, right? But he's a bad guy, right? Um, he's, he's the smash part. cut to him just chilling in a basement lab somewhere, cooking up whatever he's trying to cook up, and uh, and he re- realizes fire's running around. He's like, "Oh, dude, I can yeah. take this," and he sucks in the wind of fire. But rather than become the incarnate, he can't handle it, and it just burns him up to a crisp. <laughs> Ashes. That was a great bet. (laughs) Just like, meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, and, you know, (laughs) oh, what was that? And then it just comes comes back to the story. Um, This is great. Here, the survivors of Everheim are just about to Ethelorin. I love how the dwarves have accepted Gelt, because as they're fighting their way there through all this stuff, Gelt has been hanging with the dwarves because his metal magic is he's basically all their runic armor is working awesome. All their blades stay super sharp when he's around. Right. Yeah. He's and, just kind of tossing metal juice at everybody as he, as he wanders through. Yeah. And so the dwarves, like with all their Grommel armor, and remember, these are the last of the dwarves who marched out to fight with Thorgrim. Every single one of them is wearing runic armor, runic helmet, uh, runic weapons. So for him to be able there and just boost all of that to them, like, they get bad ass. So they're mm-hmm. like, yep, you can stay with us. Um, and so they make it to the forest, and they're very careful. They're not cutting down any trees. They're making sure to only use dead wood, you know, because they don't want to offend the forest. Right. <laughs> and then uh, Scar Bloodrath shows up. Because, you know, Scar Bloodrath, remember him? Scar Bloodrath. <laughs> Blacker than the blackest black times infinity. How so, how is this dude different from Skull Taker? They're both corn demons who care nothing for anything but the killing. Well, this guy's not a demon. He's just like the captain of these new. No, that dude has become a demon. He's red skinned. He's got cloven hoofs. He's got the backwards legs. Does that he? Dude, oh, oh, oh my god! That dude has elevated his own stature to semi demonness, dude. Oh, I didn't realize that. I just thought he was like the baddest of these badasses. So, 
But he shows up at the force, and he's like, I'm going to get him. And Bellacor's there. He's like, dude, wait. If you jump in there, things are going to get screwed up. Let me get my people here first, because apparently Bellacor's got people. And he's like, then we'll go in together, and we got him. And Scar Bloodrath gives him the finger and heads on in. And then we get the big battle of the chasm. Yeah, all right. So we'll take a break, and we'll come back um, to the battle of the chasm in just a few minutes. Archeon entered the gloomy chamber for the fifth time in as many days. As ever, a coven of robed cultists were gathered around the warped artifact. They were muttering incantations that the ever-chosen knew to be more theatrical than mystic. Not one of them had noted Archeon's arrival. Can we proceed? Archeon asked, his deep voice echoing from the polished walls. The cult sorcerer, his status betrayed by his golden mask, hastened across the carpet of broken stone. Upon reaching Archeon's side, he bowed obsequiously, the hooked nose of his mask almost scraping the rocky floor. It stirs to life. Without looking up, the sorcerer extended an arm towards the center of the chamber. See how it shines. Archeon stared directly at the warp artifact, seeking some change. His mortal eyes saw nothing out of the ordinary, merely a glistening black globe hung between two golden hemispheres. But when he looked with the eye of Shirian, he saw colors pulsing across its surface and strange lightning earthing through the golden metal. Can we proceed? Archeon asked again, allowing a hint of menace to creep into his tone. The sorcerer jerked his body upright in order to meet Archeon's gaze. If the dark gods will it. Beneath his helm, Archeon's lips twisted into a sneer. The sorcerer was a devout believer, as narrow and blinkered as the Ulricans who had called Middenheim their home. Pathetic. Wake it. Archeon commanded. The gods grow impatient, and so do I. An offering of souls will be needed, the sorcerer warned him. Then make it. The excavation is complete, but the slaves can still serve the gods. As can we all, the sorcerer put in, earning another unseen sneer. Archeon strode from the chamber without another word. The end was near. Okay, we are back for the Battle of the Chasm, and another dude says, not going to pay attention. Oh, yep. So the dwarves have fortified this really well, and nobody in their right mind would attack this way, the way they fortified. But Scar doesn't care. Blood for the blood god. And, and I'm so that. crazy. So um, basically he runs in, and they're attacking, and Gelt shows up and just throws this sphere. Uh, what is that level six spell on on, uh, on metal? Final transmutation or whatever it is? Final trans. Throws one down the right down the center of the street. And uh, turns uh, Scar Bloodrath into gold. Goodbye, Scar Bloodrath. Was that the big ball that he made? Is yeah. That this one? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I don't know. It, it turns him to gold and everyone else. And it should have gone farther, but it doesn't. And he doesn't know why. And then he turns around and he sees with his magic senses <sighs> a giant sword yeah. come <laughs> yeah. down and like go into the mountain and then right. twist and crack them. So Corn basically... Came down, Corn came down with his sword, stabbed the mountain, and then twisted it left and right to cause an earthquake and crack it open. Yep, yep. Corn saw some stuff happen, and he wanted to be a part of it. So we got the Corn Ex Machina coming in here. Uh, that kills a bunch of the dwarfs, and anyone 
where the where the where the sword twist happened and the big thing went, all those people turned to gold. The gold turned to powder on them and poof, and they were back. So sure. Scar's back. Uh, and the dwarves start to get in trouble now because they're tired and there's all these gold guys who they went past now have come back and are all over the place. So it's like, uh-oh. And it looks bad until the phoenixes arrive. This is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, they basically come down and they lay down these walls of fire. They just, like, spit fire down the... They nap- They put a layer of napalm between Scar Bloodrath's guys and the dwarves to give them a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who tries to go through it just dies, you know, so... And then the elves are doing really well, and then Scar gets mad and kills Karadrian's Frost Phoenix, Astari. And then Karadrian goes wonky and starts screaming and yelling. And they've already got this weird flame thing from the Flames of Assyrian, so Fire chooses Karadrian. Yeah, that was big moment, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. It was cool. Know. It worked. It worked. I mean, the character works with the whole fire motif. But even better than that is the phoenix. Yeah. Well, he uses the fire to kill Scar again. <sighs> now you're really dead. And then with all that firepower, Astari was reborn from the ashes. Absolutely. And now he's got a brand new, fresh, burning, hot fire phoenix to ride. Right. Which is the cooler of the two, even though in the gameplay the, the Frost Phoenix is much more you know better to play with. The nice burning phoenixes spitting fire and stuff are the cooler ones, in my opinion. Well, we'll see what it's like in Age of Sigmar. And so while this is... How are they on the other side? Um, so Bellacor is like, well, crap. Like, half of their generals came to fight this fight. Hey, nobody's by the Oak of Ages. So he goes to the Oak of Ages. Oak of Ages! <laughs> yep. There's yep. a little Def Leppard there for you. I gotcha. Uh, so, okay. So he's at the Oak of Ages, and he tries to destroy it. And if he destroys the Oak of Ages, that will weaken the weave even more. Like, it's all tied to this tree. Sure. This is the, the, weave, the symbol of nature. And if he breaks it. So, I've seen Avatar. I know how this thing works. <laughs> yep. But I love how before he goes in there, before he can get in there, he's like, okay, I got a couple of things to do. So the fighting's going on. He goes and finds Draca. He's like, look, I'll get them all out of here if you join with me. And she's so gone bonkers with everything going on. Draca joins him. So she turns to chaos. And then he goes and finds Naeth's mind, the, the, the head wizard or uh, spell weaver of the wood elves. And he, like, gets into her head and she, like, goes, like, you know, does, like, some astral projection or whatever. And so while she's out there looking around, he basically just starts jumping up and down behind her, screaming, hey, chaos, hey, Archeon. And so her spectral form, Archeon, his little third eye, sees her and catches her. And that then the chaos gods see her and they go, oh, spirit form, and just destroys her mind. And uh, that causes her to explode and, ca- and open a chaos gate. Like her whole house is a crater. Okay. And that, uh, that explosion rips open the vaults of winter. So basically all this horrible stuff is going on. And so everyone's like, oh, my God. And so while that's going on, you've got Kodil attacking with Draka and with all the dryads. You got a crap ton of demons coming because now this portal just opened and is letting them all out right in the middle of Ethelorin. And Hellebron is running in with her witch elves who have decided to join her back. Sure. Um, and okay, so meanwhile, <laughs> Teclis is under the Oak of Ages with Tyrion's so coffin the- and Melhandir. 
so the last time we saw Teclis was his cameo in Thankwall, wherein he appeared under uh, Middenheim to steal the flame of Ulrich, thus ending Middenheim's run. Yep. And so now he is under the Oak of Ages. Um, this dude just likes to be in the basement of stuff. Basically. Well, it's funny because he comes in with the coffin, but he's got the ghosts of his of other leaders who are helping carry it. <laughs> right, the ghosts of 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 old uh, high elves. Yeah, and so they're helping him carry it, and and they get this, and it might be in his mind or whatever. But basically, he's got Tyrion's coffin. Mm-hmm. And he's carrying Tyrion. And I love how he's under the Oak of Ages with Tyrion's coffin and Melhandir. So, like, however they got down there, there's enough room for the horse. Well, I, I mean. I mean, I don't know like exactly what's under of, there, but, yeah. It just seems yeah, like right. there's a there seems to be a lot of open space underneath this place that should be really secure. Uh, well, isn't that where they start walking on the the roots, the world roots, and and they get from A to oh, B? Yeah, so like whole armies so, can go under there. And, yeah, that's know. true. I guess so. Maybe they just don't notice because you think they would notice that Teclis was there. Is all I'm saying. With all these other things coming in, but they don't. And so he's under there, um, and this battle's going on. And he's under there doing his thing. Uh, Durthu shows up and kills um, Kodil in the big tree man battle. Sure. Yep. Um, and then Malekith is fighting off all these demons and kicking their ass, and all of a sudden he senses movement in the shadows since he's the incarnate shadow of Shadow. And so Shadow Blade is attacking. Oh, hey, Th- this I kind of dug this. You know, I mean, yeah. If if every special character has to make an appearance to make a death, they at least gave this one kind of a cool one versus some of these. You know. Yeah, Shadow Blade still works for Hellebron. She sent him after him. After he didn't stand up for her, she got banished. Mm-hmm. But Malekith sees him, knows he's coming because he's hiding in the shadows. Right. So he can tell he's there. He jumps out. Uh, Malekith tries to move, but he gets hit with the blade and he takes up the poison. But he knows the poison the Shadow Blade uses, and he's been slowly building an immunity <laughs> up for for years. Inconceivable. Yeah. What you do not smell is iocane powder. So that was he, great. He pulled the iocane powder stunt. On Shadowblade. So he gets stabbed, and it does burn, but he's dealing with it. And then basically he can just, like, jump between shadows at will. So yeah, they're fighting on the back of his dragon. Right. And the dragon's smart. So the dragon just flies them under the canopy of the forest and into the shadows. And suddenly Malkith just, like, disappears from the Shadowblade and pops up behind him and sticks a sword in his ribs. Yep. Peace. Yeah, cracks his ribs, boom. Pulls a sword out. He's standing there. Boom! Kicks him off the dragon. Yeah, he kicks him off the back of the dragon into the into the fight below, where you just assume he got trampled, and slaughtered. At this Although point, we didn't have to we see, didn't see we didn't see it, so he might pop up on the other side. On the other side, but we don't know. Can't, can't wait for that release. It's gonna be crazy. <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of craziness. But at this point, there is, if, if if you get thrown off of something really tall, you're pretty much out of the book. At least you sure. may or may not be dead, but you're out of the book. So the poison is slowing him down. Draca's all over him. Bellacor gets to the Oak of Ages, sinks his claws into it, and it starts poisoning it. Black lines start coming into it. Uh, the weave screams horribly. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, the black poison stops, backs up, and the tree glows with this white light. Right. Bellacor gets blown back like Marty McFly testing out the giant amp in the beginning of 
<laughs> he's flying back. And all of a sudden, you look, and this light goes, and Tyrion comes riding out of the tree. Pretty epic. On Melhander, just riding him down. And Bellacor just turns and runs. He's like, oh, I, no way. Well, I mean. He bails. I yeah, mean, I, wouldn't you? This dude oh, yeah. is the incarnate of uh, light. light magic. Yeah, it's, yeah. Tyrion and, is the anti-demon at this point. And it, it shoots out of his sword when he just holds it high. So, yeah, get the hell out of there, dude. Yeah, because he does that. And that light shines out and basically kills any – the light kills any demons it touches. And it actually – it cleanses the insanity from the forest spirits yep. and from yeah. the witch elves. Everyone except Hellebron, who is just way too far gone. She is crazier than, than crazy on – in crazy – she is the mayor of crazy town. Sure, crazy town rat. So let me ask you, um, this dude can ride around and hold his sword up over his head and all demons melt in its presence. And he showed up and did that for a second, but it like killed hundreds of the thousands that show up at like later. Like what were they being inconsistent or what what's what's going on here? I think that was his big entrance. I don't think they it's just, something he can use constantly, but look, I'm here. Well, maybe he needs a battery like Nagash's power plant. I don't know. Possibly. All right. They need those packs, those those nuclear packs that the Space Marines wear. Maybe they'll get those on the other side. <laughs> so. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> so uh, you find out that Tyrion was reborn through the flames of Ulrich. So Teclis went and just took out Ulrich's light. Because he yeah, needed that's, that's Tyrion. What he needed the, the ever dying light. Yeah. And right so back. basically, once they get rid of. Uh, they get Bellacor out. Um, the witch elves, like the one. The, the elves that were caught up in this insanity basically beg for forgiveness because the madness has been cleaned from them. Um, and Scar Bloodrath is dead, and his guys are dead too. Between the elves and the dwarves over there, they've basically mopped up while this was going on. Uh, and then Imric shows up, and he's pissed that he missed the whole battle. Mm-hmm. So he basically chases the demons all the way back to that rift and and destroys it, where Naeth was. Right. Because someone's got to close the damn warp gate. So, right. hey, we forgot to write Imric in. Let's send him. <laughs> so cynical. <laughs> so meanwhile, Archeon found the warp artifact and wants to know how long before they can tap its power. And they're like, as soon as the, the gods are ready. And he's like, well, what's okay, that? Yeah. Soon. So I think I'd, I'd, I'd implied that the um, – the uh, did, I, did I imply the wrong thing when I said this is the main MacGuffin? Because this, this warp rift artifact is the main MacGuffin. Yeah, I thought that's what we were talking about before, and then I think there was a little confusion between this and what was in Nagash's temple, right? Which was but, just destroying the Black Pyramid. This is yeah, the separate job here. But this is the key thing in the book: is this warp rift artifact that Arcan's got his hands on. Yep. Okay. And uh, now we got another big meeting because you got to have big meetings because now everybody's together, all the living people, and I love this part. Where Teclis, basically they got together and everyone's kind of saying where they've been and what's going on. And Tyrion's there. And like basically everyone's like, what's Tyrion doing back? And we all remember that Tyrion was completely insane and killing. And he was the bad guy like two books ago. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And so Teclis basically tells them, listen, 
I knew Tyrion had to be the uh, – we're here. Everyone who hears – okay, here. Uh, he explained that it had always been Tyrion's destiny to become the incarnate of light. However, had that fate come to pass while the curse of Anarion was in Tyrion's blood, the power would have been slave to the will of Cain or even darker gods. Thus, it had been necessary to set Tyrion on a path that would allow the curse to exhaust itself. Without the incarnate, Teclis argued no one had a chance of victory in the Ranadandra. Those who heard Teclis speak were all appalled, save two. Malekith was quite impressed that the mage had enacted such a ruthless plan, that Teclis had sacrificed thousands of his kinfolks, his own niece amongst them, in order to fulfill his goals. It was so audacious as to garner the mage a newfound and wholly alien respect from the Eternity King. <laughs> Although Teclis wouldn't have been happy. And Lilith knew it didn't care because it was her plan. But yeah, yeah so I, basically thought, I thought this the, was all cool. The yeah. entire third book, Teclis engineered him to become, to to basically, he engineered that civil war, brought Malekith in, and then made his brother. So there was a trick going on. Remember he said, don't try and trick me with this sword? And Malekith thought he was trying to trick him into taking the sword. Mm-hmm. And he was brought him there to force, to push Tyrion into going to get the sword. And then all this war happened so that Tyrion could die and lose the and the curse would be done, and he could bring Tyrion back curseless, kind of like what Vlad is yeah, doing. Yeah, it's the exact same concept of, it's of the Vlad needing to yeah. die to get rid of his Glatkin. It's fantastic, though. That was awesome, and it's like you know, everyone was. We were talking in the in the other books how cold, like like Teclis is cold. He will do anything that needs to get done. He's just as bad as as Malekith. And then he tells that he engineered the entire. Basically, book three was Teclis's fault. Because it had to happen for them to be here right now with what they needed them to be. And uh, I thought that was insane. It was fantastic, but it was insane. Um, and then Caradrian, Gelt, the emperor there. And they always call him the emperor now. Notice they stop calling him Carl Franz. Well, I, I think to a certain degree they just don't want to write Carl over and over again. Because even after he reveals himself as Sigmar... They will still refer to him as the emperor from time to time. Yeah. You know what it got me thinking? Uh, and I know this is a stupid thought. Well, you know, I'll bring it up at the end of the show. Remind me. But I, I love this thing where they keep calling him the emperor. But um, So there's another council. So now they can catch each other up on it again. Because um, you've got only people who aren't there are the whoever's got the wind of beast and the wind of death. The right. emperor has had his... Uh, heaven's magic smashed by, but it's still like there, like it's residual, like it can't, it's not completely separated from him. He just can't really use it, but it's there. Yeah, he's out of touch with it, but it's not like it's gone looking for a new host. He's right. still technically the incarnate of, of heavens. He's just not able to use the juice. They have right. no idea who the incarnate of beast is. No, they don't. It's just gone. They're like, um, I don't know. It went east, and uh, so hopefully whoever that is shows up. Exactly. Meanwhile, Jared is looking over at Lilith and can't believe how much she looks like the Lady of the Lake, and uh, this is great because... I, uh, yeah, I dug this. So, I, I mean, I remember um, being... I played both Bretts and Wood Elves, and... It was kind of well known that the Fae Enchantress was an elf, you know, riding on her unicorn, and all of her stats matched up with the the um, Wood Elf's mage. And then 
I it thought was, it, I mean, it's, it's something we all thought, but it was never really confirmed. I thought, and yeah, I, it it was pretty well known, I believe, from the people who had the books and read them, that the Lady of the Lake was essentially a construct by the Wood Elves to trick Bretonia into um, backing the Wood Elves' play. When, now, when I didn't know this, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know okay, that. Well, so, I mean, when they said it, it made sense, but I was like, wow. When they when they felt that betrayal, I was like, Ooh, I'd be pissed too a little bit. I could see what's going on here. It it wasn't one of those like they've been. I think Workshop, just generally speaking, has been confirming things a lot more, right? Um, and not being kind of so um, enigmatic about We're it. We're going to destroy the world anyway. Let's just give them answers. Yeah. So they they come out and flat out say that uh, she she literally is the Lady of the Lake, like, which they say in Chapter Four. But basically, he's looking at her, go, "Wow, she looks like the Lady of the Lake." Mm-hmm. Uh, while he's thinking that Manfred shows up with his huge ass undead army, and they all go out there, and Malekith's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Nagash is here, and he wishes to parley." Right. <laughs> okay. Uh... End of chapter three. That's literally where it ends. Now there, everybody's there except the incarnate of beasts, which we still don't know what happened with that. Right. I see the end of all you have planned, Tekla said, and the fall of your dark gods. Archaeon laughed, a heavy and hollow sound. Such defiance, even now. Have you truly no fear of me? Any other would have made a threat of those words, thought Teclas. But the ever-chosen's voice contained only honest inquiry. The man was an enigma. He cloaked himself in unyielding brutality. But there was a facet to his soul that reminded Teclas of his own twin brothers. Archeon made no gesture without cause and uttered no words without purpose. He was a black fire blazing at the heart of a world-consuming inferno. And yet Teclas could not shake the feeling that the man who had become the Ever-Chosen would have been one of the mortal realm's greatest heroes, had his path been but a little different. What would it matter, Teclas said. My life and death are irrelevant now. How easily those words came, he thought. Was this the same calm that Lilith had felt as she guided the dagger between her own ribs? Archaeon stared down at Teclas. The eyelets of the Everchosen's helmet were as black as the night, limpid pools of darkness that laid the mage's soul bare. Let me tell you what I see, Archaeon said. I see a battle already won, and the dying spasms of an age that is already ended. He hauled on the chain once again. This time, Teclas was unable to keep his balance, and fell heavily onto his knees before the Everchosen. But maybe I am mistaken, Archaeon mocked. Does one of your allies have the power to defeat all my armies? For that is what shall be needed. He leaned low in his saddle, his voice suddenly low, conspiratorial. Your brother, perhaps? Armies are not the only expressions of strength, Teclas said, shaking his head. And it will be the Emperor, not my brother, who brings about your doom. Archaon laughed at that, the booming tone soon taken up by his entourage. The Everchosen let the sound ring out for a few moments, then cut it short with a chop of his hand. Carl Franz is a weakling, he said dismissively, and turned his steed away. Teclas lurched to his feet as a chain between them went tight once more. He is not Carl Franz, he said, the words strangely clear above the distant din of battle. Archeon swung around, his voice low and dangerous. What did you say? Teclas met the Everchosen's empty stare without flinching, 
his thoughts drifting back to the golden presence at his side in Kingsglade. He is not Karl Franz. Not any longer. He is Sigmar. Did you really believe that the Heldenhammer would do nothing as you raised his empire? Sigmar is a lie! Broed Archeon. Tekla staggered as the back of the Everchosen's gauntlet smashed into the side of his mouth. He would have fallen had not the chain suddenly gone taut. We shall see, Tekla said calmly, recovering his balance. He spat a broken tooth onto the cobbles and wished that he felt as confident as he sounded. He spoke no other words as the column of knights descended into the blackness of the great excavation. But then we get into Chapter 4. You want to start up Chapter 4 here? I think we should. Sure. Uh, um, on the Edge of the Abyss. Autumn of 2528. Half the book. This is this, half the book, this chapter. This chapter is... Painfully I don't, long. I don't know that it's one chapter because it's all over the place. Yeah, in fact, I got to a point in my notes where I stopped and I, I got... I, think, I mean, I know it's one chapter because the book tells me it's one chapter, but I don't know that it should have been one chapter. Well, here's the thing. I have over two pages of notes. It's like over a quarter of my notes, almost a third of them is like this chapter. Mm-hmm. And the first half of it is what goes on, and then it's cuts into all these different battles. There's like five or six of them, just one after another where I have short notes on it. Because they go to that battle, and they all get scattered, so you have to have... Every battle detailed in every corner right. of the city, yeah. and it makes this chapter damn long. Yeah, so, so we'll we'll do our best yeah. here. But um, I okay, I love this part again that I mentioned earlier, where Nagash is galled that he has to parlay, but he realizes he can't take on six incarnates. He's like, I'm not powerful enough to take on all six of these guys anymore. I have to talk to them, although it makes me sick to think that I have to do this. Right. And um, and then Malekith just basically says he. Uh, he could be slain, and they would just take his uh, take the take the power from him. Yeah, yeah. They essentially threaten, like, "Hey, if we kill you, then um, death magic is going to go floating around, and it's going to land on someone else, and we don't really have to deal with you anymore." Right. Which I thought was like insightful and smart, you know. And I love how Gottfried Hammerson, who's one of the elves or the dwarves who survived. He's like, yeah, that's a really good plan. I like that because they hate Nagash. Then he realizes he realizes he's agreeing with Malekith, who has just as many things in the Book of Grudges, and he's just like, oh. Then he stopped. He stopped arguing for it because he could, he was like he was confused. He didn't know. I agree with you, but I can't agree with you. And uh, basically, Tekla says, well, there's no one. Whoever it's it's going to deem worthy is going to be just as bad, if not worse, than Nagash. Ah. And. Uh, yeah, it basically, Malekith, or uh, Nagash is just, um, he's hes sitting there silently. He found it nothing short of amusing that they chose to bicker, bicker while their army stood ready for war. By the way, at this point forward in the book, Nagash isn't a bad guy anymore. Like, he doesn't do anything naughty at all, you know? He's just the leader of the undead at this point. I mean, he really right. is. He's fighting on their side. He doesn't care about any of them. He's no, no worse I- than Malekith, really. It is just like I, I don't give a crap about anybody, but well, yeah, I would I would actually say he's a little better because Malekith still sort of has these thoughts where he's like, oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't be you know I'm I got these crazy serial killer thoughts, but I can't do it, 
you know, Nagash doesn't even seem to think like that at, at this point. He's just like, okay, A to B, B to C, drop the plan, let's go. You know, yeah. plan the work, work the plan, let's go, boys. But they're even talking here, and his arrogance, it did not occur to Nagash that his aloof superiority only made his opponents more determined to see him humbled. So as he's sitting there, and he's like, oh, all right, well, I was ready for this. And so then you get this little side box where he's like, listen, you know, your fear is without cause. The word of Nagash is inviolate. Like, you can't, my word is my bond. I'm a god. What do you do? And they're like, really? And he goes, yep, so I'll give you this. And Manfred's like, he's like, I know, you know, I, I have the architect of your of your daughter's death, Deterian. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, I've got the guy, and I'll give him to you, just as a sign of good faith. And, and Manfred's like, finally, Archon, the black's getting his. Guy comes up with the goddamn plan, does all this stuff. And he's like, Manfred right here did it. And Manfred's like, what? Oh, are you kidding me? So they uh, they take him and they wrap him up in uh, the the roots of the of the oak of ages, basically, or in the in the glen. Wrap around him, and he's being held uh, the roots underneath. Uh, yeah, they they put the they put blade. him in, in wood elf jail. Um, yeah, basically. So I think that that this makes sense in the context of the story. What bothers me, and I don't. I don't know how you really fix this with the way that they're telling this story and the scope and the and the speed. Um, story-wise, Manfred's in jail for all of about a paragraph and a half, maybe, and it's over like you know a, two pages. Like he goes in and then he gets out later on. He's literally been it, captured for about two days before he breaks out. Yeah, and at no, it it never feels like he's like going crazy or being punished or I don't know. There's just because, you know, as I had touched on earlier, it's the sort of cinematic where everything's external. There's no internal. Um, you never feel what, what Manfred's feeling. He's never introspective and in saying, Oh man, this is, I'm, I'm dummy or, or whatever he was thinking when he was just sit rotting in jail by himself. No, but um, I thought he was sort of being like he's in this in this helm being held together in a prison of life magic. Basically, I thought he was just sort of suffering. It seemed like because Vlad sort of shows up and doesn't even say anything to him, just shows him the von Karsting ring, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm back, dummy," and leaves him there. Yeah. So, uh, I, do, I I guess I just would have liked to see a little bit more of what Manfred was going through because as a character, again, he's one of the few that they they've really put some personality into and made it interesting in these books. Um, I shouldn't say one of a few. There's there's several, but um, they've definitely got me caring about him, so I would have liked to see more. But you mentioned Vlad, so one of the things that, and I don't know if we're going to get to it, but um, they kind of, much like they did with the Nameless and with Isabella, they try and hide Vlad for a minute here. Um, and he comes in later on wearing a cloak and they don't mention who it is it's like all the incarnates are here and one guy in a cloak oh that's right nagash is walking with archon and a guy in a cloak yeah that's right that's right and so they they obscure who the guy in the cloak is ultimately just to reveal that it's vlad and him showing the ring to um to manfred and saying haha uh, i i died when izzy touched me and look who's back back again i uh, it's a better reveal the, that you see you see him the same time manfred does 
than it, just to say he's in the he's walking with Nagash. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought he was dead. And then you know later he wiggles the ring. They just I do guess, it all at it, once, I it, guess. It just kind of felt a little lazy and a little. Um, they could have made it a much bigger moment if they'd given Vlad something to do upon his reveal of who he is, rather than just kind of a you know f you to to Manfred. Yeah, uh, it, it seemed petty and kind of beneath Vlad for how they've established what Vlad's about. You know, I would agree that, that he's just going to sneak in only to to give the finger to Manfred by revealing himself. It it, it wasn't quite right. But no, whatever. and then Bellacor finds Manfred too, because basically everybody can get anywhere in this place. I mean, <laughs> sure. it's really not a well-protected eternal glade. Like right. you know, he all got, these vampires and demons breaking into jail. Yeah, exactly. And so he finds Manfred, and Manfred barters his freedom for info, and he basically tells it, "Hey, I know demons like to you know feast on the goddesses and these things and their souls, and uh, you know that Lilith is a goddess." And he's like, oh, really? And he's like, yep. And he basically gives him that info, and Bellacor lets him go, and he decides he wants her blood. As soon as he can get her alone, he's going to pounce and kill her because a goddess's blood is worth it. So that's his plan. Meanwhile, and they do this again because you have to keep cutting back to Archeon every once in a while, like for a half a page, because otherwise it's just it's just council after meeting. Uh, Kabanda is there and he's pissed. He's like, I'm supposed to be out killing and you've got me overseeing slaves that are, you know, I'm not a minor. And, uh, okay. I mean, basically, you know, cause they're, they're sitting there and they're digging and he's like overseeing the digging and he's like, this is not, a, th- uh, this is not my job. Seriously. And so Archeon gives him more grief. And I love how Kabanda's like, he knows like, I'll kill you as soon as. You know, corn doesn't need you anymore, and he's like, and he, he knew he could do it, but he's like, he had no respect for him because yeah, if you're really worried that corn might not like it that you killed me, then you're not as tough as you think you are. It's like oof, and uh, so, but he basically cons him into by 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 pushing his buttons like this. We should be out getting that emperor. The emperor's nothing. No, he is. I tell you what, you want his skull for corn? Take it, but. You kill him. You take the skull. You bring me back his skin because I'm going to use it to make the upholstery on my on my throne. And uh, Kaban is like, I agree to that. And so, you know, now Arcan's basically got him wrestled and manipulated him enough to send him out after, just to cause all sorts of havoc among among the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how Arcan like really manipulates everybody. He manipulates just as well as the Emperor does. Sure. These people that are around him. And he's playing a much deeper game. I mean, killing off greater demons to summon other greater demons. You know, I mean, this he's 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 got the wherewithal to do a lot of crazy stuff in this book. I love it. I really do. Yeah, he's uh, I mean, he's the big bad and and he knows it and he he has he's a man of zero fear. He fears no consequence. So right. And but I'm can... saying but they really push it home like you were saying that he didn't have much to do in the last four books. Mm-hmm. And now everything he does is just vicious and tough and calculated, and and he's just spot on. It's fantastic. Right. Uh, so now they have another council because they've decided to agree to let Nagash in. So this goes on for days and days, and the dwarfs are like, you know what? Just let us know who we're going to kill when you guys make the decision. Everyone else is getting tired. Um, 
and Jared excuses himself, and Manfred wait, goes and finds him. You know, oh, by the way, Manfred, those two days in jail had gotten him so crazed and so <laughs> upset. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, it must have been that life magic must have been, like, tor- tormenting him or something. Because the second they freed him, no amount of guards were keeping him in. He killed everything yeah. that was guarding him in the Eternal Glade and broke off and never actually left Athelorn. Just, like, hung around, like, 50 feet down the road. Right. You know, and like nobody noticed. Nobody Just could stand figure it out. Just stay earshot of whatever they're up to. Exactly. And, you know, Ma- Malekith's not finding him in the shadows, you know. Right. You know, it's just like, okay, whatever. I'm just, I'm, I, I get what you're doing. So he basically is skulking around on the outskirts. He's the golem of the party. He, that's exactly what I thought at, at a certain point, too. I was like, okay, this, he, they need him in the mix. He's going to come into play later. So they can't get rid of him, but he's got no other agenda than just skulking at the moment. So yeah, so um, he he clearly will matter down the road. I'll tell. We'll, we'll go through what he does really quick, and then it's time for a break. Um, but basically, he finds Jared and he tells him all about Lilith because Lilith basically, when that Nagash Parley thing is happening, Lilith tries to get him all to to agree to do one thing now. And they don't want to listen. And she says, she calls, uh, they better listen to her because she is Lilith of the Moon and L- Ladriel of the Vale. And when Manfred hears that, he's like, I know about that Ladriel. Ladriel of the Vale, she's the, she's the Lady of the Lake. And so he's like, oh, this is too great. She's there. And so he tells Jared all of this. And Jared flips out. Right. Goes right back to the Glade. He's like, I want to talk to you now. And all the elves are like, oh, little human, what do you think? Like, who do you think you are? And he's like, I don't care. I want to talk to her now. And she sees and she's like, I think she kind of, uh uh-oh. So she's like, well, I'm going to go talk to him in private because whatever her plans are, she she realizes that this is not good. And I love their, I love their, I love their argument here. He's like, you used us. You you tricked us and cheated us and have used us, and our entire society has been built on your lies. Like, my whole life is a lie for your whims and for your plans, and that's crap. And she's like, listen, monkey man, I pulled you guys out of barbarism. I gave you a purpose. I gave you a goal. You're one of the most amazing group of humans on this planet because of me, so how dare you? Like, be pissed off at me for doing what I did. Plus, I, I, I think it needs to be said, um, when, when it was sort of revealed years ago that the Lady of the Lake was a wood elf, that was sort of all it was. At this point, the Lady of the Lake is actually still a goddess. So she didn't trick them that bad. You know what I mean? No, like, exactly. So I, I actually felt like... But he she manipulated them for overreacting. Elf. Well, think about this too. Look at the Brett book. They don't live too far from Athelorin. And how often does the wild hunt go into Bretonia? And how oh, yeah. often are they fighting with these crazy wood elves, right? And to mm-hmm. find out that their goddess was actually a goddess of the wood elves, and like all the all the fighting, all the t- I mean, basically everything bad that's happened to them also had to have come from her with all those. Attacks and those fighting from the wood elves and the things that go on. I'm just thinking that it, there's a lot of layers here that really kind of drive him nuts because this really does pretty much end it for them. Right. Uh, and she actually tells him, yeah, you know, I I needed you to do this because I needed your power. I needed your I needed to build all this so that I could build this haven. And I've I've built this place that, 
you're supposed to, you know, you're you guys are going to be the protectors of it until, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. But she gives him the basically explains Haven and remember at that one book when she sent off what's his name the wood elf to protect it, but when they showed up in the spirit world in the third book, like, you know, some of the some of the heads of the Bretonian guys were there as like her her helpers and stuff like that. So, like, she had a plan for them in the bigger picture. The problem is Bellacor's there and he hears all of this. Mm-hmm. And then she tells Jared that if he's mad, he can kill her. So she goes on on her knees and gives him her throat, and he actually pulls his sword, and he's going to kill her. Like, he's really mad, and Bellacor's like, no, I want that blood. So Bellacor attacks, and of course, he turns out he's a demon attacking her, and he protects her, you know, because it's whether whether it's an ingrained reaction or he's still, right. you know, whatever, he's not going to give her up bro. to this demon. Exactly. Um, and they fight, and, our, and uh, Bellacor crushes his legs. And then he goes to kill her, and then suddenly gets stabbed in the back because even though his legs were crushed, he stabs Bellacor in the spine. Um, and then Bellacor's about to stomp him, and then Tyrion and Malekith show up, and the light shines again, and he's like, oh, crap. Um, and I love this. Malekith binds him in the shadow so he can't, like, like get away. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrion puts a, uh, a basically a cage of uh, light magic around him to, to capture him. So he's going nowhere. And um, I love this because they've got him captured. They don't know what to do with him yet. They've got to decide what to do with him. Jared gets healed, but he's basically, he goes and finds all his Bretonians, and he's like, I got news for you. And now the Bretonians are sitting all by themselves, away from everybody. They're pissed. They're moody. Everyone's like, what's wrong with them? Um, but I guess the worst part here is with Lilith, because this is kind of cool. She just spilled the beans about her whole plan to save a pocket dimension, to save the elves, and to have something to rebuild, and Mal Bellicor just heard all about it. Mm-hmm. And so if he lives, he's going to go after it. If they let him go, he's going to go after Haven and destroy it and take all that power. If they kill him, his spirit goes back to the demon realm, and he tells the chaos gods, and now they lose it anyway. They're screwed. So, like, it's this lose-lose situation. She doesn't know what to do with him. Um, but they interrogate him. He basically, he basically cops and gives them Archaon's entire plan. Sure, I'll tell you what he's doing. What do I care? You probably can't stop him, and even if you do, that's just more glory for me because they just hate each other. Um. And when he tells him about this warp artifact, everyone's like, okay, well, what does this mean? And Teclis is the guy who's like, oh, no. And so then Teclis gets into the science of the magic science here. Because, okay, see, let's look, we got a polar gate on the north and we got a polar gate on the south. And see, what we got there is a balance of the poles, see? So the whole world is sort of going crazy, but it's still held together because of the balance. Now, we open a third one over here in the east, and there's nothing in the west. Now we're screwed. The whole planet's going to cave in on itself. Yeah, I don't fully understand. I mean, I, I can read English, so I, I know the words that he spoke, but I don't I don't think it was communicated super great. But essentially, what I got is <clears throat> this this MacGuffin will open a third chaos gate and will suck everything into it. Yep. Right? Because there's no... There's no balancing one on the other side. Sure. The north and south balance each other somehow so the world doesn't get torn apart. This third one's going to pull and mess up everything. So that's that's new fluff for 40K. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. A third warp gate, you know. 
whatever. So it's the okay. devil's tritones. But basically, the one cool thing does kind of come out of this. They don't know what to do with him, so they imprison Bellacor in a ruby out of off of Valerial's crown. I did dig that. That was kind of cool. So he's stuck there until the end of the world. He can't go back to chaos. He's cut off from chaos, but right. he can't die. So they've got him. And this is like the perfect answer for Lilith because it's like, oh, phew. We might see him on the other side. Hey, you could be. That Just Ruby. Saying. Yep. No. Ruby goes I into love, the rift, comes out. I love how they say he's stuck there till the end of the world. And I'm like, so like six weeks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like 50 more pages? He'll be okay. <laughs> you know, whatever. You know what? He might go completely crazy, though, because Manfred couldn't handle it for two days. And he's going to be in there for like six weeks. So, um, But then this is where it gets kind of sad. And this kind of – this. Oh, this kind of bugged me a little bit. Like, Lilith's like, oh, I can't hear Haven anymore. Like, a few days after that, Haven, the, like, her connection to it goes dead. Yeah, What? What? so what happened there? Um, apparently, Bellacor got word to somebody before he was completely locked down in a ruby because it's gone. Like, somebody found it. Was it Bellacor getting news across? Was it the cat? You never find out. It's just... Uh, you, you never find out, but that's one that... Is it really you know, even destroyed? Aside, we right. We could read about that on the other it side of Mage Sigmar, um, and that that could be something interesting. Who knows? But it, <laughs> for just wiping out Haven uh, in a sentence and not giving any like details or context clues as to what happened, that it, I just I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, exactly. And it just seemed like for this thing that they built up to be like. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, yeah, go on. Like, I, I, this is where, I mean, I know we've been joking around about show us the head or he's not dead. But uh, this, it just seemed like, well, you know, she doesn't know it's destroyed. She just knows she's lost contact with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It could be on the other side. And Teclas is pissed because now he finds out the whole time she's been using him. You really can't beat the Renadandra. I've been using all we did so I could pull up enough energy to do that. He's like, and now you just lost contact with it? Yep. Well, that's fantastic. Like, Texas so, is livid. The the Ranadandra, we really haven't explained that. That is uh, an elven prophecy that the, their name for Ragnarok or Apocalypse is Ranadandra. Yeah. And part of their prophecy is that when when it starts, there's no stopping it, and it will destroy the world. Yeah, they and go through so, cycles. The last one happened, you know, with the with the battle of the gods, the initial one. So it's Teclis's belief that the prophecy is a lie, and that his the sacrificing of his niece, the sacrificing of all the elves, all all the work he did in Cain, um, it's all adding up to something, which is that they are break going the to, cycle. Right, that they yeah. are going to best the prophecy, that they are going to prove it wrong, break the cycle save the world and so he's been doing all this with that greater purpose now that he's hearing this from her mouth he's devastated he's like wait a minute all that dirt i've been doing it's all for nothing so i'm just she's like i've been telling you that we couldn't save it from the beginning she basically said i've been telling you from the beginning that it's we can't really beat it And he's like yeah but i thought you were just being pessimistic like i didn't think you were like serious serious Mm. so this is done uh, and this is where Jared and the Bretts leave. They're like, you know what? Peace out. We're not being used by you guys anymore. F off. And they leave. And the Emperor's like, hey, Jared. And he's like, yeah, you and me, we're still cool, Carl. But the rest of these people can F off. And he, they leave. And that's it. They're out of the book, too. They're going to be on the other side. 
Jared's going to be the new Green Knight Guy Le Breton. You just watch. That's what's going to happen. Sure. Um, and this is where Tyrion starts talking to the Emperor off on the side. And he tells him, you know, hey, big talk from a guy who's wearing a skin that's not his own. Right. So now this is the point where they really start to make overtures that Carl Franz is not Carl Franz. Yeah. No, he's something different. And because Still he has, hasn't revealed yeah. it, but they're teasing. And at this point, I was fairly hooked as to, wait a minute, what? And I, I didn't even want to sit there and speculate as, as I was reading. But I just remember the feeling of like, oh, this is really starting to sweep me up. This is starting to move. And there's other layers going on. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, that's always the sign of a good story when you're not stopping to analyze and try to figure it out. You're like, I don't even care. I just want to see where, like, I don't need to figure it out. I want to be surprised. Let's just see where this goes. They've got me interested enough where I don't want to stop to try and put all the pieces together. I don't need to be smarter than the book. Yeah, I'm being swept away at this point, and I'm letting it happen. I'm enjoying it. But so, um, oh, so basically... Tyrion and the Emperor agree, listen, we've got to get everybody to agree to go to Middenheim. We have to go there. This is where this is all going down. This is where we've got to stop it. And, okay, meanwhile, the Beastmen have not stopped attacking the outer areas of Athelor this whole time. The Beastmen, so you can tell this is not important. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is where, what's his name? This is where, you know, Imric's been, because remember, he's not in any of these scenes, even though he's there with his dragons. And he's been off stopping this, and the beastmen are just basically throwing themselves at this and and dying by droves and trying to get Corn's attention because now that they can get marks again, they're like all about it, right? <laughs> so like they're just sacrificing those trying to get Corn's attention, and Corn is like not paying any attention. There's the Corn no machina going on here; it's not happening. Hey, hey um, so. Old fluff for Beastmen was that they would be, like, born to human families, like a goat would shoot out of the mom, and they'd be like, oh, God, and abandon it, and it would grow up to be a little Beastman Ungor. Is that still the the fluff? Is that the accepted? The last Beastmen book was there was a lot of the people by the castways with its warping abilities warped some people. Okay. And warped some babies, mutant babies would be thrown away, but some yep. people warped too, and then they would mate, and they'd be, they be, yeah, they were these things. Okay, so so beasts can can mate because I'm just I was trying to get a you don't sense see any of like female beasts. I'm not hurting who they're mating with, but uh, like I talked about, the humans, top of yeah, they, the, uh, ladies are not treated super great in Warhammer period. Um, and but what's I mean, those other guys, those weirdos that. Uh, Broodmares? Yeah, the things. Yeah, what were those those evil wizard things that? Uh, uh, they they were they're an old they're an old race. They're not in the game anymore, but because they, they were just gross, they would just capture women and mate with them. And oh yeah 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 oh yeah Was those it guys, the zotes. Yeah, the zotes. Yeah, that's kind of like it seems like that's how they're breeding. But whatever. So, but but beast man and beast woman do hook up, and that's where they make new beast babies? Is that... I, and I I'm, I'm never seen anything up, about beast women, so that's what I'm saying. I don't know. It looks like they're... I, I bring it up merely to try and get a sense of, like, if there are tens, hundreds, millions of thousands of these little beasties, um, you know, like, where are they coming from? Like, I was having issues with where the Skaven were coming from in the previous one, although they at least established the concept of thousands of broodmares and, right. you know, using... PEDs to to make fully formed Skaven babies. Right. 
uh, how are they getting all these beast mans? I don't know. I don't it know. It doesn't even matter because they just die. All right. I mean, they're, they're, they've become little more than a plot device. They are so – I mean, basically, hey, we're trying to get Korn's attention, and it fails, but Kabanda's there. And he's like, there's so, enough blood there sacrificing, and they're praying to Korn. I'll use it to call a blood hunt. So right. he okay. uses their sacrifice to call a blood hunt. And that's the ba- – you know, somebody had to die, and it needed to be more than just Skaven, I guess. So let's have the Beastmen be there. They're always in Athelorin anyway. And uh, tons of blood letters and other corn stuff starts pouring out. Skull cannons, 14 bloodthirsters of untold fury, and one bloodthirster of insensate rage. And all the Skaradrim or guys or whoever they are show up. Or the Skaradrim are the bloodthirsters. You got the Scaramores, any of those who are left. All of them are there going with Kabanda now to go get Karl Franz's skull. So right. after, yeah. still, still on the hunt for the skull. Yep. That's, and so now it's like the, now all these things show up in the forest, and of course everybody knows about it because you can't bring that much demon into the forest without people knowing what's going on. Um, so now everyone's got to fight them, and the king's glade is threatened, which is you know their sacred spot. So mm-hmm. basically, the whole friggin' forest wakes up at that point. Like anything near the king's glade comes to life. All the tree men, you know, come out of their sleepiness. And so now there's just tree men everywhere and dryads everywhere. The whole force says, no, no, we're not letting this happen. Right. And the then, ants go to war. Exactly. And then we spend almost four pages of everybody trying to kill Kabanda. Which is a lot of pages for this book, by the way. Yes, three I mean, to four pages and nobody can kill it. They just keep Special characters are getting literally one paragraph. Egram von Horseman got literally two sentences. Yep, and this so, guy's getting four pages of fighting. Buy this new model. It's so sweet. <laughs> you want all these blood letters, and this one's uh, the biggest blood letter. So, oh like, for three or four pages, they're trying to kill him, and everything they do to him, he just, like, shrugs it off. Like, I don't uh, care about pain. I don't care about nothing. Me, I don't feel it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, finally, after, like, four pages, the emperor's like, you know, he's here for me, and I can't let other people fight my battles. So then he, like, whistles. Hey, are you looking for me? And Kabanda's like, Grr! and he goes in after him, and then Malekith and Tyrion show up, and all three of them can't stop him. I know, three incarnates, and they can't. What? Kabanda of the third rank, This is he's like the badass of the badass bloodthirsters. No Why matter doesn't what this they dude do, just kill Archaon and just be like, blood for the blood god, here's a, here's a sweet he's skull? he's afraid because he's, he's Korn's chosen, and he doesn't want to upset Korn. It's the Whatever. only person he doesn't want to upset. Whatever. Um... I because mean, I don't, I don't think. I yeah, mean, this seeing is, this, is, this how, is crazy. Seeing is what happens both times. You know, Arkan and and not Carl Franz fight. Um, I I don't think Arkan could beat Kabanda. I I don't know, but this, yeah, because this is this is crazy. I mean, the, the stuff that happens to him. Just try to keep track of all the beatings he takes, and he's just like, don't care. Yeah. Um, seriously. I mean, but whatever that third rank is, I mean, Corn must love him because he's got a lot of power. So I then Alariel's telling the tree spirits like to get all the incarnates to her ASAP. Like tree men are running by and grabbing incarnates and running with them. Like literally, one of them runs by and grabs Carl Friends while Malekith and Tyrion, you know, because he's you know, just you know, go, we gotta go, gotta go. What the hell is Deathclaw doing then? They pick up the bird too. Must have. 
<laughs> scooped them up. Come on, birdie. You know. Um, and that's when you get the side page where the emperor decides, and he looks at Teclas and goes, we need a miracle right about now. And apparently Teclas is Miracle Max. Because, like, listen, you need to do this now. And Teclas like, what do you want me to do? He's like, you need to get us all out of here, and we need to get to Middenheim. And, I mean, they've been arguing about going to Middenheim for, like, a week. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is there's no way to crack Middenheim. That's part of the problem. There's a million guys between here and there. And there's, like, you know, us. You know, So he's like, you just got to get us there. And Teclas is like, I can't do it. There's no way to do it. He's like, you better figure out a way to do it, Teclas, because I'm the emperor. Because I'm a god. Yeah. And uh, it's our only hope to get there. And so Lilith is like, he's right, and we can get him there. All you got to do is stab me. And he's like, <laughs> what? And she's like, look, I failed you. Let my let, let my power of my spirit help save you and do something good. And basically, she's like, you know, my plans went to crap just about a half hour ago. So I'm crazy. out. So here, just use my power. So she puts the knife up to her breast but not right by her heart because she tells him i have to die slow right this has got to be painful because it's not even just a painful but if i die the power has gone you gotta you gotta drag this out so you can really suck on that power teat and uh (laughs) so he stabs her and he takes her power and now it's like i can see the universe and he's up above the thing and he sees all the incarnates glowing and he sees their armies glowing lighter and he's like everybody to midnight and scoops them all up in a giant like tornado and boom they wind up in oz they're in midnight they're scattered all over the place and then he passes out and when he wakes up he's chained up and archeon's like hey stupid how are you and he's all chained up uh, with, and there's runes all over the manacles that block his ability to channel magic. So, you know, so he's stuck. Um, but okay, but hey, he did it, and so they all pop in the city, and the fighting starts. And it's funny because they're like, it was dusk, and everyone was sort of, you know, coming home after work, and all the bad guys were like settling down to eat. And maybe take a nap. And, like, all these guys popped in and caught him unawares. And so, but everyone's all over the city. So now you're going to get everyone's little story. Nagash does my favorite thing right here in the beginning. This is where he shows up, and he's running through, and the Skaven are running away from his undead. And as he's going through, they have these slave cages with all the human slaves that they've captured. And they're like, Malekith would have just walked by and ignored him. Other, you know, Carl Franz might have tried to free him. Nagash just sends out this death pulse and kills them all. And this brings them all back. He's like, they're easier to work this way. See, he's Lord of Mercy. I told you. Yep. And he's a great guy. And someone was asking about this ass on the forums. They're like, dude, how could he, if, if there's that many Skaven, how could Nagash ever lose? He starts resurrecting the Skaven too. So he can, apparently. He's resurrecting everybody. He's like, I'm done. Hey, I got a crazy question. Yeah. So when Teclas transports everybody via magic. Yeah, and then so, he passes out as the magic takes him. First off, a couple things. We established that you really transporting a lot of people a great distance via magic isn't really a viable Easy. solution, right? Well, no, it can work. It just takes a ton of magic, and it's difficult. Like, okay, let's put it this way. Gelt was able to do it with a huge chunk of a, well, a smaller army, but he was able to, I mean, thousands of people probably as an incarnate. 
Techless's magical ability and knowledge is way past that, and he was just spoon-fed the power of a god. He was mainlining a god. When we were talking about Thanqual and we talked about the transatlantic okay. underwater, right. and you were like, well, maybe magic. Maybe they used it even though they didn't talk about it. There's no way that they used magic to transport those Skaven around based on what we're seeing here. I just wanted to, to, to put a point back in oh, my Oh, no, I, the Skaven were already there. They're in no Mittenheim. Way. I thought the Skaven were there. They were doing the tunneling for the excavation. No, we're, I'm talking about Forget it. No, what, you, wait, what, do, what did you mean? What, what are you talking about? No, now I'm not going to tell you. Now you'll never know. Listeners will know. You'll oh. never know. Oh, oh you're hurting you my feelings. It. Yep, you blew it. What the hell's going on? Oh, oh, yeah, my actual question, which <laughs> come get a no prize on this one, kid. Okay. Um, Teclas is able to zip-zap people to Middenheim, only they're kind of all over various parts of the city, yes? Right. But... When he zip zaps Carlin or Sigmar or whatever, Carl's men are with Carl. So how come like how come he could keep all the dudes wearing the red uniforms together? But like you know what I mean? <laughs> well, remember when he had the power and he could see the universe and he was floating above them and he saw them all glowing? Come on. They were color coded. Come on. Okay, you're right. I know you are right. I mean it, it's convenient at best. It, it certainly is. But yes. <laughs> now we get to tell a lot of different battle stories. So Almost. That's why. Uh, that's why. Yeah, because you got Alariel with her treatment, and they're <clears> surrounded <throat> by beastmen and beast monsters. And they're in trouble until the dwarves show up and blow the hell out of everything. And then, like I said, Tyrion and the Emperor pop up right near each other, too. Convenient. Because mm. they, they get along well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the cool part happens. What's that, buddy? Grimgor shows up. <laughs> Grimgore shows up, and Destiny has brought our seventh incarnate into the the fight. And how did how did he get shown up here? Teclas teleported him. Teclas never saw him, didn't know he was there, but when he was drunk on God power, said, I need to cut all the incarnates. And he got literally what he asked for. Isn't that lucky? That's pretty lucky. Well, I would say it's Destiny. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a high fantasy story, so it's destiny. Oh, okay. He can accidentally grab Grimgore, but he can't. It's unre- unreasonable to think that Carl's men landed near him. Grimgore's boys landed near him, and there's a lot more Grimgore boys than there That's are anybody true. else. Yeah. So Now, I on. did love this part where he comes in. Uh, let's see. Um, I loved everything about Grimgore. He was the ultimate. He's basically the Hulk in... In in Avengers, where he's just mad all the time, and they sort of semi are able to focus his rage a little bit later. You know, like he's it's kind of brilliant great. though. He is great. He makes me love the orcs. Like it makes yeah. you want to play them. I yeah. mean, here this this part where he comes in, the Greenskins warlord fought at the head, a massive broken toothed black orc whose axe danced a bloody whirlwind through the foe. Where he strode, shield walls split apart. Northlander champions collapsed headless, and the monstrous beast of the north felt dismembered amongst their own stinking fluids. He was tireless and, and as wild as the mountains. The warlord was furious at having been snatched unceremoniously from his granite throne, and that wrath lent further weight to his already punishing blows. He did not truly understand the power flowing through him he believed only that Gork's favor was upon him in truth the source of power and indeed his very presence mattered little Grimgor Ironhide never walked away from a fight so he's got the power of 
Gur, you know, the beast magic. Yep. Um, portion, <laughs> it rippled outward with every axe stroke. A portion of its earth-shaking might shared with those who fought with him. There were not just greenskins in his rank, but ogres, too. The tribes have been conquered months before and now fought for him. So it's ogres and orcs. And I, I love that that's about all the ogre kingdoms get is, oh, yeah, uh, Grimgore beat him, and now they work for him. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> what? You sp- GW, you guys spilled this much ink, and that's all you give the greens or the the ogres. The ogres. But I love that every time he swings his axe, he's like just basically. It's like, it's just that every time he swings it, a wave of the magic of Gur goes out and goes to the people around him. Yeah, I'm it's, just it's, like I'm just like picturing the priest like on holy days, or he like he walks around, and he dips that thing in the water, and he flicks water at everybody as he's walking down the aisle. It's like every time he swings the sword, just like bits of Gur magic just go flooding off the axe and just hitting people. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Gelt was doing the same thing to the dwarf uh, armor and and swords when he walked past. Exactly. Just sort of exuding this sweet power. Um, These are kind of the only two incarnates that do that, though. It's not like... Yeah. Well, no, no. When Nagash comes whirling through, he's just leveling, like, especially once we get down in the cavern. Oh, yeah. It makes that pretty clear. Um, But I don't know if Carl Franz is making making it rain all the time or what yeah but give him the uh give him this power of beast where he's got you know all this uh what is that beast what's the what's the spell the the one that everyone uses for amber beast? spear oh no that gets used all the time no. what's the one that what's the one that gives everybody wild form That's, or yeah the, the one that gives you the extra strength extra yeah he's probably yeah he's probably handing out Wisson's wild form like candy on Halloween exactly doesn't even know why, but that's what they do. They're all just trying to be harder and tougher and stronger, and yeah. this just makes them that these are what the orcs should be vicious, brutal fighting machines they're just they're like it's like an army of Tasmanian devils right just like spinning and axes and death uh, oh Kabanda got transported too because you know when you're throwing. Magical tornadoes around to take everybody across town. He might, and he just he gets his ass beat by this thing. It's like knocking him about as he's getting thrown through. Lands on the ground like head first, all pissed off and angry. He gets up, and there's all the Scaramore there, and they're like, "Oh, we worship you, Capando, the big demon." And he's like, "Get out of my way!" And like knocks half of them to death, and goes running off after. He's like, and then, hey, "You follow me." Head. Yep. Blood hunts back on, baby. I'm not out of this yet. Um, and I love Archeon knows they're under attack, but he's still sitting by on the throne with Galmaraz. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, I know the fight's going on, but I really, I got to go make sure they're going to start this damn artifact. Like, I don't have to fight yet. I need to make sure. And this is a- see, no this this was a great thing that this book did though, and um. <laughs> It's funny that this book is called Archaon, and he sits out most of the book. But I thought that that was brilliant. You know, they uh, like I had said earlier, Kabanda is basically the Archaon proxy for the big bad running through the story, um, because it 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 gives all of his actions, Archaon's actions, so much weight when he does show up and he's dictating this and that. Um, yep. He's doing it from a place of power and. And you better pay attention because his actions have serious ramifications in this story. Um, and it's not just swing sword, swing sword, swing sword. It's he's doing something, and you know, it's it's he's Darth Vader, man. When he walks on the screen, you know, something big's happening. Yep. 
Exactly. So and, uh, they used him very well in this one. This is actually really cool because he's like, Arkan's plan was never to conquer this planet. Arkan's plan was to destroy this planet. Like he want, He's bitter and angry. He doesn't want to rule. He hates this place, and he just wants it gone. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, this plan has to work. But meanwhile, there is all this stuff going on, and the chaos gods see what's happening. They're like, listen, why don't we send you some reinforcements just because they just got all their reinforcements. And, you know, chaos ex machina. So Sigvald and Throg and Isabella slash Balarog all show up. Right. And I love this because he sends them out to fight, and then he's going to go check out the artifact. And he's dragging Teclas with him because, you know, why not? Sure. I need someone to gloat over. So Tekla sees all this stuff and sees a palsy and looks and goes, you are so going to lose. And he's like, what? He's like, you lose. What do you mean I lost? Like, you know, all you guys are all weaklings. You, none of you can find me. I, I, I smashed your Carl Franz into nothing. He goes, that's, that's not Carl Franz. And then Arkin gets really pissed and looks at him and screams, Sigmar's a lie. Right. And it's like, oh, um, okay, crazy. Because this really does upset him. Well, maybe when he was, uh, you know, a knight of, of the Empire, he uh, had a crisis of faith. I don't really know his backstory. Well, but. it says something, and it mentions it here, that he reads from, like, the, what the dumbest, what the, this is like, oh, this is worse than the, you know, those titles of those people who wrote the Necronomicon. Like, when you read H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, it's like the mad Arab Alazred, and this is like, who did he read? He read, like... Loco Makoko the Desperate or something like that. I can't no, but... what what he was reading was Workshop released those those four different um, backgrounds on the four different chaos gods. Oh, and right. It was, ri- it was written from the perspective of a guy, and yeah, but I gave. I mean, I, oh, I know what he reads, and that's cool. But the name they give this guy, I, I wrote it down here somewhere, and it's just it's a, it's just like the silliest name, but whatever. All right, but. Um, that's where he says Sigmar's lie, and now we're going to get to, while he's down there making sure that this thing happens, we're going to get to all these battles. We got, like, I think four or five battles to go through for the rest of this chapter. But um, it is break time. So let's take a break, and we'll come back to the, starting with the Fall of Shadow, Death on the Overlook, Clash of Life and Death, Battle for Ulrich's Bones. All of those are in there, so. All right, we'll be back. Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, 
There's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. We are back. We're going to talk some battles here as they set up the final showdown, starting with the Fall of Shadow. Yes, yes. All the pieces I like this are on one. the big this board. Is, this is good. This um, We get a nice character arc with the Fall of Shadow. Yeah. In the form of Malekith. Malekith is driving through and killing Skaven like crazy. He realizes he's extending himself a bit far, that they're probably pulling him out. So he starts to get into a bit of a defensive position. And suddenly Grimgor shows up. And uh, this is awesome. I mean, he basically, Grimgor, like, knocks down a building on half the Skaven. And the ones who are left, he just starts killing. He's killing them. And then... He's the Hulk, man. Yeah. But then he sees these elves, and he's like, I'll kill them, too. Of course. And Malekith kind of, these guys are fighting with him, and Malekith's like, holy crap. He's like, we're not going to, we can't stop them. Like, my now, guys can't stop this. Now, did you at this point, let me think about how I'm asking this question. Does Malekith know Grimgor's an incarnate? He's very sensitive to the winds of magic. He might and have I asked something. because... He was pretty quick to pull the trigger on whipping spears and firing crossbows at these orcs as they kind of went in a different direction. And he really kind of got their attention and started beat. And I, it just struck me like maybe you shouldn't beat up the the orcs when you really need to beat up these corn crazies, you know? Right. Well, so he's, I, he's fighting with them and eventually he stops. You know, because he realized what's going on. This is kind of one of the cool parts. He jumps off and bends a knee and tells Grimgor, listen, I well, don't want to fight you. Yeah, he, he comes to a place of understanding that he he can't deal with, with Grimgor. Yep. And he gets a, and he's willing to swallow his pride. He goes, normally he would run away. That's the big thing is he would he's not going to be selfish anymore. He's he's not going to he's not going to bail on the battle and bail on his people who are getting their butts kicked by the orcs. He is going to say, "Look, man, you're better than we are." And uh he it, puts it's his a pride really nice aside. change for for Malekith. Yeah. I mean, he basically says he would have ditched his people, but he also I think he realizes, "Where am I going to ditch to? This is it." So he just swallows his pride and basically tells him, and I love the stuff here. You know, Malekith is like, no, Grimgor's the best. And he basically, Malekith says, no, you're not. What? Yeah. And he looks at him and he says, I came to this city to defeat a servant of the dark gods. The Ratman and the Northlanders all serve him, this ever chosen. He seeks to destroy this world and everything in it. And Grimgor's looking at him. And he goes, how can Grimgor be the best if the world dies by another's hand? And War- where is he? <laughs> He's like bottom of that pit i'll show you if you permit us to fight with you pointy ears are weak then we have no chance of stealing your glory and every opportunity to prove ourselves worthy of your rule and right. grimgore's like okay come on and <laughs> some of nice his manipulation yeah and some of his leaders don't like that he's letting elves fight with him and so of course he kills them and says any other objections <laughs> And uh, so he's going. He's going through. Yep, I got to stop this guy. He, if that guy's the best, 
He's the guy I got to beat. Mm-hmm. I love that later in the book it says that he totally knows he's being manipulated and doesn't care. I like that this was a nice nod to um, the old Storm of Chaos where you know he's he's dropping I'm the best and he's setting up for a confrontation with Malik or with uh, Archaon and you know you be, because everyone knew the the end of the story but they didn't know the details I I was on board with God is he going to like go up there and just yell at him and bonk him on the head and walk away again like are they going to do that again um, spoiler alert they don't but, they kind of do though uh, a little bit. I he mean, still headbutts him, and he's yeah, still... Yeah, there's a gentle nod to it, for sure. Right, but no, yeah, they don't do something stupid. They actually, What they do here is actually really cool, and you Absolutely. feel horrible for Grimgore when that happens. But So that's that basically the fall of Shadow. That's what's important. Grimgore yep. and them team up together. They wipe out all the Skaven that are left, and they head towards the pit. Right. Um, the meanwhile, pit. now, <laughs> I love Archeon sends out Sigvald and Throg together. And Sigvald's pissed. He's like, "You put me with a troll." So the it's first totally an odd couple sitcom. Yeah. And so the first chance he gets, he like killing blows Throg like in the back, like stabs him and kills him, and like takes off like screw this. I am not working with the troll. And uh, so he goes off on his own, and he fights, and he's he winds up fighting uh, Krell and the undead army, and like Krell sees him and goes nuts like they don't like each other apparently but apparently like Krell just really doesn't like Sigvald it seems. Krell is bringing some serious heat on this one just swinging his his axe as hard as possible. And you know? fast I mean Sigvald had the speed on him and all of a sudden Sigvald's defending he's just yeah, pounding I, him. Well I, I like that Sigvald initially tried to uh, to parry um, Krell's big axe swings and he's like I, I can't yeah, dude's crazy strong, and and so yeah, he ends up going to the back foot and and having to to spin away and you know get real defensive. But then <laughs> Krell hits him in the face with his axe, catches him, and basically Makes, puts takes a, away his prince prettiness scar from his forehead through his eye, where he's ruined his eye, and down his face to his chin. So he's got a thick scar. His eyeball is is wrecked. And he's like, this isn't something that'll heal. He's like, I've been permanently disfigured. I'm. You made me ugly. And he loses his damn mind. Rage. Rage. Screaming. I picture him screaming pretty high pitched, too. You know, like when he gets really mad, like his voice gets higher. What, so, are, you, what are you implying? No, I'm just because he's, just, he's such a dandy that I just picture him not like getting like, it's not like a big thick Archeon. He's like a really skinny, perfectly fighter. Just like, ah! And then he goes after him, and his sword breaks, but he doesn't even care. He just, like, he body checks Krell and just tackles him to the ground. And he's got his, like, knees on his arms, and he takes his, he takes what's left of his sword, the little stump of it, and jams it in Krell's eye socket and starts twisting it. And then he starts punching him in the helmet. Right. And he dents the helmet, and he hears snapping and cracking, and... Like, like the metal of the helmet folded and cut off one of his fingers. Yeah, his his he's turning his own hands into pulp as he's just mindlessly smashing a pretty hard skull and uh, a helmeted skull on top of that, and losing fingers and his hands are swelling up. 
and broken, yeah. and he he punches Krell to death. He smashes the skull, his skull. <laughs> he crunches the skull in and dents the helmet until he crushes the skull, and the lights go out in his eyes. And he stops and he looks, and his hands are <laughs> hamburger, and his face is cut, and he just like he another on his knees, arms up into the side, screaming, Wah! and all of a sudden, thump, giant club, pulps his skull. Yeah, shatters his brains. Yeah, and you look back, and who's standing behind him holding it? Your boy, Throg. Throg, he's pissed. Regen for the win, bitches, because he just, like, healed up after Sigvald left him. He's like, oh, no, you didn't just stab me in the back and try to leave me behind. Yep. And so he just comes in with all of his monsters that he's led, and he's back into the attack. I just That was great. I mean, that's the whole thing, you know. And basically, the very end of this, you've got all these undead armies fighting. And after after Krell loses, Nagash realizes, I need to get to the pit, and I'm wasting time here. And I'm not fighting Throg and all these monsters. So he looks at Arch- Archon, Archon the Black, and he's like, what do you want me to do, Master? Uh, I will. Yeah. yeah, stay here. Hold I them be- off. Hold them You're off. You're not going to make it. I know how this plays out, but You're that's dead. what you got to do. That's your job. And and Krell, and to to, to Archon's to credit, credit he's, well, that's the job. You got mm-hmm. it. And so, well, his his take is essentially, I've done this a lot. I've died a lot. He brings me back. I'll be fine. You know, like I'll die here, and then I'll see you in a few years. Exactly. It's. I mean, it's crazy how it's just. That's the power they've got, though. I've got to, I've got to stop this. You, you hold them off till you die. I'll see you later. Um, and that's the end of the Death on the Overlook. And then we get to the Clash of Life and Death. And this is... Uh, the dwarves are kicking Beastman ass, and Hellebron shows up trying to kill Alariel before the fake prophecy vision thing from Bellicor happens. Um... And basically, Durthu's defending her while the dwarves are trying to get to her. But there's this bloodthirster rampaging who's not Kabanda. And she's like, you got to stop him or else he's going to get through and smash everything. So Durthu reluctantly goes off to stop the bloodthirster. And while he's doing that, the dwarves aren't there in time. And Hellebron gets out and basically stabs Alariel in the stomach. And... Um, she pulls the sword out in his butt to deliver the killing blow. And Alariel just like blows out a blast of healing magic. Like, it's like all she's got. So she blasts out this healing magic, and for a second, it, it's, it's, it he, it's, it's so powerful that even Hellebron's craziness goes away for, like, a second. Mm-hmm. And for, like, that one second, she sees everything she's become and what, I mean, just how evil and rotten and insane she's become. And it actually, like, staggers her, and she drops her sword like, oh, my God. And in that quick second, Alariel grabs it and stabs her right through the heart. What have I done? Yep, exactly. And while she's wondering, Alariel stabs her right through the heart, and she's dead. Um, Durthu sees that Alariel's been stabbed, and she's hurt by Hellebron, and he freaks out and grabs that cauldron of blood. Rips the cauldron out, starts smashing people with it, grabs the two staircases on either side, rips them apart, starts chucking them into the crowd. He's yeah, just like... I, I do like that he kind of was walking around with the sword and the cauldron just smashing. Yeah, I mean, he's just gone... He went nuts. He like, <clears throat> destroyed all of Hellebron's stuff, going crazy, smashing stuff. Um, and then what? a little interesting thing happens here. 
Meanwhile, the dwarves and the tree men are fighting off the witch, the witch elves and the scaramore, and then Isabella shows up. What's going on, baby? And you're like, okay, Isabella's here. And then Vlad is suddenly there, and he's avoiding her because he doesn't want another Nurgle curse. He's like, if she touches me, I, I'm out. Right. I, so, I don't want to do this whole ring thing again. Yeah. So he backs up, and he's up on the ramparts, up on the wall. Like, he's backed up that far, and he's sort of leading these undead through there. And Manfred shows up behind him. Then Manfred's there, and he's looking at him. He's like, "What do you, would you come to you come to kill me now, too? And he's like, no, I'm just kind of seeing what's going on. Yep. And he's like, Vlad's like, you know, pick a side, you loser. What? Like, seriously. Fight for something. And then she's like, I fight for me. And he's like, that's why you and Nagash are so alike. And Manfred doesn't like that at all. But then he's like, you know, hey, you know what? Screw you. I'm leaving anyway. And he's like, you're not going to pick a side? He's like, oh, no, I was just here to distract you. And he turns around, right. and Isabella's there. And so and she's right there. Yep. Yeah, Manfred takes off because, once again, I don't want to get touched. I was just want, I wanted to go and get you. I'm just the instigator. Later. <laughs> yep. And then Vlad, this is the oh, – okay. This is one of the best parts in the book. This, it really is. This is yeah. Uh, everything outside of the one weird Vlad visits Manfred in prison thing, everything Vlad does in this book is great, and it's really in line with his character. Yep. Uh, basically, he runs up to her and kind of grabs her by the wrist before she can touches him, touch him, and then he pins both of her wrists behind her back. Right. And he's holding her there, and he looks at her, and he's like, no, we're done. So he's almost got her in a hug, but he's holding her arms behind her back. He pulls his ring off of his finger and sticks it on hers and then throws them both over the edge. So and that they, the spikes below. Onto the spike. Uh, the one spike pierces stakes. both of their hearts. The stake, yeah. The, the blackened, hardened stakes outside the walls. And it, he basically land on it, and the, the one stake pierces both of their hearts, and they die together. Right. In this weird, bizarre, you know, aggressive embrace that he's got around her. Well, what's what's really nice is, uh, I don't know if you read, there was, a, there was that trilogy, um, vampire trilogy, few years ago maybe yeah. 10 years ago vampire um, wars yeah yeah this is that's how he died how vlad died originally yeah he and the the essentially the pope um went over the edge of the rampart and onto the stakes below that that guarded the the same kind of castle battlement whatever so and there's isabella, a symmetry here isabella goes crazy seeing it and kills herself throws herself on a spike right for she throws herself on a spike in grief for him so, there's the you know they're being pretty thoughtful of how they're treating Vlad, and I I, I dig that. Um, but he put the ring on her finger so that when she wakes back up, she won't have the uh, the demon inside of her anymore. Well, yeah. Well, now that she's dead, the demon's banished. He's gone. Now that he kills her, so the demon's going to leave anyway. And so yeah, she'll come back. And actually, later on, someone goes by there. I think it's Gelt goes flying by there, and he looks and he sees Vlad. Alone, right. impaled. Yep. And she's not there. And they never pick her back up again, I don't believe, but nope. I don't think they need to. I think that... No, you know, he saved they, her. Yeah. the There's a personal drama going on here that's much more interesting than her final fate, which we can all guess. You know? yeah, I mean, we know what happens We'll see her on the other yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I mean, <laughs> she, but she made it, which is so cool. Yeah. It's like he saved her. He, he came back and he saved her. He loved her to the end, man. Yep. That's great. That was fantastic. Um, and then Durthu does the same thing. He leans down and he gives all of his life energy for Alario. And all the all the leaves fall off him and the the, the 
bark withers and dries up and cracks, and he turns to dust, and Ilarial is now alive again, or healed sure. and able to go, because she's got to get the job done. Okay. Got to get the job done. And now we're on the Battle of Ulrich's Bones, and we have been cranking through these. This is good. This is a good thing. Um, here, what is this one? The Emperor, Tyrion, and Caradrian are smashing through the Scaramore, and this hey. is where you get the Cornex Machina. Okay, so for like the third time, um, or at least the second, um, where are the other warriors of chaos? Like, where are the Zinch warriors? Where are the Nurgle horsemen? What's going on? Are I have they just, no idea. Like, for the biggest battle in the thing, led by the Everchosen, he sure leans on those Scaramore a whole heck of a lot. And, you know, we see a little bit of some Skull Crushers every, you know, like... Right. They come no, riding right. by. I mean, he's got yeah, every but, warrior of chaos on the planet is here. We're right. We've never seen They don't talk any about warriors that isn't for sale with this release. <laughs> they don't. There's no... I mean, they, I it, before it's they crazy. showed up in the last time, they had all those uh, marauders. You know, all the marauders and a, a few yeah, chaos warriors, but mostly marauders. To, to Middenheim. And then these guys showed up, and anybody who didn't join them got killed. And it was like, well, like you said, I didn't even think about it. I honestly didn't even think about it. The Zinch and Slanesh and Nurgle, actual warriors of chaos in warrior and chaos warrior armor, mm-hmm. they're nowhere. No. I didn't even think about it. But, yeah, if you go down the actual Warriors of Chaos book and look down the line of all the the human models, they're no none of them are here. None of them. So it's, it's a weird oversight, I guess. I mean, you you wouldn't have had to do much. Give me one line, but the amount of times the Scaramore appear and uh, are doing dirt, give one of them to you know a couple other players just to yeah. remind us the the size and scope, the the breadth and depth of the Archaean Chaos Horde. Because even th- if you think about it. Outside of the Glotkin and those demon spews and all the guys on those on those those rot those Magathri lords, even Nurgle didn't have any Nurgle warriors with him. He had marauders by the truckload, but even he didn't have any Nurgle warriors. It's like they forgot about those models. I don't know, man. It's crazy. It is. Um, so, hey, whatever happened to like the the Skaven storm fiends? Shouldn't they be just destroying dudes in this book? Well, they're not using them. They just they're... <laughs> that was the the fourth book's climax. Was we're on Team Archaeon. What happened? He's been using them to tunnel and stuff. Remember, he despises them. He threw them at the walls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all slaves. There's no hell pits. There's no. Know, right? There's nothing. None of it. There's nothing. Whatever. It, it, yeah, look, they're all it, afraid of Archaeon. So. The book would be huge if it if it oh, picked you know up what it everything. Is? I got the answer. Did. Here we go. Okay. The Skaven are holding all that crap back because they're helping him with the slaves and the clan rats. Because remember, they still have got a fifth god. They still got plans, man. You know, they even said that's... we will take it. We will, they, once this is done, we will take over from Arkan. So maybe they're just waiting around to see whoever's sta- last man that's standing and then go after a them. Usable, a usable angle. I, 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 you, Dave, I accept. All right, I got one. I got a no prize. Let's Excellent. Move on. All right. Um, so, 
I'm yeah. sure somebody's fighting Scaramore. Let's go. Yeah, the brass skulls rain down because they're losing. So he notices, and he just starts throwing brass skulls off the skull throne, yeah, which are killing everything. And it keeps going, and then it stops because he's distracted by an argument with his brothers. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's just so silly. I love it. I love Corn is so easily distracted. He's he's got, the, he's got the ADD of this group here. You can just see him being a bully and like just yeah. reaching down, picking up a bunch of brass skulls, whipping them, just being a, a jerk, and then being like, what? <laughs> What's going on over here? You know, exactly. He's going to start whipping skulls at some other planet somewhere. Yep. Whatever. Now, they can't get through this warp flame barrier and get down to Archeon because he's got his wizards on the other side. Got this warp flame barrier that they can't get through. So right. they're trying to get through it, and Kabanda's still here. Kabanda's like, Carl Franz, I've come for you! Except his voice is a lot deeper. Right. And the Emperor turns around and says, come on, knights! And he charges Kabanda with a war cry in a language of the Unbirogen that has not been heard in centuries. Mm. I might even say millennia is my guess. Mm. And who is an Unbirogen? Uh, uh, the 19th Primarch. That would be, yes, that would be Sigmar. <laughs> okay. But, uh... So then Kabanda kills Ashtari. Uh, Karadrian. Who's Ashtari? Ashtari. That's uh, Karadrian's uh, phoenix. I know. I'm not asking for oh. me. And uh, <laughs> Karadrian freaks and he goes to attack and Kabanda just like knocks him on his back and is going to step on him like a cockroach. But he gets mad and he just looks at him and he goes, burn. And he throws all the fire magic he's got at Kabanda, who starts on fire. And then, Okay. This is this is where Kampanda really started to lose me as a villain. <laughs> he literally eats all the fire magic in the world. Like all of it goes right up into him and starts starts him on fire. And he stops Karadrian and kills him. So the fire <laughs> magic is loose and it's running over him before it finds somebody new. If sure. it's going to find somebody new. And Kabanda just takes all the burning and it's the, 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 the did you I love this that he felt all the burning and realized it wasn't any worse than the burning he felt in Korn's realm, so... Right, so whatever. Take it. Let's I can take going. it. You know? So now he's running around on fire. Yeah. Like, and, I got and you. And it still has literally no effect on him. Yes, like, it doesn't slow him mentally down. Mentally doesn't care. Physically doesn't care. Emotionally, he's okay. Like, ugh. This, this is where it was like, okay, this Mary Sue of a villain is untouchable. Well, yeah, because he's got, they got to show him. So then now, now Tyrion and the Emperor are fighting him. Grimgor, Malekith, Gelt, Alariel, everybody shows up here at the gate, and Caban is there fighting. And uh, Emperor's flying at him on Deathwing, and he breaks Deathwing's wing. So Deathwing goes crashing down, can't fly. The Emperor gets thrown off the back through the one remaining stained glass window, apparently in the Temple of Ulrich. Crash rolls onto the ground, is laying there, looks up, and he sees. Galmaraz on top of Archeon's throne. And so he crawls over there and he says, hello, old friend. And he takes it and then super bolt of lightning. Yeah, it, it is it's him. Thor picking up Mjolnir. Exactly. And he's the incarnate of heavens again. Uh, he never came back after he fought the Glotkin. Now they tell you it was Sig Sigmar Heldenhammer who all took along. his body all along. But without Galmaraz, he wasn't quite whole, which is why Archeon was able to separate him from the magic. And uh, apparently Sigmar's spirit was trapped in the winds of heavens in that vortex for the last 2,000 years. Like, mm -hmm. what? How the hell did that happen? I don't know. 
Nobody knows, but apparently he was just stuck with the wind of heaven. After walking away, after fighting and beating Nagash, he like walked off into the sunset and somehow got his spirit trapped in the wind of heaven. And fell into the vortex hole. Yeah. And then, so he was down there. All those uh, high elf mages were down there. We found out that the slons were all helping out with with keeping that stuff on lockdown. Who else was down there? Like, <laughs> man, if you're a good guy, you were secretly helping on that thing. Well, I, mean, I don't think he was helping. He was just stuck. Like, and nobody noticed. Hey, God. why is that human guy right? I can just picture him like spinning in circles in this vortex. Hey, hey, whoa, hey, somebody. Nobody notices I, him. He's like trying to signal to all these elves. <laughs> Dick, somebody. They they sort of you know obviously they tipped the. Uh, the Sigmar thing a couple, two, three times earlier in the book. Right. Um, I think it would have been more effective if they hadn't. Um, or, you know, maybe the, you're, you look like Carl, but you're not, or whatever. You're wearing his skin. Like, right. that one was okay, but once, once Archaon was having his, uh, con moment about, um, Sigmar's a lie, that was where it was like, oh, why you, why, da, da, da. Keep yeah. it. Quit you know. tell him Sigmar's coming. It's like why yeah. is you know? Keep it on the low. Make this thing more epic. Yeah. Um, but now Tyrion is about to get stomped by Kabanda, just like Karadrian this, was. This Kabanda's a real son of a bitch. Oh, I know. And then Nagash comes come in and literally like in a black tornado, like like he is the like the Tasmanian Devil of Death riding in. And finally, Kabanda's got to fight someone who's equal to him, Nagash, who's almost a god. Is, well, he was, but now he didn't it say that he's just an incarnate. Well, apparently, he's still got power. <laughs> but now he's, he's not anymore. Yeah, he's back to being juiced up. Hey, he needed. Hey, when you do, when you know he's got he he's got the touch. He's Listen, got the power. Kabanda, <laughs> when all hell's breaking loose, he'll be riding the eye of the storm. I'm telling you right now, he's got the heart and the motions, and you know. That when things get too tough, he's got the touch. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, Kabanda has been wrapped in plot armor for this entire book. <laughs> <laughs> just, just about time to take that stuff off, buddy. Yep. So giving him one plus the whole book. Okay, oh, here so it is. Here it is. Archeon did not believe in Sigmar, but. He only believed in the prophecy of Necrodomo the Insane. <laughs> there it is. Worst name ever. Necrodomo. The Insane. So uh, let's see. Uh, and then we get the Carl Franz thing. Hello, old friend. And now uh, what do we got here? Um, Tyrion saw the light and with it the revelation of a truth that he had known since his return from the dead. Carl Franz had not been reborn in the fall of Eldorf. His body were restored. However... What drove him on was that of Sigmar Heldenhammer, whose spirit had been trapped within the winds of heaven for 2,000 years. Yet without his fabled hammer, without Galmaraz, the first emperor had not been reborn whole. Not at first. And so Archeon exploited the weakness, and now he's back. However, the Everchosen could not truly comprehend the nature of his foe. To Archeon, Sigmar was a myth, a lie, but he had deceived himself and read only what he wished to see in the prophecies of Necrodomo the Insane. Now it's... Now with Sigmar and his fable weapon reunited, the power of heavens was his once again, and hope was reborn. You got the hope thing coming in again. <laughs> and uh, so Tekla sees this, but the artifact gets activated at this point. 
so, it starts to grow. And as soon as it starts to grow, they got all these wizards all around it, and his first growth spurt just absorbs like half of them. Go okay, on. so let, let's let's describe this thing a little bit. We are we are down in under the mountain, right? Yep. In like the world's biggest cavern, because whatever the armies that are still left are all down there, including Archaon's gigantic army. That yeah, all of his knights, has, hundreds of them, is, it, are there. As long as as long as they wear no mark for his swords of chaos or their uh, or they're the corn dudes on foot, that's it. Yep. Well, there's a bunch uh, of Skaven down there. But the, this uh, this warp artifact, the 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 thing, the thing right. that we care about, the 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 MacGuffin. Right. Um, it is this black sphere that's floating, and every now and again, it just kind of ratchets up, and it grows a little bigger and, and a little bigger. Electricity little crackles bigger. around it, and it's got weird green light coming out of it, too. Well, it's it's like pure black, but black in the way that like an oil spill is black, in that there's you know right purple and green hues, iridescent kind of swirls happening on it. Right, and so it's just this weird thing. But essentially, what they've done, you know, plot mechanic wise, is they've created a countdown clock. So now you've got this thing, and it's growing, and you know, at a certain point, it will envelop everybody or it'll pop or something will happen. It's crushing the ground. The rock around it is falling apart. The cavern parts of it are starting to tumble in. As it grows bigger, that's what starts happening. So so you've got they now at least have this mechanic that creates for for the book, for the characters um, a need to really speed things up and get going. And that's, that's good. You know, I, it, it was kind of crazy that once this thing gets going, there's like what? 20 pages left in this book, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, that last page, uh, the chapter 5, I think, if you don't count the full, just the all all picture the pages, there's yeah. only like 12 pages of text. Out sure, of a 200, I it. It's like a 200 and what, 247-page book, 250-page book, and there's about a dozen, it's like 5% of it yeah. is that, and not even, and those pages aren't all text. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just, it's like here comes here's what and here's how it went down. But you know what? It it makes that final chapter breathless. So let's get there. Okay. So yeah, let's finish up this chapter and then get a break before chapter five. So okay. basically, uh, Sigmar comes riding out on Deathclaw, who's running, I assume, because his wing is broken. They said he can't fly. Right. But he's he, hopping. You know how birds don't really run. Yeah. Right. Oh well, no, he's a, he's a, he's a lion. Yeah, he's a lion body. What yeah. am I? So he's running at him with the wing at, right at Kabanda. And Kabanda looks up at him, and basically Deathclaw just jumps up and hits him in the chest. Yeah. Sigmar stands up with that damn hammer and brains him. And just and he, and he hits him once, and he's like right between the eyes. He shakes his head, falls over. He's laying on the ground. Deathclaw is just chomping into his chest, and the second one goes and pulps his skull. Wow. Give him the old Elkabong. Finally, finally, we're done with this guy, and we can focus on the real bad Half guy. a dozen incarnates had no chance. Sigmar pulls that hammer. Get out the way. Because it's got the twin-tailed comet thing going on, you know, because that's what's so awesome about him. Sure. So now with them gone, I love it, that, that whole cornate rage of the blood hunt ebbs. And so all the bloodhounds and the 
the the the dogs, the corn dogs, and the corn, you know, and uh, half of the half of these uh, scarabs, they all run. They're just like, oh crap, and they all bail. Uh, and now the incarnates are trying to drop that warp flame barrier, and they're like pushed in with all their magic, and they can't. And this, this was the this was the Avengers assemble moment, you know, when the camera pans around and all of them are kind of coming into the the one scene. Yes. Here, here we've got six. Since we we lost the incarnate of fire, and we never had um, the one, uh, the uh, whatever. But they're all hammering this thing, and like you know, Grimgore swinging at it. Yeah, they yeah, can't they, really cast magic or whatever. Right. Yeah. So you've got you've got the seven of them because the fire's yeah fire's gone, and uh, or seven. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, so Grimgore <laughs> hits it with the axe, and it falls down because he swings that stuff, and just beast magic pumps out of him. But I love he doesn't have any idea like how to do this. He's like, listen, you do what you want. I'm going to hit this thing with my axe. Keep in mind, we're essentially saying that he swung an axe at Warp Flame and it broke. What the hell? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, it it wasn't just him, but he was like, like all their magic was pushing it, but it wasn't all of them. It was seven of the eight. Dave, what I'm asking is, how do you hit fire with an axe? Oh, I don't know. What the hell are we talking about here? Well, whatever it was, that wall of warp flame dropped when his axe went through it. Uh-huh. And, of course, you could just picture Grimgore looking back at them all. Just, can you picture him just kind of looking back over his shoulder with that one eye? Like, whatever for you guys. And then just heads down down. So they go down. Skaven start attacking them. Time is running out. Manfred slips down there, too, in the back. He's yeah, still that's, tr- trying that's to decide. That's the big X factor is, you know, we've got, we've got little Gollum. Still trailing the main group. Yeah, and he's trying to decide what side. He still hasn't picked a side yet. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I feel like he probably needed to and was just biding his time, but whatever. Later, it's, I uh, think, later it says that he came down there to help them. Like, I think he's kind of picked a side, but he still hasn't. All right. com- he hasn't committed, is what I guess. All right. But Teclis is still tied up, and the chapter ends with Arkan knows they're coming. I love Arkan is like. All right, well, they're here, so finally we can actually fight. He's like, now I'm going to fight. He's like, right. Now Cobbenda's gone. Now we can do this. And I love just how he wants to do this fight because uh, he's like, you know, I know I got this whole magic ritual, but really, destroy the world with a magic ritual? That's like the wussy way out. I need to punch something in the face before this world ends. Like, I'd rather have a fight determine it. So he knows they, they can still stop it. They think, or maybe they think they can. So I'm going to go kill them. And that's, he lines up the Swords of Chaos and it's ready for battle. And now we're going to jump into Chapter 5, Lord of the End Times. So we'll take a break and then come back, Chapter 5, Lord of the End Times. Wrapping it up. Wrapping it up. The dread abyssal made no sound as it approached, but its dark magic stench betrayed its presence. Vlad turned to face the creature's rider with weary resolve. Whatever joy he had taken in their earlier confrontations had now left him. The rivalries between father and darkness and thankless offspring seemed so trivial now. Have you come to kill me or to help? Vlad demanded. Manfred crooked a lip into a sneer as Razorok alighted on the rampart. I'll waste my time on neither if it's all the same to you. Vlad shook his head. You don't change. Sooner or later, you'll have to decide whose side you're on. I did that long ago. I fight for myself. Vlad shook his head. 
then you're more like Nagash than you think. Whether just or cruel, a true ruler believes in something greater than himself. A tyrant believes only in himself. Am I to believe that everything you have done, you have done out of largesse? Not in the beginning, perhaps. Vlad shrugged. In any case, you may believe what you wish. Just remember, fate is not kind to tyrants. Nor is it kind to fools, Manfred spat. And I know in whose ranks I would rather be counted. Why are you here, boy? Vlad asked, not bothering to disguise his weariness. To bask in the conviviality of the family reunion, of course. Vlad became aware of another presence on the rampart. Slowly, he turned back towards the gatehouse door and saw Isabella standing there. Greetings, husband, she said, her musical voice overlaid with her possessor's guttural tones. Will you not embrace me one last time? Behind Vlad, Manfred laughed and withdrew from the rampart. At once, Vlad knew that the younger vampire had sought only to delay him. Very well. Vlad said at last as much to himself as to Isabella. One final embrace before the end. All right, back, 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 back for the end times. Autumn of 2528. Last chapter of 8th edition, buddy. There you go. go. The end of all things. So, um, Grimgore and the orcs are the only ones who don't seem tired at all. Like, they're, like, ready to fight. And so... It's that magic, dog. Yep. They're right there up front. Yeah. They're right there up in the front. Coming up behind them is the Emperor and his knights. Uh, after him is Gelt and all the Elven incarnates, and Nagash is taking up the rear and staying pretty far back because his death magic is going wild. And well, he also is—he's created this rear guard of ten thousand Zombros who are unmovable. And, yeah, and Skaven Bros and every every other type of thing. He's bringing it all everything that dies. He's got him with him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, that the the thing is still growing, and it actually cracks, and demons start pouring out of it. This. Uh, yeah, the warp gates opening up. Yeah, and Arcan doesn't want him there. He's like, I don't need him. But, like, the chaos gods don't really give a crap. And he knows it. So he's like, well, they're here. Might as well let them do what they're going to do. And I like that all four flavors actually at least show up at the end. Yeah, they 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 did give us, like, a Keeper and three uh, Lords of Change showed up. Which was not, I mean, the Keeper got all of, what, two sentences before he got taken out. Well, yeah, because the demonettes attack the orcs, and it's completely one-sided. The orcs wipe them out, and then Grimgor kills that Keeper's secrets in one hit. Yeah, just zunk. Yeah, jumps up in the air and just takes all of his weight on him and just comes right down and cuts him in half. Who knew that, that orcs could leap? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. What? So, uh... No, the Emperor Tyrion and Malekith do take out a bloodthirster. They're getting quite good at it. Everyone but Kabanda, they're just they're taking out bloodthirsters all day here. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Zinch troops are coming in. You got all the pink horrors and stuff, and Malekith just basically shadow jumps behind them and wipes them out. All his troops behind, they come right up to him, and then the Malekith troops disappear and wind up in their rear and just chop them up, and they're gone. Um. Meanwhile, the artifact is still growing. The cavern's collapsing. Archaon finally joins the fight, and he goes after the Immortals, because the Immortals are kicking everybody's ass. What are the Immortals? Grimgore's boys. Thank you. The Immortals. 
T-U-L-Z, because, you know, it's funny that way. Meanwhile. <laughs> so Grimgore sees Archaon, and he's like, that's the guy I got to fight. Setting it up. So they get in there, and they start fighting, and he is whooping him. He knocks him right off of his horse. Yeah, he Grimgore smashes him off Dorgar. Yeah, and then he jumps on him and starts punching him, and Archaon throws him off and stands up, and Grimgore just snarls and jumps right back on him again and knocks him over. And then he gets the headbutt. You get the uh, headbutt. This is this is great. Uh, and he headbutts him so hard he dents his helmet, and all of a sudden Archaon notices something's wrong. And he reaches up, and the eye of Shirian, that third eye that allows him all that power. Yeah, the third eye of Zinch. It's gone. smashed. So he loses his Zinch, uh, you know, the, 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 the Zinch piece of his puzzle. Essentially, he can't see the future now. Nope. So that's going to mess with how he fights. And now he's worried because he's like, what the heck? So he, he gets nervous enough that he releases Ozul, the demon in the Slayer of Kings. Mm-hmm. He lets the demon power out, and he just decapitates. Something he never likes to do. No. It's, a, it's hard but, to put it back in. He doesn't want it taking over. Plus, uh, to release it means that he has to admit to himself he can't get it done. Yep, exactly. Yeah, this is the extra power. It's it's his ace in the hole, but he, you know, it's like it's he likes to fight left-handed. Right. To give the other guy a chance, you know? At least that's kind of how it's ace, so... But so um, he decapitates Grimgore at this point, and that drives the Immortals completely bonkers. But he doesn't care. His guys are going to take them out at this point. Unfortunately, it also means that uh, Beast Magic is running wild again. Uh, and beast and it's fire. Le- it's leaving the Immortals. Now, there was something weird in the book. Um, when, when Grimgore goes down, it said that... Um, that Gur, the the beast magic, um, was pulled into the rift, and I went, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." It went right into so when when Age of Sigmar comes out, it's sitting on the other side there because it literally went into this thing. But then later on, it's floating around still. Yeah, so, I think part of it went in, but apparently not all of it because yeah, little unclear as to yeah what's happening. I, but it feels like this rift is our link to whatever comes next right yeah it kind of does because then there's that little bit at the end but about the hand and all the stuff that's still there but well i would say there's more yeah we'll, we'll touch on it okay but uh so basically um meanwhile malekith has taken out all those zinch guys he goes and finds that evil wizard sorcerer in charge of this whole you know spell thing that sorcerer is holding all of teclis's like weapons and staff and stuff so Malekith pops up behind him, punches him in the face, takes all the stuff, and then kicks him into the warp hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brings Teclas all his gear. And so right. now, meanwhile, Freeze while he's Teclas. freeing Teclas, the Emperor and Deathclaw are fighting Archeon and Dorgar. Um, and they basically they, they each kill each other's steed. Yep. Emperor kills Dorgar. Archeon kills Deathclaw. Uh, Archon stabs the Emperor and gets him good. And Emperor's bleeding bad, can't hold. He drops Galmaraz. Can't one-hand him anymore. Nope. He just, he's standing there. And then he gives this whole, you could have been the best of us, but you're just a petty warlord held captive by his pride. So, like, Sigmar knows who this guy is. You know, and he's like, you could have yep. been the best of us. I'm like, oh, wow, kind of who was this guy that, you know. And then the light, the, oh, this is, <laughs> this is great. He pulls back 
Slayer of Kings now to kill Sigmar, and Sigmar puts up the two fingers in the sign of the twin-tailed comet. Sign of the comet. And I'm just kind of picturing, you. you know, I'm kind of picturing if it's the if it's the pointer finger and the pinky. Is that it? Like, is that the twin-tailed comet? Like the you know, like the like the horns? Oh, like, like the that. metal? Yeah, I'm just kind of picturing, kind of putting it up two fit, you know, with the two fingers always- like that. I've always just pictured it as, you know, the... the or like the V? Yeah, the English F-U, you know? Oh, it could have been like that. It's I, not quite the peace sign because it's with the back of the hand instead of okay. the front of the hand. I see. So, but I see him kind of giving the back of the because he puts that symbol up and then makes a fist and just lightning goes jumping out of his fist and hits the, the sword. Mm-hmm. And Arkham was going to hit him, but he can't because lightning's hitting the sword and the sword explodes. Right. And so now he lost. Uzul goes back to the realm of chaos. Yeah. So he lost the third eye of Zinch, and now he's lost all the extra strength that that weapon gave him. So now he's lost two of his prizes. Um, and then uh, it explodes, and Arcan lose that power. So then the Emperor makes two fists <laughs> and double punches Archeon in the skull. Like two fisted punches him as hard as he can in the helmet, and he basically gets rocked and loses balance and takes one step back, two steps back, and then up over the edge. Yep, there is no step back. There goes Archeon. It's a step down, dog. See ya. And uh, then the sphere starts, it really, it shatters, and it starts to grow, and all the remaining demons just get sucked back into the warp. Right. I don't know exactly what's going on with this thing. It's it's not exactly clear what the rules of this rift are. Sometimes demons can come out. Sometimes they go back in. Sometimes you you throw stuff at it and it goes in. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it's growing. Like uh, it's not entirely. The rules are shady. Well, and it's, it's an artifact. It's it's actually something that the old ones left behind that was buried deep. And he's not actually using it like it's supposed to be used. He's basically just setting it to short circuit and build up power till it blows up. So says you. I thought that's what it said in the book. Well, I, bottom line is it's a little – the way it acts is a little – it's unclear. You can yeah. come out of it and go into it, but sometimes it pulls things into it It as works well, however is so. good for the story at the moment. <laughs> there you go. Eh, you know, that's fine. And that's I mean, fine, yeah. Stories have been doing that for years, so – but we don't know sometimes how it works. It's, yeah. it's just nice to have a clear set of rules. So now we get to the point where the the eight incarnates could stop this, but there's only six. So right. we just Te- lost Grimgor. Yeah. So Teclis, now that he's got his power back, sucks in fire, and before all of Beast goes into the warp, apparently sucks in the the beasts to himself too. Right. So now he's made himself the incarnate, of incarnate two. but an incarnate of two. And it turns out we're not really built to handle two. No, because his skin starts boiling off and burning off, and he is a hot mess. He is starting to basically burn up. Is, and yeah, yeah, he's being ripped apart by too much magic in his in his body. They need another wizard. Is what they need. They need another wizard to take that eighth, you know, the second one from Teclis. If if only another wizard had been skulking in the background and 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 trailing them the whole time. Hey, Manfred's there now. This is the part where you don't ha- you haven't gotten to the end of the book yet, and you're like, there it is. That's how they're going to do it. They've got it. Manfred's going to join them, finally do something right, and uh, 
And Manfred, it says right here, Manfred came down deciding to side with the Incarnates. But now chaos is in his head, whispering and talking to him, just like Gollum with the ring. Mm-hmm. You don't want to join them. They hate you. They look down on you. You really want to consider these guys your equals? And that's it. He can't, he can't, he cannot, he doesn't like the idea of being equal with these guys. Like, that would just make me equal, and I could be even more than them. You're darn right you could. Just join with us. And so, at this point, Manfred chooses chaos uh, for whatever they promised him. So next thing you know, Gelt, a sword pops through Gelt's chest. Right. And Manfred kills him and lets free the metal power. And Tekla's like, oh, crap. And he goes to grab that one, too. Can't do it. And he just bursts into, he just turns to ash and crumbles. Yep. yep. So now, so, that's it. <laughs> now we got three uh, uh, magics whipping around. And the rift starts sucking them all in because they actually, not only does it suck in that, but now there's nothing to oppose it. The rift starts sucking the incarnate's powers out of the incarnates. Right. It's ripping the magic from their bodies. And Manfred, here's here's what they gave him. Here's their gift for, uh, you know, stabbing Gelt. He instantly goes blind when he looks into the, the, the portal. And he goes completely insane, like loses his mind and starts babbling and running around, not making any sense, yelling at nothing, yep. making no sense. Tyrion looks, and Tyrion, like his, like I guess being an incarnate sort of gives you a bond of some sort, because he was tight with the Emperor, but I guess he was really felt tight with Gelt, too, and now he's mad that Gelt's gone. So he goes after Manfred and basically takes Sunfang and puts it through Manfred's back, and Manfred starts on fire, and he burns to a husk and dies. Thank God. Yep, so now he's gone. And then Malekith sees an Alarial is about to get crushed from falling rocks because the thing just keeps expanding. And he goes and knocks her out of the way. She hits her head and she's laying there, but the giant rocks crush his legs. So now he's stuck under the rock. Crippled. And Alarial's there. Archaon crawls out of the pit. Apparently that pit wasn't close to the warp stuff. It was just Dude, a hole in the Dude, they didn't chop his head off. We never saw the body. Yep, and it also didn't fall into the warp. This warp thing's been growing large, but not where he was. Good, and that's good, because now he crawls out of the pit, and uh, and he looks over at Sigmar, and he's like, come on, fight me! And so they fight, and then they both fall into the pit this time, and they do go into the warp, apparently. Right, they, these, so we got, we've got the Lord of the End Times, and we've got God of the Me- of Men, going into the rift they will be on the other side they will be yes they get there's it. no doubt that age I'm of sigmar them. will feature sigmar yeah I, yeah I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty feeling, i, I feeling figured that one that out one, yeah yep 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 so so um then it's weird Tyrion goes over to Alarial and he checks if she's okay and oh and then they stand He's up and, like hey girl and malekith's like I, I can love you again girl <laughs> malekith's like really gonna totally ignore me and Mal and Tyrion says something to him like, "If you want me to put you out of your misery and kill you, I'll do that." Like they still just don't like him. Like Malekith yeah. gets nothing. Like it's like I just crippled myself to save this girl for you. Yeah, and he actually kind of laughs about how when Malekith uh, does something selfless, it truly is the end of the world or something like that. Um, but then he tells him to run, and they're like, "Where are we going to run?" He's like, "I would run." They're like, "No, you wouldn't. You would try to steal all the power." And he's like, "Yeah, I guess I would." <laughs> yeah. And she's like, "That's too Scumbag. much power, even for you." So they just stand there hand in hand, Alarial and uh, Tyrion, until the warp thing pulses over and sucks them in. 
oh, they're in the other side. Yep. And then Malekith is saying that this is weird. This is kind of this is all kind of sad. He's sitting there by himself, and he starts thinking about his dad and his mom, and his uncaring dad and his twisted mom. And he starts thinking about all the things he did in his life. And then suddenly he's not thinking about anything because he can't even remember much stuff anymore. And then suddenly he can't even remember his name. And it's like it's like the rift is pulling his brain apart as it's pulling him in. Yeah. So he basically. There's like a blessed nothing. His mind is a complete blank as it takes him. So all that mental pain he's going through, whatever, is it, it's taken away, and then he's gone. And now at the this, whole at this yeah. point, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, I bet the reason they didn't come out with a Malekith model when they dropped the Kane book is because he's going to be on the other side. They're remaking him, and they're going to release a new Malekith as a part of Age of Sigmar at some point. Oh, that would be cool. And maybe but new- they blank slated him so that he can still be Malekith, but he's different. He could come across on the other side actually without all that armor. He could have a body again. Mm-hmm. That could be totally cool. So uh, basically, after Malekith disappears, then you just we're into the final wrap up here. Uh, let's see. Wait a minute. Let's see. Archeon didn't. Uh, okay, he's there. And then. Suddenly his memories were gone, cut away as if by a knife. The creature that had once been Malekith felt a moment of panic, for he found he could not even recall his own name. Then the laughter faded, and only the darkness remained. And then we get these pictures of, like, here are empire warriors fighting against demon things with as stuff is crumbling around them. Here's another picture of stuff being sucked in, and beastmen and demon hordes and scaramore and orcs. Being sucked into a thing where it like looks like looks like mountains are like flying around, and then the last thing there is the picture of that oak of the world tree, the thing that controls the weave is the last thing that looks like it's getting sucked up. Mm-hmm. And then you got the last page, which basically is there's nothing left except this spark. Well, this is so. This, for me, is really a tale of two reads on this final page. So this this is the page that was released like a week ahead of the books dropping. And everyone went, wait, is this real? Because it, you know, it, it, it tells you um, that everything was gone. An act of uncreation occurred, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, essentially I've read this twice. I've read it once ahead of this book, and then I've read it again at the end of this book, having read the entire text. Mm -hmm. And when I read it ahead of this book's release, I was kind of shell-shocked, and then I was really mad at the the, what I felt was like a really lame sort of, oh, but wait, a spark exists, and a hand reaches out and grabs it, and these are the end times, but they're also the beginning. And I went, oh, God, after all that ink that you spill you give us these crummy five lines to sort of fix it this is so lame and people are going to grab onto it and screw in reading it again with the whole book in front of it and you've touched on this quite a bit during during our talk tonight um the book's theme is hope and you get here and with all of the weight of hope occurring again and again and again in this book that gives a much bigger weight to this 
this, um, and we should probably read it here. Um, Through the storm of nothingness he fell, adrift for aeons upon unseen tides. Then came a glimmering orb, a fiery world heart grown cold as the abyss. Desperate, the figure seized upon the sphere with a grip that could shatter mountains. He stared back into the void, and from the darkness the void stared. The figure clung tight, marshalling his faded strength. He reached forth his hand, and a miracle took shape. And what of tomorrow? What of tales yet to be told in the cycle of the stars? These were truly the end times, but they were also the beginning. Like, this captures the sense of hope that this book has been giving us, the audience, the whole time. And I like that it's Sigmar grabbing it because he's the one in the Emperor's body who's been saying there's always hope. Yeah, and he he got it on the other side, right? I mean, he went through the thing. And this is part of their legends and lore, is that how this came about. I mean, they could they could address it any of a bunch of ways. That I'm actually kind of excited to see what they do with this now. Absolutely, like I I was really down on this whole thing, and this has given me hope. You know, like this this actually worked, and I walked away from reading this thing going, I was sad. Right on. I'm excited. I'm excited for what's next. Um, it, it sucked getting to this point, but I'm glad that I followed it all the way through and read it and I'm ready for the next one. I'd really like to know how long they were planning this because like I said, you're talking army books, at least fluff wise that were written two to three years before these books started coming out and we're laying the seeds of this stuff already. I think the big question is how much of this was working in parallel because models take at least 18 months from conception to boxed up and ready to be sold. So certainly, you know, the Wood Elf and the Dwarf releases, this was already happening, you know, well, when those things hit the, hit the stores. So who knows? I mean... It's kind of cool though, and I'm I I am saying I'm I I did enjoy this. I I it was satisfying. It was interesting. I want to see where they do what they do with it. I hope they do it well. I mean, there's always a chance they're going to screw it up, but I'm not as pessimistic. Of course, I've completely stopped reading the rumors too. Like I just don't care what they say anymore. It's going to be here in like three weeks. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's going to be I, what it's going to be. So I continue to read them. Um, I'm not freaking out whatever it you know most of the rumors interestingly deal more with fluff and i i don't know that you would get a ton of that um so i don't know how much faith but god even by the time you release this we're gonna know a lot more so it's sort of irrelevant to speculate we're we're close and i'm excited that we're close you know uh, uh six months ago felt like forever that everything was ruined and and we were done and I'm not so sure that that's true, you know. No, I'm not. But I mean, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's we let, we got to take our last break. We'll come back. Okay. We'll wrap up with our thoughts on this. I got a couple of quick announcements uh, to make, and uh, we'll we'll kind of wrap up the whole show after this last break. Archeon stepped towards the Emperor, savoring the moment of victory. Azul's voice was raging in the ever-chosen's mind. 
but the joy of triumph could not be unmade by a demon's pettiness. To think that one of your allies believed you a god. Archeon mocked. There is no victory for you here. The Emperor's voice was that of an old man, tired and bitter. Archeon could scarcely credit that he had ever believed him a threat. You could have been the best of us. Could have been the sword that swept the Empire clean of chaos. But you are nothing. A petty warlord held prisoner by his pride. Overcome by a sudden anger, Archeon slammed his shield into the Emperor's head and body. He staggered, but did not fall. Prophecy put you on this path, did it not? The Emperor asked, wiping blood and teeth from his mouth. You embraced those words to gain the power they contained, but in doing so, you wrote your own end. Archeon scarcely heard the Emperor's words. He burned to break the man who stood unbowed before him. A champion of light shall stand alone against the three-eyed king. The Emperor breathed. All at once, Archeon was weary of the Emperor's prattling. The joy of victory had gone stale in the face of the other's defiance, but blood would restore it. No weapon shall he have but his will, and yet his spark shall rise to a mighty flame. With a roar, Archeon raised the Slayer of Kings high and brought it hissing down. And we're back. Yapping. Just yapping. Yeah, well, we're done telling this long story, and I apologize if I got into too much blow-by-blow stuff where it gets a little boring, but there's just so many neat things going on in this. I didn't know too much where to trim, but more than that. I mean, I did take a 250-page book and turn it into seven pages, seven and a half pages, so. No, what you turned it into was, how many of these, you, you turned it into about 35 hours of content is what you did. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're at about four and a half right now. Well, so there's several releases. Whatever. Not anyway. bad though. Not bad. We got it all in. Um, it was. It, I was. I was surprised how satisfied I was at the end of this story. Mm-hmm. Me like, too. you know, like okay, you, you know, they needed to redo something. They couldn't leave us. You know. Four editions in a row sitting, you know, either after the Storm of Chaos or right before the Storm of Chaos. You know, what are they going to do? Re- you know, use the warp to reset everything and go back? You know, you don't want to do what they did in the last edition when everyone was like, wait, what do you mean the Storm of Chaos hasn't happened yet? You know, that was yeah, two editions it, ago. Now, it gets a little tough when you start sort of only playing within like five year time frame and resetting it over and over again. You know, so that it's always two minutes to midnight, and then uh, you can't think, let can't let the clock strike. Do you think they're taking a tip from some of these other games that are coming out every couple of years? With when they when they re- instead of just releasing a new army book in the same world, they release, hey, this is the new stuff they've got because the story's moved on. I mean, that's what War Machine's been doing, and Malifaux does it, and every time they release a new book with new stuff, it's because the story's moved on, and this is the first time they're moving the story on in a long damn time. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, who can say? And I don't yeah. really need to. Um, That's true. I was just curious if you had any thoughts on it. I, I just think that they're they've given themselves a blank slate with which to work from. Um, you know, fluff wise. Okay, so if <clears throat> I, I, I just I look at the like they've got this rift open. Certain things have gone through it. Um, it pulled the it pulled the magic through. It pulled the incarnates who were down there through. Um, 
I don't know that it pulled much of the armies through. The armies seemed to kept falling into the the cracks of the floor rather than falling into the rift, except right. for the demons who were summoned home. So very few actual people made it, and the ones that did seemed to all be people who mattered, either incarnates or um, Archaon. Right. Um, but then that thing grew, and that was all done, I thought, and sucked up everything. I mean, even if you were in the cracks, eventually you got sucked up by this planet yeah. getting enveloped. But who knows how its rules work. Exactly. So um, is it is it a warp gate? I mean, if I go in here, do I come out somewhere else? Am I just going to end up on another planet where there's another single warp gate? And I go, uh-oh, where am I at now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could it could be anything. Could be and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what they do with this uh, with the new version because now we're in this age of Sigmar, and it, the one thing we do know is it's continuing from here. Yeah, and that and that none of our say. old army books or any of that stuff is being sold anymore. They're pulling it all in favor of this one new book. So we'll Very see. We'll see to what value all these books we have now are. Hopefully, there will be some. I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, and this is just more on a personal note for for me. Um, I just don't have a ton of free time the way I did, you know, 15 years ago. I used to do a big army every year, and I haven't done a brand new army in like five years now. Right. I started them, but I can't finish them, and I just don't have enough free time to paint 150, 200, 250 models. Um so if the rumors are true and that this thing is going down to more of a skirmish 15 to 50 style model game, right. I would be so thrilled because that is something that I can do. That's a that's an achievable goal, you know. I would still um, like the option for big armies, though, because this is the only game that has that anymore, really. And it's, That's it's, true, it's, and it's I still fun. enjoy that, but, you know, like one game a week... I, I would love to be able to bang out three and just, it, I don't know. I, I'm I'm ready for something different, and it seems like they're going to deliver. I'm so. excited, but I'm a little nervous. And part of it is, like I said, I mean, I've spent a lot of money on all these moving trays and square bases and stuff in the past year. And I finally started investing in time and money into getting all this stuff, these decent movement trays and getting all these things together and the thousand zombies and, oh, God. And I, now I might not have to use it. And it's like, oh, I told you that was a bad project. I know. And now I'm financially committed to it. So, so oh, well, we'll figure it out. I'll get it done. Ah, what the hell? It'll be cool. It'll look cool when it's done. You won't. I have to. You, but you won't. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, buddy, you're being a dreamer. All right. That's great. So, anyway. I guess that's it. That's it. That's the end of 8th edition. Ninth edition's coming out in weeks. I mean, this will release around the 25th, and so, yeah, we're looking at a little over two weeks, and uh, Age of Sigmar's out. Crazy. But, um, oh, okay, a uh, little wrap-up stuff. Uh, first of all, everyone, thank you for listening. And, obviously, I didn't even mention that Chris wasn't here, but I figured it was pretty obvious. I and mean, we said, you know, he wasn't reading. He's not doing these end times he will be back next episode we're going to be talking about oh uh the manticore club contest um design a t-shirt and uh, we'll put it up on our store and then the winner gets one of the shirts 
uh, for free because they designed it. And uh, so I asked Tomlin about it because we totally thought of it on a whim in the uh, RK and the uh, Elves episode. If you remember the second Elves episode, Rotor. Um, I do. And you know he was talking about Manticore, and I said, ah, "Manticore Club, let's do a Manticore Club shirt. I'll give somebody a copy of uh, this game and and the shirt." And um, we got about a dozen entries. And I asked Tomlin what his favorite was, and then I asked Chris you what his favorite was, and. They both had the same answer, the same answer I had. I just started asking a bunch of people, Harrison, my wife, a bunch of my students, showed them all the Manticore things. Everybody I asked, over 15 people, everybody picked the exact same one. So it was pretty much unanimous which one won it. And actually, Rotor, that was yours. Hmm. Your first I, of your two designs. This uh, it feel, feels almost uh, dirty that <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm 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 on your show and I'm the big prize winner, huh? Well, you know what? Hey, it is kind of, but it's not really. Honestly, there was a lot of nice entries, but I was showing it to people who knew nothing about the show because honestly, I felt like, oh crap, here I am. I'm going to give Rotor the award when he's guesting on the show. People are going to look funny because I did start asking people who have nothing to do with the show, and I'm like, look, we're going to. I had a T-shirt contest. I explained to them what a manicore was and that people like are doing the manicore club. This would be your, like, T-shirt. We're going to put this on a shirt. Which one would you think would look best on a shirt? And my students, my sisters, my wife, they all, I mean, nobody knows who the hell you are out of those people. And <laughs> sure they do. <laughs> sure they do. They didn't wreck, but they Global didn't. icon, national treasure, <laughs> dog, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm dying. Um but yeah, they all they all everyone picked the, the it was the first one of your two awards. So that's going to be the shirt. I will get them designed and the next time Zazzle has a sale, I will get them printed up for us. So they will be up uh, the winner will be on the thread and I'll put it up in the show notes and uh the images and I'll just need a nice co- quality copy one so I could get it set up on the store, but so you won. Congratulations. Thanks. It's uh it's a wonderful thing. So, folks, thank you for listening. That's it. That's the book. I hope you guys liked it. I hope people liked it. I really I, liked it. I would think people liked it. I, I don't. My my guess is there was a lot of interest in Nagash, and it started to fall off somewhere around Kane. But, um, you know, listening to the 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 cheat sheet here uh, saves you eighty bucks per per book. So. I would think people are a little interested in where their games are going. You know? Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's kind of funny. We got more people with the Thankful episode saying, thanks for that episode. It was great because uh, it was the first one I didn't actually read, and I wanted to know what happened, but I didn't yeah, want to read it. I'm, I'm not surprised. Kane, I think, broke a lot of people's spirit. Yeah, and I think even fewer people read this one. I think after reading that oh, last yeah. page on the Internet, I yeah. think a lot of people didn't read this one, so... I think we're going to get a lot of people listening and saying, oh, you know what? It wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be because it really was cool. Yeah. And at least um, they get they know what's going on. But so hope you guys liked it. Go online, buy a shirt, get a Manticore Club shirt because there might even be Manticores in the Age of Sigmar. Who knows? Rotor, thank you so much. You've spent like five hours now and given up your hobby night so that you can record with us, and I do appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Hobby time is scarce nowadays for everybody, so Yeah, it's fun. All right, so um that's it then. Thanks for coming on, Rotor, and um I will 
Well, we'll be talking and see what we think of the Age of Sigmar in a few weeks, I guess. Bye-bye, Warhammer. Bye-bye, Eighth. We're done. Thanks, Rotor. And uh, I'll let you all go. Uh, peace. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at garagehammer.net. And you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Malekith lay on his side, his shattered legs pinned beneath a slab of rock. The pain was unbearable, but it was nothing compared to the void in his soul. The rift's creation had ripped not just Ulgu from him. All the magic he had once been heir to had been sucked away, leaving only a yawning emptiness behind. For the first time in millennia, Malekith was utterly helpless. At the center of the chamber, the rift gleamed malevolently. Malekith could just about make out Nagash's disintegrating form on the far side. The ancient lich's dimming witchfire seemed to be staring bleakly into the void. Had his magic been ripped from him also? Malekith wondered. Did the great and mighty Nagash know despair for the first time in thousands of years? The thought was enough to elicit a brief smile, despite the pain. Alario lay motionless to Malekith's left, her face masked in blood. Even now, the Eternity King could not fathom why he had felt moved to save her. Perhaps, as had often been said, a selfless act by Malekith the Betrayer had indeed heralded the world's demise. With that thought, his smile became a choking laugh. One last jest before the end of everything. Malekith's laughter ceased abruptly as Tyrion limped across the field of vision. The prince's face was bloodied from battle, his armor scorched from the fury of Manfred's demise. Without a word, without a glance, at Malekith, Tyrion knelt at Illyrio's side and shucked off his torn cloak. Silently, he folded the thick cloth into a bundle and placed it beneath the Everqueen's head. How touching. Malekith sneered. Do I not get some consideration? As he spoke, the rubble on his legs shifted. He stifled a gasp of pain as his shattered bones ground against one another. Tyrion turned towards Malekith. I can speed your passing, if that is what you desire, the prince replied, his tone bereft of anger yet holding no suggestion of mercy. I have walked this world for seven thousand years, Malekith muttered, fighting to keep the pain from his voice. I will bide until its end. The outer edge of the rift drew level with Seraphon's corpse. The mighty dragon scales and sinews burst into dust at its caress, then coalesced into shimmering droplets of liquid. They orbited the growing rift for a moment, and were then sucked into its abyssal heart. Alariel's eyelids twitched, and the Everqueen uttered a gasping moan, neither fully conscious nor wholly otherwise. You could flee, Malekith suggested archly. Take her and go. Malhander is swift. Perhaps he can outrun this doom. Where would we go? Tyrion replied grimly. This is the Ronadondra, the end of all things. There is no outrunning it. Fool! Malekith spat. Were I in your place, I would leave in a heartbeat. No, you wouldn't. 
dying at the side of one's allies is entirely too noble a sentiment for the likes of I. Indeed it is, said Ilariel, suddenly awake, although barely so, if her wan appearance was any indication. You would choose to remain out of a desire to claim the Rift's power. Malekith glowered at the Everqueen, but said nothing. We can all feel it, the Everqueen went on. With such power, we could have created a new world in our own image. If only Lilith had understood, then all of this might have counted for something. Tyrion helped Ilariel to her feet. The prince and the Everqueen turned their backs on Malekith to stare into the rift. Overhead, what remained of the cavern roof gave another ominous groan. Ilariel turned back to gaze down at Malekith, a sudden strength back in her voice. It is not yours to wield. Our chance was lost and our time is over. The edge of the rift was close now. Ilariel clasped one of Tyrion's gauntleted hands in both of hers and turned her back on Malekith once more. For a moment, the prince and the Everqueen stood silhouetted against the rift's roiling darkness, and then they were gone. The air was both scalding hot and freezing cold at the same time. Malekith could feel demonic voices inside his skull, gnawing at what little remained of his sanity. Then the edge of the rift swept over him also, and with it, a deep, impenetrable darkness. Malevolent laughter echoed about Malekith. Memories from the past danced before his eyes like phantoms, recollections of a father's coldness and a mother's cruel love. In an instant, Malekith relived every betrayal, every malicious deed, and every failure. Suddenly, the memories were gone, cut away as if by a knife. The creature that had once been Malekith felt a moment of panic, for he found that he could not even recall his own name. Then the laughter faded, and only the darkness remained. And so, the mortal world fell away into oblivion. The gnawing rift at the heart of mankind's domain devoured reality. Slowly it spread at first, but then with the hunger of ravening wildfire. Invigorated, great polar rifts slipped their ancient balance and joined their younger siblings in its feast. The peoples of the world beheld their doom and screamed in despair. No two watchers beheld the same vision. Some saw skies riven with fire. Some looked upon an ice-cold maelstrom of stars. Some saw colossal tentacles and fanged maws that drooled the molten stuff of chaos. Perhaps the Dark Gods raised their champions to demonhood from the battles that raged amongst the flames. It matters little, for the truth of those hopeless wars are lost. The Oak of Ages was swallowed last of all. Mournful, dryad song echoed under livid skies as Athel Lorne perished. With its destruction, the weave that bound time and space together thinned and stretched, Twisted by unnatural energies, it dissolved entirely into nothingness. That terrible act of uncreation might have taken the blink of an eye or unfolded across millennia. The dark gods were not fettered by the flow of time and let it pass unmarked. Already tired of their victory, they turned away from the ruin they had wrought and began the great game anew in other worlds and other creations. In doing so, they paid no heed to the tiny speck of light tumbling in the infinite darkness, the glowing essence of what had once been a man. Through the storm of nothingness he fell, adrift for eons upon unseen tides. Then came a glimmering orb, fiery world heart grown cold as the abyss. Desperate, the figure seized upon the sphere with a grip that could shatter mountains. He stared into the void, and from the darkness, the void stared back. The figure clung tight, marshalling his faded strength. He reached forth his hand, and a miracle took shape. And what of tomorrow? What of the tales yet to be told and the cycle of the stars? These were truly the end times, but they were also the beginning.